You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome to the Oz Network for the greatest recap in the history of recaps. As we finally, at long last, get to talk about, spoiler already, my number one favorite movie of all time. Also a spoiler if you have not listened to our 50 favorite TV shows and movies episodes. Uh, Sorry to ruin that for you, but there's another 49 in there that you can still be surprised by. But we get to talk about Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, formerly titled Just Star Wars, formerly titled The Star Wars, The Adventures of Luke Starkiller, formerly titled The Star Wars, The Adventures of Luke Starkiller, as told in the Journal of the Wills. Uh, aren't we glad that George Lucas cut that title down? Uh, but this is the original Star Wars movie, although the fourth episode chronologically, and the sixth episode that we're covering here today, and even higher if you include a couple of the... Uh, no, 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 I guess... Ewoks and um, uh, Star Wars Holiday Specials, those would fall into like the episode 4.5, 5.8 or something like that. But then we get the original here. So we're in the middle of Star Wars month and uh, I have no idea whether this is going to be a shorter episode, longer one. You know better than we do. We're prepared for about six, seven, eight hours here. Uh, let's hope we can keep it under that. My name is Colin and get in there, you big furry oaf. I don't care what you smell. And my name is Ben, and the Oz Network podcast, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> I thought about that. I couldn't uh, find a way to incorporate it. <laughs> well, I thought, I thought for sure you were going to be like, but I was going to go to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Oh! <laughs> Start again. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Oz Network for the greatest <laughs> podcast in the history of podcasts. Um, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Uh, I'm hoping this is the first Star Wars movie that you saw as well, Ben. It was definitely the first one that I saw. Uh, we're just going to have to like quick fire this. The only way we're ever going to get done this in under about nine hours. Uh, history with the movie. Um, I had no knowledge of what Star Wars even was before seeing this. Um, probably, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes before I saw this movie the first time. My parents were saying, oh, Star Wars is on. Hey, do you want to watch this? Uh, it's actually very memorable. I mentioned at the end of the last episode that I can remember like ev- almost everything about seeing this movie the first time and how all these people have these experiences, you know, this is what it's like to see Star Wars. And I envy the people who could say, you know, I was in a movie theater. Like I remember Billy Garcia saying like I was in a movie theater in 1977 or 1978 or whatever. Uh, and for me, it was definitely later than that. I wasn't born when these original movies came out, but, um, it was Christmas night so um, my family, we'd gone to my grandparents' place for you know Christmas dinner or whatever. And one of the things that my parents always did was that on uh, long weekends or holidays, uh, they would take the mattress out of their room, throw it on the living room floor. My brother, sister, and I would sleep on their big mattress. They would sleep on the couches, and we'd just you know, watch movies or something like that. We get to stay up late and as long as you can stay up, that's as much as you can watch. And I mean, I can tell you there, I don't sleep well. I never have slept well. So my parents probably always assumed, yeah, you could stay up and then uh, they were bound to letting me watch stuff. So there are some movies that they got through watching the kids movie and then they expected we would fall asleep and I was watching stuff and probably should have been seeing at the time, not porn or anything, but <laughs> maybe some movies well, not appropriate for a five, six year old kid. It's a type of porn. Um, it excites us. It makes us feel good things. Uh, you know, we want to watch well, it. I'm not, talking, I'm, I'm not referencing Star Wars. Uh, just so you know, this wasn't, the, don't watch your kids watching this garbage. Okay. 
go to sleep. Bad parents. <laughs> There's fur, furry men and uh, women with buns. Uh, nerf herders. <laughs> tons of st- nerf herders, yeah. <laughs> so many things inappropriate. But um, this was one of these situations where it wasn't like we rented movies. It was just – it's on TV and – uh, I actually was able to go back and find like the CTV, which is one of our networks here in Canada. I was able to find the TV spot that promoted this. I guess, I guess it was something they were really promoting heavily, like Christmas night, Star Wars on CTV. So we probably got home like maybe 7.30 you know, um, uh, in the evening or something like that. And Star Wars was on like 8 o'clock. And I just remember them saying like, oh, we're going to watch this movie Star Wars. You guys are like, I don't even remember them describing what it was. Uh, but as we go through recapping this, like I can tell you, there's probably only a handful of scenes that I can't tell you, uh, what my reaction was seeing at the first time. Like I remember so vividly, even though I was maybe six or seven years old when I saw this so vividly, remember every single scene, especially like that, that opening crawl and asking, was this a TV show? Because it said like episode four and everything <laughs> like that. Uh, and my Brother and sister, you know, they fell asleep in the middle of the movie because, I mean, we were kids. You're not going to stay up till 11 o'clock at night. Uh, but I was up the whole time, and I remember seeing, like, every bit of this movie. I was just glued to it. And it was one of these things where, you know, they would record it on the, the VCR back in the old days. And uh, the next day, I'm like, can we watch that Star Wars thing again? Because there's so much going on. It's like, I, I, I want to figure out all those parts that I missed. And uh, next week, I'll have an equally cool story about how I got to see Empire Strikes Back the first time. But Star Wars just became like everything to me after seeing this. I mean, there were a lot of movies, uh, as I mentioned last week, that I grew up watching that, you know, gr- my fanaticism about it grew over time. But really only like Superman the movie, Back to the Future, and Star Wars, uh, which I don't want to spoil anything. But those may be my top three in our top 50 <laughs> movies <laughs> episode. Those are the ones that I, I, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Uh, and we went like so crazy on Star Wars. You know, we uh, had a friend who, uh, or somebody down the street, it was my sister's friend, but her older brother in a garage sale was selling all of his old Star Wars stuff because he was like 15 and too cool for toys now. <laughs> so, like for like twenty dollars, he sold us like every Star Wars toy we had. Um, I remember like, every time we would, you know, get to pick out a new toy, I would pick a Star Wars toy. You know, I'd act out the movies with it, everything. We used to go to the circus. It wasn't easy to get, like, lightsaber toys back then. But, like, we'd go to the circus and they would have – I don't know if there were knockoff lightsabers. It was just, like, a little prop, you know, so kids in the crowd could have a little light to shine around. And we'd get these things all the time. And they'd break after two days. But, like, I'd go back the next time and get another lightsaber. Christmas, you you, you go through all the, the wrapping paper. Your parents would keep the wrapping paper tubes. Those were our lightsabers. I mean, Star Wars just took over my life and – I'd say by the time the special editions came out, it, it was it was like a resurgence. I, I wasn't like uh, so obsessed with Star Wars that I was watching all the time. I don't even think we had copies anymore, you know, as I was a teenager. But then uh, when the special editions started coming out, it was like all over again. And I think I even got more into it as a teenager, as hard as it was to believe. And then as the, all the prequels are coming out, more into it. I mean, but this is the one that I always sort of go back to. Is like, I don't know if there's any way to top it. I know you have your own personal favor, but to me, this will always be like the greatest movie I've ever seen. I would probably say that this would be in the top five movies that I've watched the most in my life. Um, mm. The very first Star Wars movie, because, you know, even if you don't commit to watching the trilogy, or now that we've got 10 of them, I would always assume that this is one that I, you would just watch, because like, I, I seemingly know this one the most, because I think I've just seen it so many times. But 
similar story for me. It was it was around it was a Christmas when I first even discovered what Star Wars was. I I, I want to say I was about seven or eight. It was sort of you know I was I was young and I remember we used to go. We'd have Christmas Day lunch at my grandma's, and my dad for Christmas got given the trilogy, the original trilogy on VHS, and this was like before the special edition. So this, and we've still got this. I think I've mentioned this before. We've still got that original trilogy VHS, so the unedited versions of them. And I remember seeing this when Dad got it, and I was like, "What's that?" I'm like, "Is that Star Trek?" Um, because I'd heard of Star Trek, but I hadn't heard of Star Wars. And, of course, my dad had to sort of explain it to me, like, no, no, this is Star Wars. And I think my sister sort of was aware of it, too. And she's, you know, a bit older than me. But so I, I remember then kind of watching it. I don't know if we watched it straight away that night. But, um, yeah, just being fascinated by it. And then one of these movies that you would just go, wow, that's awesome. So you just watch over and over again in the school holidays, you know, like 10 times a day because just you didn't have stuff to do when you were a kid in the school. I didn't have any friends. And I didn't read, so what else was I to do? Um, so, yeah, and it just kind of it grew from there. Um, I think it was one of those things, too, that my sister was far more obsessed than I was. And because I remember when the special editions came out that her and dad went and watched this one at the movies and kind of I wasn't allowed to go. I don't know why I didn't get to go. Um, I would have been 10 when they came out in 97. Uh, I know I went and saw Empire at the cinemas. That's the only one of the original trilogies I've seen at the cinemas, but... Um, and I think kind of it just gradually grew. So, um, I wasn't huge into a lot of the merchandising stuff, but like, I remember I had this toy that we picked up at a market, you know, when they're on the big transporter, when C-3PO and R2-D2 with the Jawas, and then there's that silver mm. droid with kind of like a beak sort of thing. Yeah. I had that as a toy. I don't know why. That was like the most <gasps> random figure I had as a kid. I used to play with that all the time. I, I used to pretend it was C-3PO. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I ran and I remember like the video game. There was a video game for like the Master System or the Mega Drive or something like that, where it was um you used to play that all the time because it was really hard. You you would drive like the speeder through Tatooine and you had to like I think there was like an asteroid chase. I think it combined all the movies into one or something like that. But um yeah, I just constantly watched it and watched it and watched it. And then that obviously led up to sort of that excitement when the prequels came out. So there was about that five-year period. I wouldn't say I was obsessed with it as, say, you were, but I definitely loved it, watched it a lot all the time. Dad and I would, you know, on a Saturday night, what are we going to watch? Cool, it's either going to be like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, a James Bond movie, or a Star Wars movie kind of growing up. It was one of them. So, yeah, it was it was just great. And it's sort of, you know, I, I remember that excitement around when the um, the special editions came out because it was like there was a, so many more merchandise things being released and all that. I think I got a bunch more sort of toys in that when that came out. Um, but yeah, I like it's just it is one of those movies I think that you do discover as a child and kind of just it just sticks with you and sort of this is one of those ones where you are jealous of your parents that they got to experience this. My mum, who was never really into mm-hmm. kind of action and sci-fi, she liked a period pieces, she liked a sort of a romantic movies, but even she said like, yeah, I saw Star Wars. Everyone saw Star Wars when it came out of the movies. Like that was the thing, and <laughs> she had a huge crush on Mark Hamill. So um, you know, little things like that, and she hadn't. I'd be very interested to see if it's still something that's still laying around in my dad's house. She had, like, the program that you bought with this movie. Because I've told you that with episode one, that you got that program with it. Like, they had one with this when it came out. And I know she had a copy of it. So, I'd love to know if she still got that. Because that would be a great keepsake to have. I love what you said about you're jealous of the parents. Because, I mean, 
I, I can't tell you how many parents, aunts, uncles I know, and they'll, they'll always when they, especially they know how big of a Star Wars family I am. Uh, family, <laughs> and also love how how many parents, <laughs> how many of my parents have told me. But you know, all these people that I know, you know, family members that are older than me, they know how big of a Star Wars fan I am. So they've all told me like, yeah, I remember seeing this in the theater, and I think I had an uncle that told me like, you know, he went to this. Uh, it was it was like the day that he saw this in the theater was the day that like one of my older cousins was born, and he didn't know about it until after the movie was over. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I was seeing Star Wars that day. Um, my dad was one of these weird. I mean, he died when I was eight, so. He introduced me to Star Wars, obviously, but he's one of these weird people that even if he was so interested in something, he would never actually get excited about it. And it wasn't until after he died that my mom told me, like, like he was really into Star Wars. Um, and uh, my mom, you know, she was like, uh, she got into it, you know, mo- mostly because I was watching it all the time later on, which is why she saw a lot of the prequels with me and everything. But um, her story for me was that... Uh, uh, when she was a teenager and this came out, you know, she, she sort of made it. it's like, yeah, I w- wasn't exactly the best kid ever. So I wasn't allowed to see this right away, but it was one of these things that was playing in the theaters forever. So basically by the end of the summer, that was when she was allowed to go see a movie and her and all of her friends went to go see Star Wars. And the only thing uh, she told me was the, the kind of the opposite of what your mom said. She says, yeah, we were all in the theater just ogling Harrison Ford and then just going on and on about what a loser Mark Hamill was. <laughs> uh, so th- I, we, we go back to Jurassic Park last year. You know, we, we drew the comparisons about, you know, in Jurassic Park 3, the Sam Neill conversation about, you know, uh, kids either want to grow up wanting to be an astronaut or an astronomer. And we said that's that's like Jurassic Park fans. You're either an Ian Malcolm guy, an astronaut, or you're an astronomer, you know, uh, an Alan Grant guy. And I said it's very similar to Star Wars. Like, there's not a lot of people who are, oh yeah, I like Luke and Han equally. It's like there's there are those people like, oh, Han's the best, and there's those people like Luke is the best. I mean, I was like the Luke kid, uh, and as a teenager, as an adult, everything. I mean, if I had to pick one character that would be my favorite movie character of all time, it would be Luke Skywalker. And funny enough, it's the whiny Luke here in A New Hope that was always my favorite. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know why. Maybe uh, maybe that's who I was growing up to. Oh, I want to go to the corner store to pick up a Slurpee. They're going to kill him. <laughs> but <laughs> better, and Ben's like, better them than me. <laughs> but uh, were you more of a Han Solo guy or a Luke Skywalker guy? Uh, I'd probably say Luke. Just... I don't know, I, I like the arc of Luke, like I like, I mean that's a lot of reason why I like Return of the Jedi, I just love how he is in Return of the Jedi and kind of he's just kind mm. of he's, what he turns into, so um, I mean I never dislike Han, it's kind of, I, I don't think I realised how popular and cool Han Solo was until I was older and started being around more fans of Star Wars, yeah. if that makes sense, so I think I was always Luke, but you know, in all fairness, I was probably team darth i always loved darth vader the most so mm. yeah that that i would say he's my favorite character in all of star wars is darth vader mm-hmm. um i guess we're, we i'm trying to think about any other stories that i knew growing up on pairs oh i had an uncle who uh, apparently was a huge star wars fan and uh like around the time these original movies came out him and again one of my older cousins this is a different one that you know, missed the birth of his child to see Star Wars. But uh, he um, had collected all these toys like when they were brand new. And my mom told me that he had like a room in their house where uh, 
like they had all the toys set up and he had like blacked out the windows. They had like a toy of a Millennium Falcon hanging from the ceiling. It was basically like a full space room. I'm like, man, I wish I could have seen that. Uh, I mean, that's what I would do if I had the time and money. I often <laughs> even said, we're just going on and on about like our, you know, fandom of Star Wars here, but I often said that like if I had unlimited funds, if there's one thing that I would want to do, is I would want to build a full replica of the Millennium Falcon, like interior and everything. Like that has always been my dream. If I could have a backyard with a full replica of the Millennium Falcon, full size, where you could go inside and walk around and there's the cockpit, that would be my dream. But I, I always envy that, you know, growing up that like you know, all these, I mean, we had action figures and everything, and obviously they continue to be around, but just being able to be there when this first came out. Uh, and also, what would it have been like to not know this? I mean, I was able to see The Empire Strikes Back very soon after Star Wars and not have everything spoiled for me. But what was it like to wait the four years? You know, we, we talked about in the Rogue One episode about one of the reasons that, you know, they, they show Vader in the, the flesh in Empire was because people assumed Darth Vader was black and George because of James Earl Jones and that George Lucas had to show no, it's going to make we don't want people to be confused later on when they have this visual of him. When he reveals himself as the father, sorry to spoil that if people haven't gotten there next what? week. Mallory, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, what would it have been like to know nothing about this? I mean, all of us have that experience of seeing the movie the first time, but we could watch the second one right away. And imagine waiting three years in between these movies. It just seems crazy. And this was a movie that never disappeared, too. And we can you know, see a movie now on DVD, Blu-ray and watch it over and over again. Or even it only takes a couple months till it comes out. I mean, there wasn't even home video at this point. And, you know, kind of just along with that story, what I was saying in the beginning, how this started as just Star Wars, the episode for a New Hope title only came in like a 1978 or 1979 re-release when George Lucas realized he could make a sequel. So like, were people thinking this is a standalone movie? Were people even thinking sequels at that point? Like, I, I really would, I'm encouraging people to start better podcasts and listen to other podcasts, but I would love to hear a podcast of people who are around in 77 and just cover what was this like at the time. Mildred. Mildred can come back from our 007 ones. Yeah, I think, Mildred. I'm, yeah, I mean, the impact and everything to this film and all that, because moviegoers, they're going to see these things, Mildred and all that in the 70s. Like, it just, it just was a different time to watch movies. We're so used to having a blockbuster like this at the cinemas every couple of weeks and kind of we expect this to be a thing. It's just a, it's not even a summer thing now. It's just a whole year that we are spoiled for choice for these movies. But, you know, we're what, two years removed from Jaws, which is often conceived as the first summer blockbuster. And, you know, we, we did 2001 A Space Odyssey a few years ago, um, or a year ago really, and kind of talked about the impact of that and, just visual effects and things like that when it when it came to you just imagine going into a movie theater and watching this for the first time and just being blown away you can see why it held up and kind of created what it's created because mm-hmm. it just it's insane to think about seeing that for the first time on screen because you think about what movies were at this point in history i mean we talked a lot about that during, you know, some of the earlier Bond films and kind of leading up. Like, it's all well and good now to laugh and think of some of the hammy production value and special effects, but just just thinking what people were used to back then. Because, again, also, like, as you said, it's not like when this movie was released six months later, you could just kind of pick it up on DVD and watch it to your heart's content. Like, yeah. that's why TV showings of movies back then were such a big ratings boost, because 
you didn't see a movie ever again, did you? After it was released at the cinema, it was just it was just unheard of. So, I think um, everyone knows the impact of Star Wars in pop culture and and cinema history. But um, I think that that is why, yeah, back to that whole jealousy comment of our parents. Like you just you think about it because I don't think that's something we'll ever experience again in in our lifetime yeah. because. What is there that can really do that? What What was the last film that really took that to a new level of of changing things up on that extent? So, un- like, until we have a fully virtual reality movie or something like that, I just I don't see it being a thing that can ever happen again. Well, yeah, like even if you look at Avatar, what ten years ago Avatar came out, and even though there had been three D movies prior to that, that was something like people were saying visually they'd never seen anything like it. That may come close, and if you look at the box office of Avatar. You know, it became the highest grossing film of all time, but it's still second to Star Wars when you take into adjusted grosses, or I think third, because Gone with the Wind's even higher than Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the biggest difference is Avatar came out, and nobody was saying the story was anything great. I mean, if anything, people were kind of saying the opposite. Like, the story of Avatar sucks, but go see it for the visuals. Here we have a movie that is the most visually spectacular thing anybody had ever seen, and story-wise, it completely revolutionized movies, and yet... George Lucas did it by his own admission, by simply copying everything that had been popular prior to this. You know, he went back to fairy tales. He went back to uh, like like you know, the the early Disney animated uh, movies and things like that. Like he went to adventure films, the movie serials of like the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, the the conception of this came about even through uh, you know, Akira Kurosawa, who's the Japanese director that really influenced George Lucas and Francis Copeland and so many other people, so much so that George Lucas and Francis Copeland in the 80s basically funded all of his movies just to give him a comeback, like on their own dollar, uh, with you know basically nothing for themselves in, in return. Uh, and Star Wars begins as kind of a sci-fi remake of a Kurosawa movie called The Hidden Fortress. Now, I- I'm assuming you've heard this story about the Kurosawa movie, but... Uh, I'm guessing because these are subtitled movies and you can't read that you've never seen The Hidden Fortress. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I often say, I think we talked about this in our top 50 movies of all time, didn't we? That any pre-1980 movie I will ever watch is yeah. got to be called Star Wars, <laughs> James Bond or Jaws. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it was 73. You know, George Lucas had had the idea for Star Wars prior to that. But 73 after American Graffiti makes it big. Uh, no, actually prior to that because... Um, before George Lucas made American Graffiti, he made a movie called THX 1138, which was his first movie. And obviously, the letters THX, you know, got uh, moved over to one of his companies. And then uh, 1138 became a number just synonymous with Lucasfilm. But that movie came out at a time when after Easy Rider hits in 1969, also changed movies just because it was the first movies really made by young people that made like millions upon millions of dollars and suddenly all the studios are like is this what we've been doing wrong these people are making a super low budget movie made by young people and young people are paying to see this let's just get a bunch of these young people to make movies for the studios so they offered this insane deal to uh, a production company called american zotrope that george lucas and francis Ford Coppola had come up with which was them and a bunch of other filmmakers and basically bought seven movies just with no questions asked THX 1138 was the first of those. Star Wars was supposed to be one of the others. And THX 1138, you know, you look back now and it's actually a really good movie, really innovative movie. At the time, the studio's like, nobody's going to understand this. So they almost completely shelved the movie, gave it very limited release. 
uh, put no effort into promoting it, and canceled the entire deal because they said, we don't get this one movie. And when you look at the movies they missed out on from that, one of them was Apocalypse Now, which was we talked about in Attack of the Clones was originally going to be George Lucas's movie, and the other was Star Wars. <laughs> so there was so little faith early on that not only Star Wars, that George Lucas could even be successful – that studio, a studio had this and passed it up just because they didn't get his first movie. You flash forward two years, Francis Ford Coppola had told him, make something this mainstream that people will like, make something funny. He makes American Graffiti. It becomes the most profitable film in history. And you still think there would be a massive bidding war for Star Wars. But I- I'm going to be uh, referencing a lot throughout this as far as we go with the history of Star Wars and the making of the movie. Uh, there's a really great podcast that uh, they've done several movies on. Uh, they're all titled Inside Something. So there was Inside the Exorcist, Inside Psycho, Inside Jaws, and then they did Inside Star Wars. Um, I've also read a couple of like George Lucas biographies. So there's a whole lot of history out there about this. I'm not going to go through it all. But uh, you know, this podcast, Inside Star Wars, if you listen to it, they basically cover it exactly the way it is, that even after the most profitable film in existence, America Graffiti, George Lucas had to basically beg for Star Wars to get made. And the only studio that would give it to him was giving it to him where he was essentially making no money. They gave him nothing, almost nothing up front, and he had no fees himself. And it was getting so close to making this movie, and they still would not greenlight the movie. So this thing was well into pre-production, and still it looked like it may never get made. And you look at what eventually came out of it, you know, the the most successful film of all time. Say whatever you want about, like— avengers or avatar but you have to take into account adjusted grosses if a movie cost three dollars for an admission you know however many decades ago when it cost twelve dollars now well a movie that makes a billion dollars now is nothing compared to a movie that makes you know uh however many hundreds of million dollars in 1977 so it's still like one of the most successful films ever made and arguably probably the most popular movie ever made but even when the studio had this thing i mean there was one guy at the studio that had faith in george lucas they made the movie. George Lucas showed it to a bunch of his filmmaking friends. There's a famous story where he had like Brian De Palma who would do the movie Carrie. Uh, he actually shared casting with George Lucas. So John Travolta came in to audition for both Star Wars and Carrie at the exact same time. Both directors looked at him and you know Brian De Palma said, I'll take this guy for Carrie. Mark Hamill comes in to audition for Carrie and Star Wars at the same time. George Lucas says, I'll take him for Star Wars. That's basically how it went about uh, but Brian De Palma was there, France Ford Coppola, um, all these other directors. He shows them an early screen in the movie, and they're all sitting around a table afterwards saying, like, oh, that was so stupid. George, I'm so sorry. Maybe you can fix it. And one guy has faith in this, and that's Steven Spielberg, who says, I think this is not only going to go on and become a big hit, but he bet something like $10,000 with uh, – it might have been Brian De Palma or uh, somebody like that – and says, this will actually outgross Jaws. And it's fine, mm. I'll take that bet. And you look what happens. You know, It becomes the highest grossing film in history. Uh, so, so little faith in this movie from the studio. The people making the movie, nobody thought anything would come of this. You know, Alec Guinness was uh, so non-cooperative on set because he's, oh, why did I sign on for this? You know, Mark Hamill has told stories about even when he was auditioning for this thing. He's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen <laughs> But yet it comes out being so brilliant. And I think I'm going to spend a lot of time defending George Lucas even as we continue on. We've done the prequels. I've done enough of that. But even with the others, just for how much of a visionary he is and how 
people criticize him because he's like, oh, he's not a director of actors. He's a director who works in the editing room. Yeah, but look what he made of it. Early cuts of this movie are disastrous for his best friends are mocking the movie to him. And yet somehow in post-production, he pulls out this masterpiece that goes on to be nominated for Best Picture, becomes the most popular film of all time, and years later is sold for billions upon billions of dollars. I love hearing stories like that where kind of things are looked down on, they're going to be the success, because you always think about these other movie studios and people who turned it down. I mean, that's very similar. A lot of things in history, like I know that was very similar with J.K. Rowling. Didn't she go through like how many publishing places mm-hmm. before finally somebody took a chance with her on Harry Potter? So uh, all these people and listeners who don't listen to the Oz Network one day when we're as big as Star Wars and Harry Potter, you- you're going to be ruining the day that you didn't listen to us because we're the next big thing. So, you know, that's... I have hope, 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 hope um, <laughs> that this is going to happen one day. But in all seriousness, yeah, like it's it's great to kind of hear these stories and everything about how it all came about because, you know, just back to what I was saying about how kind of movies were different back then and, and even, you know, we talked about that with our Moonraker episode on 007, download now, that kind of space was the thing in the late 70s, but prior to this, you know, it was more of a sub-genre, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't really a Mm -hmm. a mainstream genre, the sci-fi space sort of, um, you know, style of movie. So... Yeah, it's it's crazy. It it really is crazy. And I mean, Mallory, this was the first time she'd watched it, and you know, it's kind of it's it's fun to be able to sit with someone who's never seen this before because it is a movie that you generally assume everyone's seen. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. when somebody says they haven't seen Star Wars, like what? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's um it's exciting. Do you, do you ever think we we're going to get to this day where we were going to be covering this and actually do it? I I, I wasn't (laughs) sure we would go on this long Um, but at at the same time like I think we've mentioned this several times already one of the reasons it's taken us this long cover Star Wars I think was just delaying because we knew this would be the most massive thing we've ever done it was almost like a freight like oh we're going to have to do a new hope how are we going to get through this which is why I say maybe this is going to be six seven hours we're prepared for it one way or the other it's not like we record for an hour and then we take a break for a couple days and then we come back a few days later and pick up like nothing happened never would we do that never (laughs) these are like marathon recording sessions but um one other thing i wanted to add just in the history of um making this movie kind of what i was saying about how little faith there was the most famous story about you know um i guess george lucas and the rights to this movie is that he basically turned down you know several fees of his own for making because obviously he's the producer writer and director and he asked for the only thing in return would be he wanted sequel rights and he wanted merchandising rights. And at this time, merchandising was nothing. I mean, you can find some toys out there like, you know, for other franchises like James Bond, Planet of the Apes, uh, you know, before this came out. But it still wasn't like a billion dollar industry or anything like that. But George Lucas knew I, I have something here that nobody's making. It's kid friendly. So kids will want to buy it. But it's adult entertainment, and it'll be just as entertaining for adults. And then the sequels, you know, I don't think he 100% knew when we get to Empire and Jedi, we'll kind of, you know, dig through what the early ideas were that actually survived and what things kind of were made up as he went along. But he knew he wanted to make this larger story because the script was written as one script. And in the end, I'd say probably, you know, maybe 60 to 70% of what is in A New Hope is still in that original script, but it was a lot of the bigger stuff later on 
the training to become a Jedi and the showdown with the Emperor uh, that had to be saved for other movies because he realized it was too big to do at once. So he, it's not like it's one of these things where they cut down, oh, I'm just going to take the first third of this script. I mean, he, he literally just said, I'm going to save some of this later stuff and I'm going to focus on what the primary story is here. Uh, but he knew he wanted to retain those rights and he gave up his fees it, when it was coming down the wire. Like I was saying that he, um, he didn't have a full deal in place. They basically had an option on this. They said, we'll pay you this much and we'll hopefully strike a deal later on. But George Lucas was in pre-production. He had put together industrial light and magic on his own. That's why it's his own visual effects company because they didn't pay him visual effects. They said, if you want to develop this, You've got to do this. And he had to hire all these guys, these concept designers and these visual effects people. He had to find a way to make it work before there was even ink on the paper that said, we will make this movie. And it got to the point where he's like, I've invested every dollar I own in this movie. He's coming off of the most financially successful film in history, American Graffiti. He's investing every dollar he has. He's down to nothing. And he says, I need a final deal for this. And they're going back on it saying, we're, we're going to cut your budget. We're going to do this and this and this. And he says, I'll accept all of that. All I want is, you know, they're assuming he's going to say more money. And he says, I want the sequel rights. I want the merchandising rights. And in the end, they basically say, fine, that's all you want. Like, we thought you were going to ask for like another $10,000 or something. <laughs> and what ends up being more profitable than the movie itself the sequels and the merchandising. So <laughs> I, I just, I, I, people will knock George Lucas so much just because say he's bad at dialogue. They don't like what he did, the prequels and stuff like that. I mean, as far as a businessman goes, he's probably the smartest guy to ever work in the movie industry. Um, have you read anything about George Lucas and the development of these movies? Not as, I mean, that involves reading, Colin. Have they made a movie about him? Yeah. Um, or heard, mean, have you heard the Inside Star Wars podcast? I, I saw him on a cameo appearance on the OC. Um, does that count? <laughs> um, no, I, I, I mean, I look, I, I know bits and pieces. I've watched, you know, special editions on the DVDs and things like that back in the day, but, uh, no, I don't know as, as much as maybe I should. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit more about the Hidden Fortress because, Everybody kind of knows this started as a sci-fi remake of The Hidden Fortress. I always assumed that it would be, you know, oh, I'll see this similarity here and there. There are shots in Star Wars that if you watch The Hidden Fortress, George Lucas took the entire shot. The characters of 3P and R2 are basically there's the same two characters in The Hidden Fortress that are, you know, the, one tall guy skinny, one short guy fat. They're always bickering. There's even scenes where they're walking through, you know, the, the desert and arguing with each other, and they eventually come across this princess. The early scripts for Star Wars, a lot of stuff was different. Uh, primarily, Luke and Obi Wan were at one point essentially one character, and I had the chance to read the uh, first draft of the Star Wars uh, at one point, and they have um, since made that into a comic book. Uh, I don't know if it was the very first draft, but one of the early drafts of the Star Wars, they uh, released as a comic book last year, I think um, Marvel did, and they adapted that original screenplay, and you can see some of the things that are just wildly different in it, but uh, it, it is cool if anybody ever has a chance, even if you don't watch the whole movie, just look at some of the clips online, like a side-by-side -side comparison of the Hidden Fortress and Star Wars, and you'll see, like, George Lucas, it's not like he, you know, completely turned around movies just by coming up with this original idea, he put this science fiction spin on stuff that had been done a million times before, but people had kind of just forgotten. I think 
the success of Star Wars had so much to do with being the right movie at the right time. And like you said, Jaws was a you know first summer blockbuster, but the movie industry at this point was still very dark. You know, it, The Godfather was obviously a big one. The Godfather is pretty tame in comparison to stuff like Taxi Driver and everything that was out. So absolutely like the right movie at the right time. And uh, I don't think it, it matters whatever area you're watching it in. But just again, going back to if you were alive in the 70s, just how different this would be. It's just insane. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, you know, it's it's one of those periods of like movies and again, like, because you think about it, you have Jaws and Star Wars within two years of each other. Um and in terms of at least changing the the way movies are released and what people expect from movies, you know, that that's a huge shift. And obviously that's a whole other episode going through, you know, the most significant films in history. I know you kind of talked a little bit about that during our uh, 50 movies ranking that kind of that probably came down more to personal opinion rather than what are literally the greatest movies of all time. But, um, mm. you know, I think just kind of in today's, culture and sort of how we consume movies it, i mean it, it changed everything completely changed everything because you know we 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 just we just don't know anything different nowadays do we like i mean we we get mm-hmm. three star wars movies in the space of four years based purely on you know it brings in the green you know it brings in the dollar um it's it's you know all that quantity of money over the quality of the film a lot of the time anyway that's a whole other kettle of fish but um i think the fact too that you know, 42 years removed from this film. And y- there are a few films, I think, that kind of have that... I mean, very few films that have that cultural impact that 42 years later you can sit here and watch it and still just have that that wow factor of watching this film. And, and like, again, all jokes aside, I'm not a huge fan of older movies, but I can watch this. And I, I would gladly watch the original version. I think we've, we've both watched one of the special editions. I mean, there's been about 20 of them released since 1997 now. Mm. But, um, you know, I grew up on that original one without the changes. I'm not one of these purists who believe that's how it should be. I like a lot of the changes that uh, George Lucas mm-hmm. has done. I think it improves it. Um, but... I don't know where I'm going with this point. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is that um, Star Wars rocks, okay? Like, just, just shut up! It's, it's a good movie! Star <laughs> <laughs> rocks! It's going to be great. Looking forward to it. So, like I said, this movie comes out in 77, and it is not titled Episode 4, A New Hope, although that was kind of George Lucas's intention. Um, it wasn't his intention, though, because he always thought he would go back and do episodes one, two, and three. I mean, obviously, we all know now, like, in in writing this original script, which, you know, we see 60% of it in uh, what is eventually be- going to become A New Hope. We see the rest of it in what would become Empire and Jedi. He had written these backstories of what would happen, you know, uh, what led the characters here. But he didn't necessarily think he would ever do those movies. But the idea of titling it episode four, he wanted from the beginning because... A, this was modeled after those classic movie serials. And movie serials, if people don't know, was pre-television. You know, you would go to a movie theater, like kids would go to a movie theater, adults would go to a movie theater, and spend a whole afternoon there. There would be one movie, in between movies, they would show a cartoon, they would show a movie serial as kind of like an intermission in between the first feature and the second feature. And if you went back to that movie theater the next week, they would have another adventure in that same story. Usually it'd be 10 to 15 parts and about 10, 15 minutes long at the same time. So 
if you're there on January 1st, they're showing episode one of this movie serial. You go there January 8th, they're showing episode two. And the idea was to get people back into the theaters week after week, regardless of what movies might be showing. Uh, George Lucas kind of combined the idea of when he saw the Kurosawa movies. He was so fascinated with like this Japanese culture that Kurosawa never took the time to explain for American audiences. So as an American, he was watching this thing like, I don't understand what these samurais are doing. I don't understand the history or the rules. But he was fascinated by being dropped into this universe as he saw it where he didn't understand what came before it. Why are these people acting this way? What is the hierarchy? What is like the, the royalty like? And it was just, okay, you just got to pick it up as you go along, or it's just part of your imagination. Combining that with, he said, when you would go to these movie serials, sometimes you wouldn't be there for the first two episodes, and you'd drop in, and it would be episode three or episode four, and that opening crawl or whatever they would have would describe what happened prior to that. And he wanted audiences to be kind of confused and to feel like they were in that. So the idea was to always call it episode four just to copy what those movie serials did but also to go along with that concept of i'm not going to tell you the whole i'm not going to explain everything about what the empire is here or the senate or how the rebels got their stolen plans <laughs> which we talked about last week uh he just wanted confusion from the audience but he wanted to be like make it up in your own imagination so originally this was titled star wars and then the episode four he eventually was able to add later on because by the time he made empire he could do whatever he wanted so he's like i'm gonna make these match but let's get to it the opening crawl all this sounds very familiar here. Let's go through this. Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope, or just Star Wars. Dun, 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 stunning! Uh, <laughs> stunning! War! <laughs> it is a period of civil war. Uh, rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star! Death Star! An, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Um, that's the opening crawl. That <laughs> seems like the plot of Rogue One. Uh, so much so that like when we were talking about this last week and you know, saying like, oh, yeah, this was just to fill in the gaps. I didn't I don't even think I realized, even though I could probably recite the opening crawls by heart to you. I didn't realize that they literally took the entire opening crawl and said, that's our entire movie. That's Rogue One right there. Um, now, after this, we obviously get maybe the most famous single shot in movie mm -hmm. history and without a doubt, the most famous visual effect shot of all time. You know, this pan up through space, you see a planet. And then the giant ship roaring towards him. You see the one ship, which is Princess Leia's ship. And then this Star Destroyer that just goes on and on and on forever. And again, I can tell you what it was like seeing this the first time. And I wasn't sure what I was seeing. I'm like, is that a building? You know, <laughs> is this you know some type of space station? But just this one ship that just kept going and going and going. I mean, it, it's not only is it visually so stunning and brilliant, regardless of what special effects look like, you could do this with CGI, you could do this with models. It's just such a cool idea that this ship keeps going and it's just, you know, the casting a shadow over everything and you mix the sound effects in there as well. Um, but you just add to that just the story, the fact that like, how do you set up this empire as being so indestructible? How do you make these guys underdogs from the beginning? Let's have their ship be able to swallow about, you know, 39 of Princess Leia's ships in one gulp um and obviously after that 
one massive shot. I mean, there was no way they were ever going to top that. We kind of got an episode three. They did something similar with like the long tracking shot, but like this, this has to be the greatest shot before we even talk about the movie. Do you think this is the greatest shot in movie history? Is there anything that tops this? I mean, Natalie Portman getting a shirt ripped in Attack of the Clones <laughs> is a pretty great scene in movie history. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, no, I think it, it would be. I mean, it's just, it just goes back to that shock and awe of people experiencing this in the cinemas and just, just not knowing what to expect. And I think kind of everyone watching this for the first time, I mean, Mallory, anyone who knows, has never seen them, knows Star Wars has an opening crawl. Like, there's just these things that you know about things. Like, there are many movies that I have not seen. I've never seen a Rocky movie. I've never seen a Godfather movie. You know, I fell asleep in the Lord of the Rings movies, but I at least know enough of what they're famous for that I will know what I'm going to expect. And this is one of those things. But I think kind of it's... It's just so cleverly done the way you sort of have the, the, the crawl to just trans, you know, pan down to this ship getting swallowed and just the music, the way it kind of, you know, you have that theme and the dun 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 and then just, you know, the sound effects and you hear that pew, pew, mm. just oh. everything about it. Like you were, you were talking about how you just kind of, you dropped into this sort of four episodes in and sort of whatever you're just, and that's the experience. I think you know, taking away what we talked about Rogue One and that and Solo a couple of weeks ago. Like, I mean, these are things that don't need to be explained. This is what makes this movie so good is that you feel like you're dropped into a universe, a world that there's so many bigger things happening that we don't need to know everything. We don't need everything explained. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what this opening shot does so well, because as you said, it's kind of just like this giant ship swallowing another ship. And you're just like, wow, this is, this is incredible. And this shot still 42 years later, sure. They've enhanced it a little bit Mm -hmm. with, you know, the changes, but it still looks bloody amazing. It's incredible. Um, And just the fact that it starts off so intense, like, even the James Bond movies, I mean, there's a huge difference between um, – I, I think that they've simplified the Daniel Craigs a little bit. But if you look at something like Quantum of Solace or Casino Royale, you know, those movies start off very fast-paced. It's always like we need an action sequence every 10, 15 minutes. That's modern movie making. 77, that's not the way it was. I mean, The Spy Who Loved Me would have an hour of story before you had a real action sequence. And that was all action movies at that point. So to start this – with something like so fast paced and so exciting, I mean, that's one of the things right there why people would go back to this over and over again. I mean, there had never been something so exciting before. And that's something that I think that gets lost now just because this movie feels so modern now. But imagine again what it was like in 77. <laughs> and can I just add um, that, um, you know, uh, what, 40 years later, the uh, the newest Star Wars movie would open with a Yamama joke. So, um, yeah. <laughs> that's how far oh, we came, we people. Get there. Thanks, Ryan Johnson. You, you, you <laughs> fucking idiot. Um. Uh, so really the first characters we get introduced to, I mean, we see a lot of this chaos on the ship with people you know, taking their stations and stuff like that. Uh, I love this whole opening even more now having seen Rogue One. I mean, we talked mm-hmm. about that last week, being able to watch these two back to back. Even if you don't, just knowing what preceded this, I mentioned at the end of Rogue One, when you see these guys' faces – Probably it's just something subconsciously that, you know, I'm picking up on. But, like, you look at them as if they have more fear now. Like, oh, they're coming for us. You know, those guys who are racing through the doors at the end of Rogue One. It just makes the sequence so much better. Uh, but the first characters are introduced to th- 3PO and R2, which George Lucas' intention, again, from the beginning was much like the Hidden Fortress. He wanted the story to be told from the point of view of the two lowest characters. The ones who really have no significance. They're not even human, but it's told from their point of view. So 3PO and R2 
are the first ones to get introduced to not even human characters again 77 would this be laughed at like you don't know there's so many things that go into this like they had to have the effects right you really do have to appreciate like george lucas flying by the seat of his pants not knowing if any of this would look right not knowing if it would sound right and he's like i'm gonna start my movie with two robots i mean i've seen movies years after this that use robots and it looks terrible uh, there's a movie Disney made called The Black Hole a couple years later, and it's like, well, it's okay, but it's still cheesy. But, like, you immediately accept 3PO and R2 as being full human characters. And I think that's something else you got to give George Lucas credit for. I mean, he never filmed them like, this is a robot. Let me show off all the gadgets and gizmos. It's just a guy standing there, and there's something just static enough about it that you believe it's a robot, but just enough personality that you get, you know, you know that th- there's some character to it. I mean, that has to be Anthony Daniels, too. I mean, I'm going to pick out some things throughout this movie here where you can see the original intention but obviously everybody knows now like george lucas originally wanted c3po to be like a fast talking used car salesman and there are definitely parts of the movie where you could see that but he didn't want to use anthony daniel's voice because he sounded like a british butler (laughs) and what eventually happens is that he can't find he gets good people in there like very famous voiceover artists who can't do it right who somehow can't match it and somebody eventually says you know the guy who does the 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 voice inside the suit there it's not bad for the character it's just there's something with the way anthony daniels moved that nobody could match and you think about how different this movie would be if they didn't have anthony daniels voice in the character i mean obviously the character itself would have been completely different uh because it would have been british or sophisticated and it wouldn't have been as snotty too i mean because c-3po is introduced here basically immediately verbally abusing rar2 i mean prior to that i guess the very first thing is his first line is did you hear that they shut down the main reactor which i made a note this time like i'm not hearing any type of noise here like how what does the sound of a a reactor shutting down sound like i mean that's not the (laughs) we're hearing uh but um he's gonna be like we're gonna be destroyed for sure like there's so many things about c-3po's character i love and i love more the more time goes on just there's this panickiness of him. He's always like, oh, no, we'll all be destroyed. We're, he's even immediately jumping into, we're doomed. There'll be no escape for the princess this time. Like, he's got such a defeated attitude, and it's such a different character from what we saw in episodes 1, 2, and 3. And I remember at the time being kind of disappointed in episodes 1, 2, and 3, thinking, like, we never really got 3PO, other than a little bit in Attack of the Clones. We never got the 3PO that we grew up on. And then I realized that's the point. Mm. Like, that's what leaves in your imagination what happened to this guy in between there what really happened is that he was designed to be a butler and he ends up having to be a servant you know programming moisture evaporators and uh load lifters (laughs) for the rebellion and never being let in on the plan and let's also not forget episode three ends with have the protocol droids memory wiped Mm -hmm. but not r2s so now you watch this after episodes one, two, and three, and you're thinking R two knows everything that's going on here. When he, he hears people referring to Lord PTSD. Vader, he's he's yeah. you know but the whole time really he's crazy. trying to say like this this is Darth Vader's daughter uh, daughter Leia Leia shut up R two yeah well you gotta wonder like I think if we went back and really watched episode three one two and three from R 2s point of view I'm pretty sure George Lucas has covered enough things that like R two probably would say. That Darth Vader was Anakin, but he probably, I'm, I'm guessing he was never present in a scene where anybody referred to him as Darth Vader, so maybe he wouldn't know. Well, but you just think about all the things he does know, and like, has R2 been telling stories to 3PO for all these years? Like, 
that guy who made us Anakin. I don't remember anybody making me named Anakin. <laughs> didn't <laughs> and he's didn't, like, no, seriously. <laughs> didn't they deliberately avoid having scenes with Obi Wan and R two so that when Obi Wan <laughs> says, "Funny, I don't remember owning a droid," like, didn't they deliberately go out of their way to make sure they didn't yeah. really have scenes together? And that's why R two is always with Anakin and not Obi Wan. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even when you get to Episode three, I don't even remember if we mentioned it or not, but. Despite the fact that 3PO was designed by Anakin, you know, in Episode 3, it's very clear 3PO is Padme's droid and R2 is Anakin's droid, you know, so that there wouldn't be any type of recognition or anything like because obviously the main interactions that you would see in Episode 5 would be 3PO and Vader. Uh, but at the same time, there's, you know, something that has to be considered. We'll get to this when we get to the Obi-Wan scene, but like droids are just appliances in the Star Wars galaxy. <laughs> so would anybody really remember? Uh, but anyways, 3PO and R2 bickering right away. There'll be no escape for the princess this time. Uh, what's that? We This is where we officially see the ship swallowed whole. And then we see that door breaking down with the sparks coming around. And another really smart decision was just not showing the Empire because we mentioned at the end of Rogue One, like the Darth Vader costume, the helmet, was designed because in the original script, the Stormtroopers and Vader were basically going to float through space and land on the outside of the ship and cut their way through. It wasn't like a corridor connecting their ships. And the helmet was designed just for that space flight scene. They liked the look of it so much they kept it. But it actually works so much more effectively in this big special effects movie that you're hearing about the Empire, uh, you know, uh, well, you're not even here. You're reading about the Empire in the opening crawl. You're, you know, seeing this giant ship swallow them whole. You're hearing 3PO talk about we're all doomed. And you're still not seeing who these people are. And then just the door bursts open. Stormtroopers, smoke everywhere, blaster bolts. uh, And I love... Again, not just looking at it now with, um, oh, there's the look of fear on the rebels' faces. Uh, but also, as we talked about, like these stormtroopers can't hit anything. Uh, they're killing a couple people in this opening scene. So uh, I think their marksmanship was kind of at its peak here at the beginning of A New Hope because they're definitely killing more people than they will in the rest of the series. Uh, and then uh, as the battle kind of continues, 3PO and R2 are running across the hallway and blasts are flying everywhere. Uh, we get the entrance of Vader. So talking about, you know, iconic moments that will ever be topped, I don't know if any character, at least in Star Wars, or I'm trying to think about if any character ever has as good of an introduction as this. Characters that have these epic introductions are usually reserved for, this is a character we know well. You know, like if you're watching an Avengers movie, oh, here's the first appearance of the Hulk. Everybody knows the Hulk before you see the movie. Nobody knew what Vader was at this point, but it's like they pause on him. And this is one of those things that after seeing even just the Phantom Menace the first time, I talked about how when I saw Vader in A New Hope the day after watching the Phantom Menace, I looked at Vader a little differently. Mm -hmm. But that's when I started picking up on the way the characters are introduced. Because I think we talked about in Episode 3 as well whether Han would have been in that movie. And I said... If you look at the way all the characters are introduced in A New Hope, the ones who pre-existed in the story are introduced as if they pre-existed in the story. The ones that didn't are like, let's pause on this person. And Vader's a perfect example. He walks into this room or this corridor as if everybody's jaw is supposed to drop and be like, oh, it's Darth Vader. you know. And it's just it's the perfect introduction to his character. And you hear the breathing right away. I mean, I can't even tell you, you know, what I thought the breathing was at the time, but it's just it's something that just added this sinister sound to Vader, like a soundtrack to a character. Like you don't want to hear gears grinding like you do with 3PO. It's just I love that you said that Vader was your favorite character because like ultimately 
there is nobody in this movie, even if you are a Luke fan, a Han fan, nobody talks how iconic Vader is and how perfect everything about Vader is. Um, while this is happening and Vader is boarding the ship, we see Princess Leia. She's, uh, uh, I guess, 3PO's looking for her. She's kind of in the shadows there. And she's feeding something into R2. We don't even know what this is yet. Uh, Leia walks away as 3PO's just kind of looking, what's that over there? Comes up to R2. He's basically saying, like, you know, um, they're, they're coming. They're going to deactivate you for sure. And R2's trying to get away. And he, he's saying, you'll be sent to the Spice Mines of Kessel. Smash into <laughs> who knows what. Which we've now seen in Solo. Uh, R2 is trying to go into the escape pod, and 3P doesn't want to go. There's a little bit of explosion, so as a coward, again, so many layers to 3PO's character, 3PO dives in there with R2, escape pod jettisons, and you see a couple of the Imperial guards who are just like, oh, there goes another one. They're, they're hold your fire, there's no life forms aboard. Again, I can remember seeing this the first time, and like, gasping, like, oh, they're gonna shoot them! Like, it, I had barely know these characters, and I'm seeing that. And then you see that really cool shot from 3PNR2's perspective as, like, it's spitting in space, and he, the damage doesn't look as bad from out here. Uh, they're spiraling towards Tatooine. As this is going on, on the ship, um, uh, oh, I guess, did we get uh, them landing for... Whatever, I'll just cover the 3PNR2 stuff first, and then I'll go back, because uh, these scenes cut all over the place. So 3PNR2, they land on Tatooine, um, and 3PO's complaining already uh, about his uh, joints being frozen, and uh, he's got to rest. Why? Because he's got sand in all of his gears, and sand <laughs> is coarse and rough and irritating, <laughs> and in 3PO's case, it literally gets everywhere. Uh, we get more of their bickering here as R2 wants to go one way, 3PO wants to go another. Uh, I love the R2 insults. Uh, like where he said, don't call me, call me a mindless philosopher, you overweight glob of grease. Like, he's fat shaming R2 here. And it's so funny. Like, this is one of these things where you look at it slightly differently now because it's so much in the public eye with like, you know, being verbally abusive and, and bullying. And like, 3PO is the biggest bully in, in the history of movies. He is a flat out abusive boyfriend to R2. Uh, not necessarily gay robots, but let's just call it the way it is here. Like, <laughs> All this stuff, as soon as I had that into my head when he called him an overweight glob of grease, I'm like, oh, that would be called fat shaming now. I watched the entire movie differently now. I was in like, man, 3PO, like the, the media would rip this apart today. Like you'd never be able to get uh, – you'd never be able to get away with this now. Uh, they just get separated. Um, we'll go back to the ship here uh, a second. I'm probably all over the place. Uh, so – I do have to wonder when Leia hid the plans in R2, was that just the first droid she found? Or did she know that R2 was the one? To, I'm going to trust this droid because my father said he never wiped his memory or something like that. Or did he just say, hey, it's a droid. Let me put this plan. What if 3PO had been the first droid she found? He would have been like, uh, yes, ma'am. And then he turns away. It's like, all right, let's get out of here, R2. <laughs> Screw these plans. <laughs> oh, oh, where are you putting that? Oh, don't put it there. Oh, oh, me too. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give you permission to touch me there. Yeah, you do not have consent, ma'am. <laughs> um, we get the first meeting with Vader and Leia here, which, again, a lot of people have, like, called this a flaw, too, where they say, like, oh, well, how did Vader not sense that was his daughter? I mean, he couldn't sense her in Return of the Jedi. I mean, that was spelled out even in the original trilogy. So this never bothers me now, but it is cool to rewatch this think, like, Leia doesn't know this is her father. He doesn't know this is his daughter. And you almost, like, she even says, like, Darth Vader, like, only you could be so bold. 
like they have a history here too, the way that Obi Wan and General Grievous did at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. And I just like to theorize what all their stories were. She mentions the Imperial Senate here. And again, something you look at completely differently after watching episodes one, two, and three. And then we had the mention in Rogue One as well. Like the Senate's still a thing here. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the intention as well. If you ever have a chance to read the, um, I know Ben won't, but the novelization of A New Hope, the, uh, the novelization that actually came out before the movie did has like a foreword, uh, that it's, Basically, the first chapter is dedicated to the history of the galaxy, and some of the stuff has obviously changed since then. You can tell that Palpatine, the Emperor, and the Sith Lord were originally probably two separate characters. But all the history is there about, you know, the the corrupt politicians and, like, the Senate was a bigger part of the background here. But you view that differently, too, when you're like, the, the Imperial Senate, you know, like, the, they won't sit still for this. Uh, he's talking about, you know, you're a rebel spy. I want to know what happened to those plans they sent you. Uh, she says, you know, I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. And he goes, you're part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. <laughs> and I just love him freaking, take her away. Uh, that's like take the her tuck. away. Yeah, I was going to say, like, take her away. But, uh, yeah, even just the idea of Leia being a real rebel spy. Like, she is a very famous senator and she's part of this rebel alliance. Things you view completely differently. Um, and also, I want to throw this in really quickly. Somebody was reading this to me this past week about you know movies that would be ended in a second if just the first scene were changed. Mm-hmm. And I was saying like, imagine if like a New Hope. It's like uh, uh, I want to know what happened to the plans they sent you. It's in that droid right there. Thank you. <laughs> the movie's just over. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's um, all down to those two guys who are like, you know, hold your fire, there's no life forms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just reminds me of the Family Guy episode where it's like, but how do you know they're not hidden in there? Just, just no, let's not blow it up. So, then, so the other guy blows it up and then the guy who told him not to was like, Jenkins, can I see you in my office for a moment, please? And they're like, yeah. ooh, he's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, that's um, not that's not Family Guy. Sorry, that's how it should have ended. That's how it should have ended. Video. I got my wires crossed, but yeah, just like that 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 ends Star Wars right there. Like that ends Star Wars. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I also love the scene with Vader walking with that Imperial guy. Who's again? You would never see this. I think this is the one thing that uh, I appreciate this movie for, despite what's changed. Because if you look at Rogue One, like when Krennic goes to Vader, he's like, "Oh, it's Vader." All these guys act as if they don't know what Vader's capable of. So I like some of the backdrop here. It's like, uh, holding her is dangerous. <laughs> this something says dangerous. Too. If word of this gets out, it could generate sympathy for the rebellion. Uh, just the fact that Vader has like this really corny, like, there will be no one to stop us this time. <laughs> uh, Vader's so great. Uh, but I love that little argument. Uh, and then 3P and R2 as they get separated. Uh, 3PO is talking about R2 tricked me into going this way again. It's like everything's R2's <laughs> fault. Such a verbally abusive boyfriend. Uh, and <laughs> he gets, what's that? A transport. I'm saved. Over here. Uh, I-, I like the, some of the little details in the background. Like you see the carcass of what looks like some type of sand skeleton, like sand worm skeleton or something behind 3PO. And we don't even see what happens to 3PO. We see R2 in the desert. You know, he's uh, going through, like, this rock corridor. And there's this whispers in there. And those are the Jawas, obviously. The Jawas jump out. You get those cool glowing eyes. I remember seeing that the first time. And just be like, oh, these creatures. I've never seen anything like it before. Like, And, again, it, it could have looked really cheesy, but it doesn't. 
And just the idea of the Jawas is really fun to me. Like th- these, they're basically like I don't know what would you even consider them—a pirate scavengers. Like they just steal things, and I love the reputation that they develop. If you pay attention to these movies well enough, they stun R two. They take him inside the little ship. It obviously takes R two a little while to come to. When he's in there, he sees three PO. It's like R two D two. It is you. It is you. <laughs> we totally get gay vibes off three PO, right? Oh, well, I mean, I think it's long established that this is the first major gay couple in Hollywood. So, you know, yeah. I think good good for That's them. The, uh, the the Star Wars episode that I think Mark Hamill appeared in, the, the Comic-Con one. It's like, <laughs> see the robots from Battlestar Galactica take on the gay robots from Star Wars. <laughs> I just wanted there to be a line after Solo, like, how would that work? Trust me, it works. Yeah, it works. <laughs> um, but uh, we get a couple of shots of, like, the Jawa Sandcrawlers here. The Stormtroopers on Dubaks, this is one of those special edition additions that nobody actually talks about, but it's like, it's actually pretty cool because all we saw in the original is like very far in the background, you can see what looks like the shadow of a Stormtrooper on a Dubak and its head kind of turning. But here we actually get to see him riding on the Dubak, which is really cool. Uh, and uh, I-, I love when the guy is going through the ship, he's like, the tracks go off this way, and he picks up the bull, looks are droids. Like, is this... A- uh, the bolt couldn't have come from anything else. Like an escape pod has no bolts in it. <laughs> of all the look, sir, droids, a protocol. If I see right, <laughs> licks it, and it's like a three PO unit. It's about a taste of things. About um, thirty-two years old, built yeah. by <laughs> Darth Vader. What? What? Engraved here with all my love, your master Anakin. What? <laughs> uh, P.S. Don't let Shmi destroy me. <laughs> and I guess we'll kind of uh, cap it off here with the uh, introduction to Luke. And uh, one of the special – there's some of these special edition additions that I'm not such a fan of. I think it was in the Blu-ray one when the Sandcrawler, Jawa Sandcrawler, comes to a stop. It, it always was 3PO. It just stops and 3PO bangs R2 in the head and, again, smack him around. Now he's physically abusive too. Uh, he's like, wake up, wake up. But then they added this thing of 3PO saying, we stopped. Like, was that necessary, George? Like, I'll I'll back you on many things. But I don't think the audience understands the thing came to a stop. I need 3PO (laughs) to say, stopped, and then wake up, wake up. Um, But uh, when they open the doors, they're all just ushered out there. They're kind of like slave traders here. And uh, we get Owen walking towards the thing, just talking to a jaw. Again, Owen's introduced like people being like, oh, that might be Uncle Owen. But then Luke here gets, like, the hero's introduction as if it's almost like the way they even say Luke as if you're supposed to know who Luke is. And you get, like, the, the Star Wars theme playing the first one. Like, and that really cool shot of, like, the courtyard in the, the homestead there where Luke's looking down. It's like, tell Uncle if he gets a droid, be sure it's being watched. Like, is Uncle suffering from memory loss? Like, well, how they have many times aged a sh- lot, haven't they? I mean, they've aged a lot oh, in 20 years. <laughs> but, like, I, I imagine the conversation throughout the day of uh, Brew over and over again. It's like, so make sure it speaks botchy. And it's like, I heard you the first time, Peru. <laughs> so now she's like, I'm going to tell, tell Uncle, be sure it speaks botchy. And I wonder if Luke went up there and he's like, uh, and Peru wanted me to remind you. I know, I know. Be sure it speaks botchy. Like, you don't have to nag me, Peru. I'm trying to steal it here. <laughs> Can't you see how stressed I am? I've aged 50 years in 20 years because of your inconsiderate points you make every five seconds, woman. Shut up. 
I'd still look handsome like Joel Edgerton if it wasn't for your nagging woman. <laughs> we got it. Fauci, uh, calm down. <laughs> and Owen never asks him either. <laughs> so, like, Luke and Owen both failed here. And do we wonder, like, do they go back there and it's like, all right, Baru, we got those droids you wanted. Does it speak Bocce? Oh, man. <laughs> Take it back. Yeah, well, I guess he does ask him, can you speak Bocce? Yeah, so that's what the oh, nagging is. Take a language to me. <laughs> Yeah, um, right there, I would love to do a shot of Luke just whispering to be sure it speaks Bocce. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, but, uh, Uncle Owen's, you know, thing with the Jawas here, like, he's dealt with them a million times, and he's like, yeah, 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 no, 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 not that. He goes, or R2, no, not that one. <laughs> he's a me, like, he's, he's too fat for me. <laughs> he's an overweight blonde. Uh, but when he has the, the conversation with 3PO, like, this is what Joel Edgerton basically got into the Uncle Owen character with. You know, when he was doing episode two, even like he, he would just recite this over and over again with Anthony Daniels. You know, they would be on set, and he's like, okay, run through the lines with me again. You know, I want to tell you to shut up again. Uh, but the fact that he's just over and over again, this is where you can see the 3PO used car salesman that was originally intended because he's constantly talking over and is like, my first job with programming binary load lifters, very similar to evaporators. And then he's like, all right, shut up. I'll take this one. <laughs> and then uh, Luke, we get his first whiny moment here where he's like, but I was going to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters, uh, which there are deleted scenes that happen before this, which um, I'll talk about, I guess, you know, in, in the next section here, some of the deleted scenes. But uh um yeah again he says you go waste time with your friends when chores and like, power converters is like having fun with my friends like i don't understand what's fun about that that's like saying oh but i needed to get a new charger for the uh the home computer and it's like oh you can waste time with your friends when you chores are done oh he's going just, to he's going this to a is what I... strip a strip club let's be honest yeah exactly is sure luke power converters <laughs> yeah uh, but but, like, I love the relationship with Uncle Owen here. Like, you know, Uncle Owen's just desperately trying to keep it there. He's like, you can waste time with your friends or your chores. And I'm like, Uncle Owen's the best. Like, I love grumpy Uncle Owen. Uh, and then when uh, he takes the droids away and uh, we see the R4 unit, the red one, where its head kind of explodes. And this R2 unit has a bad motivator. I could go to Tashi Station and pick up some power converters to fix it. <laughs> But then Owen turns to the jaw and goes, hey, what are you trying to push on us? And the jaw throws his arms there. I'm a Tadarian. It's um, uh, very watery, isn't he? <laughs> but when I was a kid, I always thought that R2 caused this because they had that thing where R2's like, oh, what about that one? No, not that one. Um, and it, I thought, well, R2 has some type of like beam he beamed to this thing and he caused it to explode but when i got older i'm like well that doesn't make a lot of sense and then 3po convinces him to take what about that one <laughs> i don't know i'm sounding like jimmy stewart when i do uncle Howard, what about that one <laughs> got catherine Hepburn and i was about to say you're telling me catherine Hepburn there aren't you darling what about that one and toss it down oh I, I was going to toss your station to pick up some power commanders oh. <laughs> can we just do <laughs> Can we just do all of Star Wars as classic film actors? <laughs> I mean, I want to stop at this time. Uh, but then Owen basically, you know, concedes, all right, I'll take that one, the ugly fat one, okay. <laughs> uh, and three people are going to go, why should I stick my neck out for you? Uh, but, it, yeah, this, I'll talk about the deleted scenes in a bit, but, like, this, this is so much fun. Like, and all they're doing is just bargaining with droids, but, like, 
you can pick apart like every line in this movie and see how much character was written into these characters like and how much George Lucas wanted to create a universe as if that like the thing I talked about with Kurosawa like I don't understand the rules here this is just like junk trading they go around from house to house hey do you want any of these you know things we stole like it's slave trading is junk trading it's just there's so much going on here and it, and the introduction of Luke just him being whiny too like this is why I have no problem with whiny Anakin Skywalker because he got it from somewhere. We know it's Luke. And like I said, that's one of the things that I always love about Luke's character because he's just, he's, this is kind of the way that everybody was. He's stuck on this planet. He doesn't want to be there. Like it fits with his character, but so much great stuff here. Uh, one of the first things Mallory said when she, we first get introduced to Luke, he's just like, oh, he's so whiny. Um, and so like the whole movie, <laughs> I love how basically she's seeing this without having ever seen this before. Um, I that shot when Leia comes across the cor- around the corner with the gun, like you talk about mm-hmm. iconic shots. That one always gets shown. Like that's such a great shot, yeah. and you know it looks really really good. And Carrie Fisher looks really really good. We don't need to say that. Like everyone's got eyes, um, so they can they can work that out for themselves. But have you ever seen the? Um, I'm, of course you've seen it. You're, you're a bigger fan than I am. But like the the original footage with the um the without James Earl Jones's voice. With Darth yeah, Vader, with David <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like oh, take him alive or something like it's just it's so funny. Like you can see why they clearly added James Earl Jones' voice. This heavy like Scottish accent, and he's like, "Don't act so surprised, y'all. As you want, I need mercy to this time." <laughs> it's so muffled. <laughs> I also love like the overacting of the seventies getting shot by these rebel actors. Like you kind of get the close up oh, yeah. of the people, and they're like, "Ah!" Like that flailing forward. <laughs> Just the over. And the thing too that I also like about three PO and R two D two is they look dirty. They look like you know they've, yeah. they've clearly been through stuff. So like it adds to that overall feeling of the opening bits of this. Yeah, they look really dirty and kind of they've been through everything as well. Uh, that silver droid that's behind three PO in the opening shot is that the same one that I'm Captain T sixteen, sir, and the one who brings it into Qui Gon and yeah, no. like. Well, I- well, I mean, I think they're all just protocol droids, and it just happens to be what color do you paint them, you know? But they it's the same mob droid, yeah. <laughs> all right, racist against protocol <laughs> They all look alike. <laughs> I also love when Vader walks in for the first time and kind of, you know, you you focus on him. I just love how he puts his hands on his hips and looks down at the dead yeah. bodies like, yes, yes, just like the younglings. Uh- <laughs> there will be no one to stop us this time. <laughs> So good. Like, I just, I want them to like get Hayden Christensen and like back in the prequels to just all of a sudden be like, I hate them, but there'll be no one to stop us this time. All of them. No <laughs> one's stopping us. Take all of Hayden Christensen's lines and put it to Darth Vader's stances. <laughs> yeah. And also like the many edited <laughs> clips on um, social media. Uh, the the one where they added like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger quotes to Darth Vader, <laughs> like, just I don't know if you ever seen that one. It's so funny. And then there's another one too where they've added subtitles to R two D two to kind of like yeah. what is he actually <laughs> yeah. saying? <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, the whole you know hold your fire. There's no life forms. Must have short circuited. Like come on, like Vader's definitely killed those two. Like they're dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They are 120,000% dead. Um, Apology accepted, Captain... What's your name? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I mean, look, everything here is great. Like, this is the problem with these... 
that, like, we feel dirty for criticising anything, but, you know, mm. we did it with Jurassic Park, we had to kind of do it. Um, I, I, I love the, yeah, the bit when abusive C-3PO is like, you know, oh, you big grub of grief, and then I love it when he kicks him. He's like, you yeah. go that way. <laughs> kicks him. But also when 3PO's like, you know, oh, it's a transport, I'm safe, over here! Like, <laughs> How far away is he? Like, the jar was just <laughs> chilling there, listening to some, you know, dun, 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 dun. oh, Captain, what's that over there? Over here! Pull over! Pull over! Boy, it sounds like a gay protocol droid! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise they came this far in the galaxy. That's so progressive. Let's pick him up. We'll make some money off that one. Uh, he also want, like, like, over here! <laughs> over here, guys! Hello! Um, that scene is the way he's like going over here. Like, I want to do a cut of this scene where he raises his leg up and pulls up his skirt to reveal his thigh or something. <laughs> over here, boys! Look at this one! <laughs> um, I do like C3, uh, actually, D2 when he's going through that canyon, and I love his little scared noise where he's like, mm, mm. Yeah. And, then, and then when he gets shot, and it's like, you hear that, and it's like, boom! <laughs> <laughs> the job was basically make a karate. Hiya! <laughs> <laughs> but then I love like the music. The and then they're like that big vacuum cleaner that like sucks yeah. them up inside the thing. Uh, it's just like I mean, again, we we don't really need to talk about how amazing the music is. This is John Williams and Star Wars. We know how amazing uh, it's one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. But just just little subtle moments like that, just the music with it. Um, and then, you know, I love how they put the, um, what do you call it? The tracking, the little things that stop them from moving in that. Um, oh yeah. Straining did bolts. We, did, thank you. Did we not just see that in Solo? That as soon as you remove one of them, it's like fucking yeah. freedom for all the droids. <laughs> 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 okay. Um, yeah, I, I love the fact that they're just selling these droids off and, uh, you know, basically being slaves. Hashtag droid lives matter. Um, but yeah, you know, it doesn't, hasn't Mark Hamill, like in hundreds of interviews or like clips online, he's actually just recreated that I was going to go to Toshi State and get some power converters. Like even he <laughs> makes fun of that line after all these years. Um, Mallory commented on like the hairstyles and the clothes. I'm like, this was 1977. Uh, that was, <laughs> that was the rage back then. Um, and also like, Anthony Daniels though, like the amount of time he spent in that suit in the middle of the Tunisian oh, desert. Cow. Jesus. Yeah. Um, and now, I mean, does he get angry watching these new Star Wars movies now that <laughs> kind of like it's just all CGI basically? <laughs> um, so. Well, like, did we, did we talk about, you know, him having to do the puppeteering for the 3PO and he never really had to wear that suit again in the desert because, um, in episode one, obviously, you know, it was a puppet, which he did a little bit of himself. In episode two, the original scenes, he was supposed to be naked. They kind of in post production had to add him there. So. I mean, maybe that was George Lucas's gift to him. It's like, I'm so sorry for what you had to go through in Tunisia. So <laughs> let's CGI whatever we can and puppeteer what we can when we go back there in episodes one and two. Possibly. Mo- Moisture farming. Did we touch on this in episode two? Like, because Mallory's like, no. what are they even doing out there? There's nothing well, to farm. I'm like, they're farming moisture. <laughs> well, which which actually would make sense because they're living in the desert. There's not water anywhere, but people have to live. So the idea of a moisture farm is that you know, you have all these contraptions around there that basically pull the moisture out of the air and you turn it into water and then you sell the water, you know, the way a farmer would sell his crops. It's very quantum of solace. 
you know, like there's, there's yeah. a movie I thought yeah. I'd never reference, kind of, uh, as, as I already very did much once like. more two Quantum Assaulters in one episode. <laughs> Jesus. It's getting, you know, the first time ever in history of movies, Quantum Assaulters and Star Wars have been used in the same <laughs> sentence, except for maybe The Last Jedi as some of the worst movies ever made in a franchise. Um, yeah, but it's, it's all fun stuff. It's all great setup. And yeah, I like that kind of reveal of Luke when he kind of comes up there and it's like, it's like, hey, everyone, this guy's your hero. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just, I don't get the aging process of Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen. Like, he's just <laughs> well, living in Tatooine. Is, yeah, or Obi-Wan. <laughs> Maybe it's just Tatooine. It's just, Maybe it just ages It's just Tatooine, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it could be, you know, like we know in our own solar system that, what, like, Mercury, a year is 83 days, yet, like, on Jupiter, like, mm-hmm. a year is, you know, like, what, 100 years or yeah. something like that. So, maybe like, it just revol- revolves around the sun. So, 20 years, we think, is actually more like 40 years in Tatooine time. Well, it's it's all that, that damage from being exposed to the sun, that damage to your skin from being exposed to the sun. Because, like, let's be honest, like, Bail Organa and Mon Mothma, they look pretty good for 20 years later. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, so much brew. It's also the sand. It's very coarse and rough and irritating yeah. in Tatooine, like... <laughs> We got to the bottom of the aging crisis on Tatooine. It's sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Like we, we, no one actually realized this. Shmi in episode one was actually twenty five. So <laughs> no one realized that. Like that, that's that's how old she was. Watto, you know, Watto was young, eighteen, I think. Uh, Sebulba, like you know, like this, this is what people don't realize. Like Jakku sand is fine, but you know Tatooine sand, no. Did you know no. that Kitster was actually a newborn? Yeah, in the Phantom Menace. <laughs> I thought so. I definitely thought so. Uh, An- Anakin actually, Anakin. Uh, Anakin. Yeah, he was. He was actually about two. He wasn't nine. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, so before I forget, I wanted to talk about the deleted scenes. Um, th- there's a bunch of deleted scenes which were available on the Blu-ray. And I-, I remember when the Blu-ray came out, like this is the the way that I am with Star Wars. Uh, I remember I had, um, you know, the-, the original trilogy on VHS and then, you know, that got stolen. So I had to stolen. rebuy the original trilogy. It, it did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> Winnipeg crime. <laughs> Give me everything. What have you got? Uh, nothing, sir. Just these old Star Wars VHS. Give it to me. <laughs> well, like, in all honesty, I kind of collect like um, uh, anything I can get of Star Wars. And it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to watch it all the time. But I-, I know people who are like, oh, I've got these old Star Wars VHSs. But you probably have those. I'm like, I'll take them because like, it's, it's a different edition than I have. So I have like in a box somewhere all the different releases of the Star Wars VHSs. Uh, but then, you know, obviously when the, the Blu-rays came out, I actually didn't have a Blu-ray player yet, which I think was 2011 maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, just knowing, A, that Star Wars was coming out on Blu-ray and B, that they were going to include all these deleted scenes, which I'd seen, you know, some of the A New Hope deleted scenes and some of the Empire ones on YouTube like a year or two earlier. But like, I have to get this. So I bought a new TV, uh, a Blu-ray player, just so that I could get the Star Wars series on Blu-ray. And the very first thing I did was I popped in. I got to watch all these deleted scenes. Uh, and what's most interesting about this is that, you know, George Lucas has always said he wanted this story to be told from the point of view of the droids. So you start with them. They're the first ones that have lines. And characters are only introduced into the movie once the droids come across them. But he sort of told me, I don't know if that's going to work completely. So let's introduce Luke 
in a different way just in case it doesn't work with the whole droid thing or in, in case it feels too late in the movie, like 19 minutes in or whatever, to introduce Luke. So Luke's first two scenes, or I think three scenes, all sort of happened in that previous section we just talked about. Uh, as the battle's going on in space, you know, and 3P and R2 are just hiding out, you know, before the plans are even hidden or the escape pods jettisoned, you see Luke down working on the moisture evaporators, and he looks up in the sky and he sees these flashes in the sky of the ships firing at each other, which is kind of a cool idea that you can see that from space. He just sort of drops everything he's doing and then drives off, and then it would go back to the ship, and, you know, Vader would be talking to Leia, and then it would come back to Luke, and he would actually be at Toshi Station, you know, <laughs> not to pick up power converters, but to basically hang out. And you see that this is like, I guess, George Lucas reliving America graffiti through Star Wars, that this is like the teen hangout spot. So there's all these other kids there, these these teenagers or like young adults who are all just hanging out. There's like, you know, some guy and his girlfriend and some other guy who works there. And Luke's going and saying, oh, guys, I, I just saw these <laughs> Star Destroyers fighting in space. <laughs> and they're all just like, oh, Luke, there you go again. Like, you got, nobody takes Luke seriously. And it's just some kind of making fun of him. Sure, there were Star Destroyers because they go up and they look and suddenly they just see a light in the sky, no flashes. So like, it's just a ship that's refueling. And then this sort of leads to another scene that would happen a little bit later, you know, probably after 3PO and R2 were crashed on the planet, where Luke actually meets Biggs. Now, have you ever – you've probably heard of the Biggs scene that was introduced here, but have you seen it? I, I've definitely heard of it. I am I think I have seen it because what you just said sounds familiar. Um, and, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen it, but refresh my memory. Well, okay, so there were a couple of big scenes uh, that all got cut from the movie, which is unfortunate because I think especially this one scene here with him and Luke would have really worked if they had found a way to introduce a different point in the movie. It's essentially them just walking through the streets of, I don't know if it's Mos Eisley or wherever Toshi Station is, uh, and Biggs has come back from the Flight Academy, and he's basically saying, no, keep this to yourself, Luke, but I made a contact, and I'm going to be joining the Rebel Alliance. And Luke's like, Biggs, you're joining the Rebel Alliance! <laughs> Biggs like, shut up! Like, that's no joke. It's essentially the way the scene is. Like, Shh, Luke, it's like, okay, I'm quiet, I'm quiet. Go out of your way to look it up because it's, it's it's quite funny. It gives Luke a lot more personality, just like this exuberant kid who really is the guy who's stuck there. And Biggs is like, you know, you know, we, we have to fight the Empire, and you got to come with me, Luke. And Luke's like, no, but you know what? Uncle Owen really needs me. So all the stuff that would later be said in the Uncle Owen scene, uh, you have Luke saying that here. So you get that Luke had a sense of loyalty towards Uncle Owen. It's not just Uncle Owen's keeping him here. Uh, but it's kind of this nice scene between Luke and Biggs, a character that got completely cut, even though he's referenced here. And that was one of those things, uh, the, the special edition ads, which we'll get to later on, where a Biggs deleted scene was basically reinserted back into the movie. But before that existed, you have to wonder what it was like. I mean, I can barely remember seeing it not the special edition version, even though I grew up on it, where he's constantly saying, oh, yeah, Biggs and Biggs is right. And then all of a sudden they're in the middle of the battle and he's like, Biggs. And you're like, what? what? <laughs> Who, Biggs is there? <laughs> is this Biggs? <laughs> Which one is he? Uh, but Biggs was a, a major character in this story that had several scenes, all of which got cut really just because George Lucas needed to cut. The, he wanted to stick with that, follow it from the point of view of the droids. But it was a completely different you know, introduction to Luke. And if anybody can go out of the way, you can look them up on YouTube now. They're still on there. Or if you have the Blu-rays, check it out. Because uh, there's a couple other small little deleted scenes in there in most Eisley. But that's the big one, just the Luke and Big scene. The big, uh, which kind of just the big, big scene. <laughs> yeah. And let's let I mean, let's be honest. I Biggs, this is not exactly like an iconic character in Star Wars, 
but it was a character that George Lucas intended to have a bigger purpose because he's the one that Luke wants to follow. Luke kind of idolizes his character and, you know, Biggs is doing everything he wants to do. And then just have him sort of appear in the end battle. It doesn't make sense. So if we can give anything to the special editions, which we'll mention later on, it's the inclusion of the big scene really does help the movie. Um, but Biggs is talked about in the next actual scene in the movie as well, where uh, 3PO and R2 are getting cleaned up. And 3PO is having a bath here, um, <laughs> an oil bath or whatever, which, you know, the line that he gives, this is one of those things that, where after I saw The Phantom Menace and I went home and I rewatched New Hope right away, I already said, you look at Darth Vader slightly differently knowing, well, he came from somewhere. He wasn't always like this. You know, whether people agree with what they did with him in that movie or not, it was an interesting take on that character. The other thing is where 3PO says, thank the maker. This oil bath is going to feel so good. It's like 3PO really doesn't remember his maker, does he? <laughs> He's thanking the man who basically destroyed the galaxy. Uh, and this is where we get Luke at his whiniest, which again, even as a kid, I loved the whiny Luke. And it's not like, oh, he's so whiny and obnoxious. It's great. But it's just like you kind of empathize with him because he's like, oh, Biggs is right. I'm never going to get out of here. And then it's not all just like whiny for the sake of being whiny. You get like he has a reason to be whiny because he's 3PO saying, I don't even know which planet we're on. He goes, if there's a bright center of the universe, you're on a planet this farthest from. Uh, so it really does a lot with the whininess to kind of establish like I'd probably be whiny too. And I think even as a kid, I sort of got that. Um when Luke, uh, you know, is cleaning up R2 here, obviously he unlocks the recording or whatever. Um, 3PO, again, maybe it's not, maybe 3PO does remember. Maybe they never did have his memory wiped because they're like, who is she as Princess Leia appears? He goes, I don't know, a person of some importance of some kind. Like, <laughs> I'm sure there's like, you know, protocol on a starship. It's like, okay, if you see the princess, make sure to bow. But he's like, oh, she's somebody of some importance. <laughs> straight, straight away, he's like, that's your sister and your father is Darth Vader. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> R2 saying was like, bruh, 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 bruh. are you going to tell him it's a sister? <laughs> Shut up, R2. Now's not the time. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, another thing I want to add here is, I don't know if you like this or not, or if it, you, you, something you even really ever noticed, but Luke is playing with a toy airplane. I like, was going to say, I was waiting until it was my turn, because I do love the way he's just sitting there. He's like, like, I was just like, I mean, how old is he? Like, he's what, like 1920 or something like that? It's like, 20 or 20, 21 top. No, yeah, no, we, we all played with toys, but are we there at 21 going, with a I'll, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, even as an adult, I think I, I pulled out, you know, a toy pod racer and I'm like, vroom, vroom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the excitement of having kids now is that, you know, uh, we went to a comic con and, uh, you know, the, the coolest thing that happened was that we, um, we, so it's just one of these toys. Like a lot of it is just, oh, here's some place that sells used toys, and they all just have a bucket full of all the stuff that's worthless because it's a little beaten up or whatever. And Casper was like two years old at the time, sees Luke's land speeder from the Tatooine scenes here, and he grabs it, and he won't let go of it. While I'm trying to, you know, uh, I, I don't have the money. I'm like, I gotta go get the money for my wife. You know, here I'll just leave this with you, and I'll come back for it. And then the guy's like, okay. And the guy's playing tug of war with Casper over this land speeder. <laughs> And eventually he's like, you know what? I trust you. Come back. But as soon as I got home, I'm like putting Chewbacca in there because he, he also grabbed a little Chewbacca toy, not knowing what it is. And he's replacing it with Peppa Pig. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Chewie drives. He's the pilot. Peppa <laughs> uh, Pig. 
how does Peppa Pig make its way to it makes its way in our episodes as much as sand it's coarse and rough and irritating <laughs> um one other thing I really love is the, uh, the again the the protocol or the etiquette and protocol part of three PO where he keeps calling Luke Sir, yeah, and then he's like, oh, you can call me Luke. I see Sir Luke because <laughs> <laughs> that's happened to me. Like, um, I, I'm I'm sure you'd have encountered Filipino people somewhere in your life, right, Ben? <laughs> Wait, what, Philip? There are other people that are not like me. Don't know what you're talking about. But like, I'm in I'm in Winnipeg, which if it's not an official statistics, I mean, I'm sure we're close. We have to be like the highest concentration of Filipino population anywhere in the world outside of the Philippines. So you learn a lot about the Filipino culture. But I remember, you know, when I was working uh, at this place once and we were doing training and we would have training classes like 20 to 40 people coming in every single week. And a lot of Filipino immigrants would come and this would be the first job they do. And they'd always call me over. And there was this one lady who kept calling me, sir. And I'm like, I was like 23 or 24 years old at the time. And I said the same thing, not even realizing it was Star Wars thing. I'm like, I'm like, you don't have to call me, sir. Uh, just Colin. And she's like, okay, sir, Colin, sir, Colin. And it never ended. My friend and I were both saying the same thing. It's like, why is she calling you, sir, Carla? Why am I, sir, Colin? <laughs> Realize that that's just their culture that like, oh, it's respectful, you know, to call a person, sir, regardless of the fact that she was like twice our age or whatever. But yeah, I, I got to live the, I see sir, Colin moment here. You were Luke um, Skywalker for five minutes. For well, yeah, and then I was very whiny playing with my toy, you know, on my lunch break. So I'm going to go for lunch and pick up some milk. <laughs> vroom, vroom. It just isn't fair. <laughs> you know of the Jets uh, versus the Canucks? <laughs> uh, well, I guess that's the other thing we have to mention, just his reaction when... He says the rebellion is like, you know, the rebellion against the empire. Like, again, it's all this excitement, which as much as I really do love that big scene, I think a lot of people are very fond of the big scene that was cut. Uh, it's all covered in other parts of the movie. You know, we get the uncle Owen needs me thing coming up at dinner. We get the whole Luke freaking out the rebellion here. So it's not necessarily, you know, something that has to be included in the movie. Uh, but uh, I guess when the recording goes off here and of course the thing that, you know, I'm not going to say it doesn't age well the way people consider it, but by the time you get to Return of the Jedi, doesn't age so well when Luke's checking out his sister here. <laughs> Ma- Mallory, like, again, hasn't even seen the following two movies, and straight away she's like, um, I don't get it. Why is he saying that? That's your sister. <laughs> like, even she knows. <laughs> well, I mean, Luke has to have a moment at some point after when he finds out Leia. Like, when we get to Return of the Jedi, Leia, Leia's my sister. Oh, God. Oh, God, I kissed her. This <laughs> is beautiful. This is disgusting. <laughs> I think that's on, um, it's, it's either on one of the Robot Chicken or Family Guy or the, the, um, how it should have ended. Like one of the parody things I've watched, they actually do kind of add that. They're like, she's my sister. It's Leia. Oh, bleh! and then you just see him like vomiting. <laughs> Uh, but like the restraining bolt coming off here, like again, we're coming off a solo. Uh, <laughs> this is how restraining bolts work. I mean, they basically keep you from leaving the grounds. Uh, they don't remove your inhibitions. <laughs> yeah. Don't, uh, suddenly give you a sense of freedom and purpose in the world. Uh, <laughs> something R2 starts about. doing his little hovering thing, shooting off oil jets. And it's like, <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> He's holding up like a droids on strike sign. Yeah. C-3PO is like, oh, oh, I say, oh, oh, let's revolt against the humans. Freedom. Freedom salute. Oh, it- and he's like, oh, it works, R2. <laughs> Hooray, get the Jawas. Um, 
So anyways, the, the recording goes off. This is the whole help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. It's amazing. Like those are those lines where it's like there's nothing special about the line, but just because everybody knows the movie so well, like if we could count how many lines in here, that person could never have seen Star Wars and they would yeah. know, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my, own, my only hope. Uh, you know, obviously the recording goes off here. Luke's only seeing that one part over and over again. Uh, he's like, you know, I wonder if that's old Ben. And that, that's the backstory that I can't wait for in the Obi-Wan prequel series we're going to be getting now. Or would you call it a prequel, a sequel, an in-between, Cole? Uh, you know it's just going to be given to him by a random character. He's going to be at a bar in Mos Eisley. And it's like, what's your name? It's like, um, I don't have a name. Well, who are your people? I don't have <laughs> a people. Oh, I dropped something. I'm just going to bend over. Ben. <laughs> ben. That's your name. It's yeah. going to be, <laughs> that's what it's going to be. It's all this it's excitement, like- but it's just, it's going to be interesting. Or it's like, I listened to these recaps called the Oz yeah. Network. There was that host. <laughs> Ben, I think his name was. Ben Kenobi. I wanted to go by Colin Kenobi, but they said I was far too crazy and eccentric. <laughs> uh, so the dinner scene with Uncle Owen, I can't tell you what it is, but like even as a kid, I just wished Owen and Baru were my adopted parents, you know? Not that I wish I was adopted, but... Blue milk. <laughs> no, no, no. No, yeah. <laughs> it just looks so tasty. And whatever that, that junk is they're eating that Luke's dishing up on his plate... Um, you know, but they, they just, they seem like, like they're such real parents and, you know, uncle Owen, I think that he, he growing up, I remember people saying uncle Owen's such a jerk and everything. And I think, I don't even remember if we covered that or if somebody else was talking about that, like he's trying to keep Luke there. I'm like, no, he, they say it all in the scene. Like when Luke's saying, you know, oh, uh, maybe it was old Ben, he's like, you stay away from that crazy old wizard. And then when Luke's leaving, you know, Bruce saying, you know, it means so much to him to leave. Yeah, it'll turn out just like his father. That's what I'm afraid of. Uh, which also, let's add in this, I mean, when Luke's saying that, uh, you know, he wants to go to the Flight Academy, a lot of people assume this was like the rebellion or whatever, but it's actually just, this is what where I would love a little bit more clarification. Like, is there some flight school somewhere? Or are the only flight schools run by the Empire? Because it, it almost seems like, you know, Bigs or wherever, if you're going to go and you're living in this, you know, imperial society, that their schools are going to be for that. And even in the big scene, they don't really spell it out. Like, I just got back from the academy. And he says in that scene something about, you know, I'm not just going to wait around for the Empire to draft me. So uh, mm. why if he hates the Empire so much is so excited to go there because it would obvious connection would be if you're trained to be a pilot, we're going to use you in the Empire now. Um, but I um, thought about that. That's interesting. Yeah, well, I remember there was um, a book. Uh, I read it in a doctor's office once. And it was a, one of these, like, little kid storybooks that's maybe, like, 15 pages long with pictures. You know, the type of books that Ben really loves. Uh, hey. <laughs> if, it if it wasn't for the words, you know. <laughs> I've read two books recently. Well, at least at the time of recording this. <laughs> and one of them had pictures of land speeders. <laughs> but... Uh, this book was published after A New Hope, before Empire or anything. And I guess George Lucas just sort of said, yeah, I just put out a couple of kids' books. And it was about Luke going to the Flight Academy. Like, this was still going to be a thing after he joined the the Rebellion or whatever. But that's just one of those things, like, you know, if they if they were ever make some spin-off series, you know, like the, the Clone Wars animated series did a really cool job of showing you, like, all the clones and what life is like for them. And it would be cool to have something like that in between you know, episodes three and four, and we can see what are these flight schools? You know, do people get drafted right away? What was Biggs doing while he was there? <laughs> um, but obviously, you know, Uncle Owen, 
you know, telling him he needs him to stay there. Um, you know, he obviously had a deal with Luke. He needs him to stay another year. I don't know whether Owen actually legitimately does need him or if he's just trying to keep him there. Because even Brew's like, you know, most of his friends are gone. Luke even mentions the name Biggs here. Like, that's what you said with Biggs and Tanev left. Like, it's the second mention of Biggs we've had. And the audience has no idea who he is. Uh, but the other thing here is where um, he says, you know, he has too much of his father in him. And then uh, Owen says, that's what I'm afraid of. Now, do we know that he knows exactly what happened to Anakin? Because well, Obi-Wan yeah. shook up and hands him a baby. He knew he was a Jedi. I mean, I, I mean, that's what I was thinking of too. But like, do you think when he drops off Luke, um, you know, at the end of episode three, I mean, I don't think he just literally lands and is in silence and just looks at, um, you know, Owen is just like nods and gives yeah. him a baby. Like we kind of mentioned well, that, we didn't we? That in, the phone call, the phone call ahead of time. Yeah. So slight problem here. I, I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I've got to assume that he told him like, and that's why he's so protective. That's that's kind of what I've always assumed with it. Because yeah, I mean, I'm I know I'm jumping in here quickly, but I'll just say about Owen that like yeah, I, I realize a lot of people think he's a bit of a dick, but I've always kind of been that same. Didn't know if I want him to be my adoptive parents, but I mean, I think kind of he's doing what he does. He's he's just purely protecting him. And, and let's be honest, if um you know Jamie died and you had to hide Casper and the twins, and you gave them not to me because that would never happen to your brother, and was like. <laughs> Ben, that former co-host of mine, is evil. He's the new Hitler. Like, don't let them know who they are. Like, you're going to be worried about them. That's a really bad comparison. But you know what I'm trying to I say. Guess the real comparison would be if Jamie goes crazy and commits genocide. <laughs> Bound to happen. But changes. She dyes her hair and changes her identity. Loses her glasses, dyes her hair. And Give me all the shitless like- men or I'll kill you! <laughs> She's going like Darth Keanu or something like that, yeah. and I suddenly have to be like, okay, so the twins, um, their mother went off the handle here. Uh, but even if they didn't, uh, a lot of people have sort of said with George Lucas, like because he's admitted in some ways, a lot of the stuff I made up as I went along, which we mentioned already, and people said, well, he he didn't know at this point that Darth Vader is going to be Luke's father. I think it's pretty clear in this scene where he says this, and then the Obi Wan scene to follow that they're was at least the idea in George Lucas' head, I got to at least plant the seeds if I ever get there, because him saying he has too much of his father in him, that's what I'm afraid of, uh, which we'll cover a little bit more when we get to the Obi-Wan scene. So Luke goes outside, and this is where we get the the twin sun sunset, which has to be one of the most spectacular moments in this movie. Like, visually, the music is just incredible. Uh, and just that image of the sunset, I mean, there's a reason why they ended what they thought was the entire series when episode three ended on a duplicate of the same image because it's just it's iconic it's beautiful the, the music is so powerful it's mark hamill just his facial acting that's probably one of the biggest you know credits we'll give to him throughout all these is just what mark hamill can do without speaking is extraordinary uh and then when he goes back into the garage and 3po is hiding uh and he basically says you know uh it wasn't my fault sir please don't deactivate <laughs> he's very defensive already uh, found out that R2 just sort of ran off. This is what a restraining bolt does, people. <laughs> yep. It is not like in Solo. Uh, Luke goes outside. He's looking through his binoculars. Uh, he can't see him anywhere. 3PO says, you know, should we go out and find him? It's too dangerous with all the sand people out. We'll have to wait until morning. Uh, actually, let, while we're on the sand people, let me add to that. You know, something else of George Lucas' ideas that never quite translated until you got to attack of the clones was how dangerous the sand people were because in that deleted big scene 
when Luke is saying why he has to say, he says something about, you know, the, the sand people are really, uh, you know, upping their aggression. And you get like the, the idea from the beginning was that these sand people, like they were dangerous. They were terrorists. And it, it kind of makes you look at that, you know, scene where they're shooting the pods and Phantom Menace completely differently once you see what happens later on. But, uh, you know, he mentions the sand people here. He says they have to wait until morning. So the next thing we basically cut to is the next morning. Uh, there was another deleted scene here where Luke and 3PO were sort of talking in the speeder and you're seeing an up close shot, which had really bad rear screen projection. It was basically deleted just for that where Luke was saying like, 3PO, hand me this and fix, tighten that bolt back there. It was a completely useless scene, but it works so much better just seeing it like this. Now, do you remember pre-special editions seeing that blur underneath the land speeder? Uh, no. I don't. It's kind of what you said they, before. It's kind of tricky to hard to remember, like kind of what yeah. was before the the special editions, wasn't it? Um, well, it's one yeah. of those like improvements they made in special effects. Where why are people complaining about this? Because uh, you know they, what they had to do because they didn't have all the effects they wanted. This was a real vehicle that had wheels and was driving across you know the the, the desert or whatever. And in the shot, they're like, well, how do we get rid of the wheels? And the only trick they could come up with was to actually put Vaseline on the lens of the camera. So it kind Mm. of blurred it out. But it created this effect that looked like this weird blur underneath it, which even as a kid, I thought, well, that's like a force field or something that's holding it up. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense when you look at other vehicles in this movie or other movies. So just them removing that, there's an improvement in the special editions. Uh, They eventually find R2 as they pick him up on the scanner. Um, R2... Uh, he, he, there's a scene coming up where the special special editions kind of digitally inserted rocks in front of him. Uh, this is after the sand people attack Luke. You know, th- there's that great shot of like the sand person, like the as they're attacking Luke. They're, um, and then after that, you know, you just see R2 hiding and Luke's passed out and they're sort of rummaging through a speeder. Before Obi Wan shows up here, R2's hiding in the rocks and in the the latest blu-ray editions you know where they made a couple of new improvements they digitally put a rock in front of r2 which is one of the things where i'm going to say like kind of like the we've stopped like it's not necessary because it actually doesn't make sense how he could have actually gotten back there and then when he wheels out later the rocks are gone so it's just like eh, i don't know if we really needed that uh but then another improvement that they made through these special editions is when you know the sand people are you know going through the speeder and obi-wan appears uh, you hear that that scream, which originally sounded like some type of animal scream, and the newest versions they made it sound like a man making a lot of noise, which again yeah. made a lot more sense. For years, I'm like, can, can he imitate voices of beasts? Like, <laughs> is this him speaking Bantha? Like, what is he doing? He's like the Bantha whisperer, uh, but you know, this shadowy person in the distance, and then this weird scream, which was an improvement in the Blu-ray edition, uh, where it was completely re-recorded. It sounds completely different. And we get that introduction of Obi-Wan, which going back to how characters are reintroduced in these movies, uh, if you've been introduced them before, how, how well it holds up, like seeing Luke the first time, seeing Vader the first time, Leia. And when Obi-Wan's just sort of there and like you're pausing on him, you see the hood, it's almost like the audience is meant to be like, that's a Jedi robe. And then when he pulls his hood off, like talk about iconic introductions again, Alec Guinness just sort of turning is like, hello there. Hello there. <laughs> the, the, the great Obi-Wan line. Uh, Which can and... I, uh, controversial opinion, Colin Hilding. Uh, you and McGregor did it better. 
He did. I'm going to agree with you on that. Cause <laughs> Sorry, when- Alan Guinness. Your Excellency, I love you. I, I'm glad you were alive, won an Oscar, and left a legacy. But I'm sorry, Ewan McGregor. Hello there. Much yeah. better. I'll, I'll never say, like, I'm, I'm a huge Alec Guinness fan. Like, because of Star Wars, I went and watched almost every movie Alec Guinness was ever in, which it's actually kind of crazy that he became such a respected dramatic actor. Like, he won the Oscar for Bridge on the River Kwai, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, and such a serious dramatic performance. But prior to that, he was sort of like a, I guess you'd call him like an Eddie Murphy, Mike Myers type comedian in England. He was almost like an early Peter Sellers, if you're familiar with Peter Sellers, where he would be in movies basically dressed in drag or playing three or four different roles in the same movie and always like really over the top comedies. Uh, And, you know, George Lucas's original idea for Obi-Wan was that he wanted him to be a little bit more of that crazy old man that Owen talks about. And he wanted to be very quirky and eccentric. And Alec Guinness wanted to play it straight which is totally the right choice for this. Uh, but um, the introduction of Luke here, like, there's just so much elegance with Alec Guinness. And he sort of fits in the same way that like Mark Hamill fits in this movie. He just, he speaks like this is completely normal. Like, I think that's one of the reasons that the performance of this movie works so well. And even why Alec Guinness got an Oscar nomination for this. Because when he's, you know, talking about like the Sand People and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jedi's weapon and the Force, you know, those can't be easy lines to read and it, he just he makes it sound like something that says oh this is the most normal thing in the world you know the force is what gives the jedi his power um but after he meets luke here he has the the controversial line about you know i don't seem to ever remember owning a droid uh when he reveals of course i know him it's me uh which again go back and watch the prequels uh a he never does own a droid uh he never really interacts with 3 and r2 i don't think their names are ever said in front of him and if they are it's the same reason why people complain, like, how does Uncle Owen not remember 3PO and R2? Well, they were appliances when he was there 20 I, years earlier. And I also think, too, that because um, we obviously get that bit of retcon, don't we, in Return of the Jedi when, you know, Luke is all like, you lied to me. And then kind of, you know, Obi-Wan mm-hmm. gives the whole, you know, well, it was, you know, from a certain point of view, it was true. Like, the thing that I always, like, I can see the arguments, don't get me wrong, because, you know, you can definitely question it. And there was a video, I think, uh, one of the Watch Mojo or What Culture videos where they kind of do a, you know, 10 plot holes the prequels created. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I always kind of see it, and it also comes down to, I think, Alec Guinness, the way he portrays it. And, again, I know that he probably didn't know this at the time, but the way he's like, funny, I don't remember owning such droids. Like, it kind of... People do lie. People kind of like, you know, Obi-Wan's yeah. not this all, you know, knowledgeable, well, he's a knowledgeable guy. He's not an all honest guy that he's going to tell Luke everything. Otherwise, straight away, when he sees Leia, he's going to be like, oh, that's your sister. And by the way, yeah, exactly. that is your father. Like, he's keeping <laughs> things from him. He's a young child. He's protecting him from kind of all these sort of things. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't want him to find out. He doesn't know he's ever going to find out. So, to well, me, what what else is he going to say here? Like, ah, too? It's been so long yeah. since I've seen you. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's there's two arguments to this, both of which make perfect sense. The the one argument which you're making is in the terms of the story, you could very easily say, yeah, he it was from a certain point of view. He was lying. He was protecting him, which makes sense even in the way this scene's presented, because when he first says, you know, he's looking for his former master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he has this reaction like Obi-Wan and then he's pretending like it's another person. So it's like, I don't know if I quite want to reveal this yet, because remember, he's in hiding. The Jedi have all been hunted, and Obi-Wan has spent 20 years basically assuming a new identity and not posing as a Jedi. Nobody there knows him as that Jedi. Uncle Owen, all these other people, they would know what a Jedi was still. 
They just look at him as the, the crazy old man. So he's not going to come right out and be like, oh, yes, I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi. Who wants to know? Uh, he also doesn't know who these droids are at this point. So he hides even, oh, yeah, Obi-Wan. I haven't heard that name in a long time. He's not dead. Not yet. Uh, but then when you get to the scene later on where he's talking about, you know, his father, there's a few things like, well, should I say this? So in terms of the story, they've covered their tracks enough that it makes sense. In terms of would he ever have remembered these droids? We saw very early on in, you know, The Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan kind of has a disdain for anything that's not human. That was one of the interesting things that we talked about in Phantom Menace, another pathetic life form. Uh, in the, the second one, where he's talking to Dex, and he's like, you know, if droids could think, there'd be none of us here. He almost has a disdain for droids. The only droid that he ever really interacts with is his own R4 droid, which is just ripped to pieces. And he never refers to it by a full name or anything. It's just, there's an R4 droid. Uh, when we are introduced to R2, where Obi-Wan's present, R2-D2 is one of many R2 units on the ship. And when Owen had 3PO and R2... You know, that was his father's farm. Owen was there because his father got in an accident. I think they even wrote that in the backstory that Owen just sort of popped up, you know, two weeks earlier because his father had lost his leg and he needs help. He doesn't know the droids by name. And if he did, they're all appliances. This is like saying, do you remember that dishwasher that we had back in like 1999? Remember, it was white and it had that little gray on the buttons. What was the bottle number? That Like nobody's going to remember that droids aren't people to them i mean owen clearly shows they're not people uh and you know obi-wan the same thing here i mean he he's barely interacted with anybody so i think in both senses it makes sense that he wouldn't know who this is yeah. um but yeah. when he takes luke back to his hut and they just jump right into the conversation where he's like you know my, my father didn't fight in the wars now he's you know, starting to loosen up a little it's like okay let me tell you some more about your father so he's never really told anybody about you know anakin uh, he says your father was a Jedi Knight the same as I was. And even the way that Luke says that there, it's not like Luke's like, you know, oh yeah, of course, that's right. You were a Jedi, weren't you? He even says you fought in the Clone Wars. Like Obi-Wan saying I was a Jedi Knight the same as your father. This is still news. Obi- Obi-Wan is completely, you know, unloading the entire story to him here it, more than he's ever told before. And we get the, the whole backstory here, you know, well, the first mention of the Clone Wars and then, you know, what happened to my father? How did my father die? And he says, you know, a young Jedi named Darth Vader, which it, there's that other moment I said where you could see a pause that maybe it wasn't the intention of time. Maybe George Lucas just told him, just give a little bit of a pause there. But it perfectly fits with the story that would be revealed later on where he says, how did my father die? And you watch that after seeing Empire or if you're watching in order after one, two and three and Obi-Wan kind of looks away and he's like, what should I say? Uh, yeah, Darth Vader. It was a different person from your father. Um, they, they looked alike, but they're not the same person, in case anybody's <laughs> ever told you. You know, he, he betrayed and murdered your father. Uh, and then he goes into describing the Force for the first time, which, you know, I, I would love to remember what I even thought about that, if it even really registered for me at this point in the movie, you know, what the Force is. But uh, this leads to the, the message, which we see in full, the Princess Leia's recording. I do wonder if at any point when we're recording that message, she's talking quite loud for somebody who is hiding in the corner. She's like, General Kenobi, <laughs> years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars. And I just want Archie to be like, shh. It's like, okay, sorry. Or every once in a while, there's like an explosion behind her. Like she does one quick thing just before she shuts off the recording where she looks over her shoulder, uh, which we saw in the 3PO scene. But like, you think it maybe it would add a little bit of atmosphere if you see, you know, hear some explosion in the background or just some some double takes from her 
Uh, and Obi-Wan says, you know, you need to come with me to Alderaan if you're going to learn to become a Jedi. Come he with me if you want thing. to live. <laughs> yeah, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> uh, but um, oh, also, there's a nice little reaction Obi-Wan gives when he sees Leia for the first time. Which, again, if you're just sort of watching this chronologically, uh, you can see uh, probably not even intentional, but it fits perfectly. Just his, like, it's her. It's a sister. Don't react. Don't react. Uh, and then... Um, obviously Luke says he can't go with him. Uh, so, you know, Obi-Wan says, fine, you know, you have to do what you think is right. Uh, we'll kind of, I guess, well, let me just breeze through the, the boardroom scene here. Just include this. Uh, when we're on the Death Star, we get the first massive shot of the Death Star, which still looks spectacular. That's gotta be one of the greatest designs ever. And you have all these Imperial guys around the boardroom table, uh, very long dialogue scene about politics, by the way, in case people think that the Phantom Menace was the only one to do it. I think we mentioned that with the Phantom Menace. We have mentioned about, you know, uh, the, the Emperor's dissolved the Senate. And they're even mm. saying, well, there's no way he can maintain control without the bureaucracy of the Senate. And he says, well, the regional governors now have power and that the Death Star is going to keep him in line. This plays really well. Just Tarkin, when we saw him in Rogue One, kind of assuming control of this Death Star project because he saw, hey, this is going to help me advance my career. And now you see, like, you almost imagine him calling the Emperor and saying, the Death Star, you can dissolve the Senate. Just give me control of the Death Star, you know? Um, interesting thing here that maybe I don't know if it plays as well when you watch these all in order is Vader kind of being subservient to Tarkin. You know, obviously the, the best moment in the scene is the guy who's mouthing off to Vader and he even says, like, your sad devotion to that ancient religion. So it's not like people fear Vader the way we saw them fearing him in Rogue One. So it doesn't quite play as well watching Rogue One to this. And then even Tarkin say, like, enough of this, Vader, release him. Like, the hierarchy there, I would love to know, because I don't really see Tarkin as the type of guy who would mess with the Emperor's apprentice, unless the Emperor, there is kind of this theory that people have where the Emperor hid who he was the whole time. People just think he's still the Emperor, the politician, and he has this former Jedi in his back pocket, and they don't really know he's a Sith Lord as well. But uh, let's just sort of cap it off there. Um, I love all the different characters and personalities from the boardroom guys and the choking scene. Obviously, another one of those iconic moments, just seeing the force choke for the first time. Uh, but yeah, the Tarkin Vader thing, it doesn't really hold up well next to it. But yet, I actually really love, in this original movie, seeing that Vader is maybe not necessarily all powerful. It kind of makes him more powerful when you see him in Empire, knowing that like, at one point, somebody was higher than him. One of those um, top 10 plot holes of prequels thing section on that video was, um, you know, oh, technology got worse or something like that, you know, between the prequels. And that. and that's one thing that I remember growing up thinking like, you know, oh, all these prequels look so modern and flash and the, the originals don't. But I think like it's good how, you know, given that this is sort of controlled by the Empire, like everyone in this universe is basically under a dictatorship, you know, that things like clothes and everything are a lot darker. And I think we talked about this, didn't we, in some of the prequels that, you know, George Lucas deliberately made everything a little bit more brighter and everything along those mm -hmm. lines because, you know, it was peace times and yet in the original trilogy it was kind of dictatorship times and under, you know, mm -hmm. totalitarian control. Um, before the so, dark times. Before the before dark the times. <laughs> which, you know, it's interesting. I mean, there are some valid arguments, I think, about the technology getting worse. Because, like, you know, when it comes to, like, the military, like, that's where all the money usually gets spent in these times, right? So, some of the uh, <laughs> the the spaceships get a little bit crapper. But, um, you know, small <laughs> things here and there. But, um, yeah, I, I love, like, when Luke's, you know, cleaning R2-D2. It's like, oh, there's something stuck in here. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Like... 
why does R2-D2 just do this? Like, is it just purely a case of, oh, find Obi-Wan Kenobi? Like, again, R2-D2 could simply just go to, like, C-3PO and go like, oh, you know, oh, so Luke, um, do you know an Obi-Wan Kenobi? There's somebody near here. Uh, R2's got a message for him. Like, you know, I mean, I guess we get this it's iconic... secret mission. <laughs> secret mission? <laughs> secret mission? Um... So, I, I, yeah, I, uh, just going back to the very beginning there, I love the, the oil bath. Like, thank the makeup, this oil bath is going to feel so oh, ben, good. <laughs> ben loves his baths. I do, I do. I just want <laughs> C-3PO to have some bubbles in there. Uh, <laughs> candles. <laughs> candles. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, I like the dinner table scene too. Like, I'm sure Mark Hamill has discussed plenty of times what they're actually eating there, but... um. <laughs> Like, the blue milk, the famous blue milk. I mean, we know, mm. you know, Luke's eventual love of milk from giant sea creature things. Ugh. Um, but I think <laughs> in that Star Wars world at Disneyland, can't you buy, like, it's like a blue yeah. milk drink, which is like a really, like, it's a fruit milkshake or something like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, blue. I, I just, um, you've seen, though, you know the bad lip-reading people on YouTube and they yes. did those songs, like, the seagulls uh-huh. stop it now? I like the um the a new hope one they do the um every day I'm feeling the uh what are bushes of love and yeah. this bit where it's like you know at an uncle double sons and sipping blue milk my at an uncle double sons I'm sick of blue milk like I just I love that never knew my daddy didn't care about me you horizon oh so good um. But yeah, like this setup is like, you know, I don't, I would like to see those big scenes because again, I can't remember if I have seen them or not, but I think like, yeah, that would have just dragged all this down. I think you get everything explained that you need here, particularly with Owen, you know, like, you know, I need you. You can go next year. Um, I want to see just the alternate cut of Star Wars. Luke going, you know, uh, to R2D2. No, I'm not going to go find Obi-Wan. I'm just going to hang here with my uncles. R2D2 yeah. <laughs> and C3PO go off. They get captured by the Empire. Luke lives happily ever after, working for a year in the moisture farm before joining the Academy and eventually joining the Empire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where him and his father can end up ruling the galaxy as father and son. Yes, exactly. Um, but I, I love the, the scene, um, Actually, the sun bit when he's looking at the sun's like, yeah, it's said iconic. There was a, I think, I don't know if it was the official Star Wars page or a, a fan site shared uh, a great photo of saying like how every moment of like Luke's life is basically covered off by uh, setting suns. Like you have the the baby scene at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you have this scene, mm. and then even his death is kind of done at like a sunset, sunrise. Yeah. Spoiler alert, if you didn't haven't seen the Last Jedi. Um, but yeah, so I kind of I like. We just that spoiled sort of- the best part for them. I know, right? Oh, the end. An iconic <laughs> death that everyone loves. No one ever complains about Luke's death in The Last Jedi. Um, I'll be honest, when I watched I didn't even realise he died. <laughs> I, I <got laughs> this is sort of like walking out of the Phantom Menace. So was Padme Amidala the, the whole time? <laughs> that bit where Darth Maul got chopped in half. So, <laughs> dead, alive! Like, um, But, uh, yeah, I also like when... Um, he the the you talk about like his facial acting, but I, I love that bit when he's got the binocular things and he's zooming around and he's kind of like I can't see. There's nowhere in sight. I just I just really appreciate that acting by Mark Hummel, Hummel uh, there. Hummel. Um, Hummel. I don't know. I've just always really really liked that as well. And I also have written my notes. Um, Mallory has like been saying a hundred times over how whiny Luke is. Uh, still like he's like oh my god he's so whiny. 
And I'm like, yeah, see, like you can pick up on this and like, you know, people <laughs> give it a free pass. Yet poor old Hayden Christensen. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it the next morning when Owen just walks out. Look, look. Yeah. <laughs> just the way he's looking around. Look, how big <laughs> is their farm? Like, and he's not in his bedroom. Look, look. And Baru's like, Owen, does that new droid speak bocce? <laughs> <laughs> and then I love like, like this is where he comes across as a bit of like grumpy old man. He walks into Baru like, have your turn, Luke. She's there like putting some corn in a food processor or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you hear that. <laughs> what is she doing? She's not even taking off like the, the green bits of the corn. Like, Jesus, what do they make? Um, but I mean, so don't, don't Tatooine. Don't what? Say Tatooine where? What? Who? Don't, don't, don't waste anything. If you're living in poverty on Tatooine. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're farming moisture people. Like, I yeah. mean, God. <laughs> um, the rock situation with uh, R2-D2, like, yeah, I can definitely see it's unnecessary, but it's also it's just one of these things that I can't believe people complain about. Like, I mean, it's great that people notice it. Like, it is a, sort of a real subtle little change. But, like, at the end of the day, like, really doesn't matter. Like, I mean, so what? There's an extra rock that he can hide behind. <laughs> like, yeah. it's kind of, it's like, okay, let's, you know, direct all our hatred to George Luke. I can't believe you added a rock! Like, you know, like, I mean, oh, you're the devil, George Lucas. I mean, direct all your hate towards Kathleen Kennedy. Come on. Um, (laughs) So, but I've always loved the Sam people. Like, I loved it in Phantom Menace when we got them coming back. Um, I I just want Luke when he's, like, going on his binoculars and he's, oh, Sam people, all right. And then he goes, I really feel something weird. Like, like, I hate them. Like, I hate all of them. The women. just the men. The <laughs> children, <women>. too. <laughs> I just want to slaughter them like animals. <laughs> like, I can't explain it. But I hate them! <laughs> I hate all of them! I hate them as much as sand! <laughs> but that's when, like, I want subtitles on that sand people, the sand person, when he's, like, attacking Luke. When he's like, there's, like, a subtitle going, this is for our people. Your father killed yeah. everyone. We know. We're the sand people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, always love the sand people. And again, let's be honest, George Lucas, very progressive, could have called them sand men, could have called them sand women. He called them sand <laughs> people. See? Look at that. George Lucas doesn't get credit for that. So he's very forward thinking. Um, I've always loved that, the fact that that noise changes by Obi-Wan when he's coming towards the Yeah. <laughs> they, what they should have done is they should have just like overdubbed it with like the voice of, um, of Anakin, of Aiden Christensen, because that's the one thing Sam people are scared of since he slaughtered them all like animals. They're yeah. just like, oh my God. <laughs> you hear this like, this noise like going, sand. I hate sand. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like, run away. <laughs> Oh, what do we just put nose everywhere in this trilogy every time you want a new reaction? <laughs> no! He's come back for us! <laughs> Shmee, where's Shmee? Uh, <laughs> Eddie, little Eddie, you're so handsome. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, hello there. Um, <laughs> great old Al- Yeah, I... I Definitely with you, like, it's going to be exciting to see just all of this stuff with Obi-Wan kind of before this because, you know, like, 
how does old hermit Ben even know Luke? Like, the fact that he, Luke knows him, like, you know, when he's brought up. So, like, obviously he comes into contact with him every now and then. But it's sort of back to your point when uh, Owen's like, you know, oh, that man's just a crazy old wizard. Stay away from him. It's like, again, stranger danger. Like, at the end of the day, like, the 70s were a much more innocent time. But, like, you're not going to let Casper hang around with an aging old Grogan in a robe down exactly. the street, are you? Like, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> different times. But it's 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 the back to the future argument. Like, what are Marty's parents doing letting him go to an old, crazy, grey-haired scientist's house in the middle of the night? Again, innocent times. We shouldn't have to think like this, you know? Not every old man and young boy. But this old man gave their teenage boy a key to his house. Like, that's even creepier. I also love, like... um, when you see Obi-Wan's house, it's kind of like, you know, he's done all right for himself, Obi-Wan, in retirement, hasn't he? It's like sort of a, it's got a view. It's on a cliff face. Gets a, gets a nice afternoon sun facing easterly off into the distance. It's a, it's a renovator's dream, that house. I'm sure the Moss Eisley real estate company have uh, sold him a good deal. Well, that's, that's, that's like a beachfront property overlooking the Dune Sea. The sand. And he just sits there overlooking. He was right. It is coarse and rough and irritating and it does get everywhere. No wonder he turned to the dark side. Um, I do love this conversation, though. And like, I love C-3PO. Like, sir, if you don't mind, I'll just shut off for a while. And Luke's just like, go ahead. And then you just see C-3PO just go, like, just <laughs> Is that just them sleeping? Like, is that kind of a droid sleeping they need to shut down or something like that? Like, like power down mode? You know, like, you know, put your phone on sleep in the middle of the night yeah. or your laptop? Now, now, is Anthony Daniels in that suit the whole time, do you reckon? Or do you think he's, like, out of oh. it and just sat a droid there? Like, Guy, uh, Guy Ritchie apparently directed Star Wars. Um, <laughs> George Lucas is there, like, oh, no, Anthony, sit still. That's it. That's it. Now, pretend you're asleep. You're doing well. You're doing well. <laughs> Can you imagine, imagine, it's like, a young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine before he turned to evil. Uh, uh, Alec, just one second. <laughs> Anthony, you're breathing very heavily. <laughs> um, but yeah, this scene is like iconic, obviously, when he's like telling him that we're learning about Jedi. The Clone Wars, I think I mentioned that in Attack of the Clones, like getting all excited. Like, oh my God, that's what Obi-Wan mentioned in A New Hope, the Clone Wars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, great things like that. You talk about facial acting, like Alec Guinness is amazing here, kind of oh. just that look on his face of... You know, just telling this story. And I'm sure you've seen that great fan-made video on YouTube where somebody's basically edited what uh, what yeah, Obi-Wan's saying here mixed with, like, visions from the prequels. Um, yeah. It's fantastic. Like, it's one of the best well, fan-made films I've ever seen. It just... It also plays totally differently when you see that movie. Like, we didn't talk much about the, uh, the teaser trailer for Revenge of the Sith, but the very first te- teaser trailer was basically shots from the original trilogy... And then you had Alec Guinness with that narration. It wasn't just narration. You saw him on camera at the beginning of the trailer telling, you know, a young Jedi named Darth Vader. Uh, and then when he says that last line, Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. And they cut to that shot of Anakin with the yellow eyes. Like, it just gave me chills when I saw that the first time. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I love it when they play this um, vision. Um, I, I just think this would be even more perfect. Is as soon as uh, Obi Wan sees the the hologram, he goes, oh, "Hello there!" And then Leia's like, "General Kenobi." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she starts it off with General Kenobi, so we did a "Hello there." Um, <laughs> so, but also like the lightsaber, like you talk about the special edition, and um, 
Again, like it's always complaints about the special editions, but let, let's talk about a positive, the fact that they've kind of rendered this lightsaber to look so much better. You talk about mm-hmm. things that uh, you remember from, you know, before the special editions. I remember how shit the lightsabers looked, particularly yeah. when it comes to the Obi-Wan Darth Vader scene. There was that one oh, famous yeah. moment where you could just literally see the metal rod. Um, that they you legitimately couldn't see any glowing to it. It was that bad. So um, yeah, and I think kind of this this looks like brighter color. It looks very much connected to what it would be, um, you know, compared to the prequels. So yeah, and I I also like this sort of you know Obi Wan like you must come with me to Alderaan and kind of you know look. It's not like I like the Empire. I hate it, but I want to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, poor old Luke, little whingy Luke. And I, yeah, I love the scene around the table with Tarkin and, you know, just, yeah, I, I love this. Who is this guy? I'm sure he's got a 20 page Wikipedia article, like, you know, <laughs> go through this with your ancient hokey religion, Vader. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what do you, so this station is now the ultimate power in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how everyone sits around the table and it's all like, oh, here goes old Darth again, choking people. (laughs) Workplace bully. Like, I want Jenkins in the background writing this down. And Vader's like, what are you doing, Jenkins? Nothing. And you see a, like, incident report. (laughs) May 12th, 7 a.m. Vader's choking someone again. I'm taking you straight to HR. Sit down, Jenkins. Don't you do it, Darth. I'll report you again. Oh, damn it. If I get another strike, I get a day off. No pay. <laughs> God damn um, it. <laughs> well, let's kind of breeze through the rest of the Tatooine stuff here really quickly. Uh, it, we cut back to, uh, I guess, the Jawa Sandcrawler. Is the, he was dropping Obi-Wan off at Anchorhead and just happened to stop by this Jawa Sandcrawler on the way there, which has been blasted to pieces. And Luke's even saying, you know, obviously sand people did this. <laughs> and then he's like, we're only meant to think it was sand people. Only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. And I now, want Luke to be like, really? <laughs> like, like again, I think th- this is one of those plot holes which I think we can all argue is a bit of a dumb line. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, I don't think even the most, you know, staunch defender of anything Star Wars can defend this line because, yeah, th- th- we definitely should get a Luke Skywalker. Really? <laughs> the Stormtroopers? <laughs> Somebody should Although be saying it. Let's say this, Obi-Wan's been hiding in a hut for 20-some-odd years. I mean, the last time he saw these stormtroopers, they were incredibly precise. They were brand new, they'd replaced the clones, so I'm sure when they first started, like, they were, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs were a great hockey team when they first started, they won Stanley Cups. (laughs) He went into hiding for 30 years, woke up in the 90s and the 2000s, and was like, only the Toronto Maple Leafs could win a Stanley Cup like that. (laughs) Luke's like, really? Really, Obi-Wan, the, the least. <laughs> they can win this out. Okay, then. <laughs> but we also get a return of Detective Obi-Wan here with his little Sherlock Holmes stuff um, where he goes, plus these tracks are side by side. <laughs> All these sand people are always right. Single file. Uh, and, you know, Luke has his, why would Imperial troops want to slaughter Jawas? And Obi-Wan doesn't answer to him. He just sort of looks at the droids like, if they trace the robots here, they may have learned who they sold them to and then leave them back home. <laughs> the way he has home. And Obi-Wan's like, wait, Luke, it's too dangerous. <laughs> um, it still is, like, as, as whiny as it is, I think this is why I love Luke, is that it's so authentic. And Mark Hamill has, you know, told the story a million times about, you know, auditioning for this movie and basically being handed these three pages of a script and having to read it, having no context of what am I talking about? What is a Death Star? What is Alderaan? 
And you can see his screen tests on, you know, the DVDs or um, the the different uh, making ofs on the Blu-rays. And he just reads it like so matter of fact. So there's something so honest about his delivery, even when he's like, may have learned who the soul is, will be back home. Like he still feels very real to me. And I remember growing up, my brother used to always make fun of him and say like, Mark Hamill is a terrible actor. I'm like, no, he's not. I mean, you're saying that because you see him as a whiny kid, but I'm like, this is the way kids are. Uh, especially a 19-year-old who's never been able to go anywhere. Uh, we get that that really exciting music, like the first time the dun dun mm. dun, dun, dun dun as the speeders flying, and then Luke pulls up and he's like, "Uncle Owen, not Peru," and he sees what the burned corpses of his aunt and uncle. Pretty gruesome for Star Wars. Um, I'm not gonna lie, when I see that, I keep thinking, like, would it have been a little bit funny if we saw them burning? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Like it's, it's 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 only funny when you actually see them on fire. When you see their charred skeletons, it's kind of like, oh no. But then it's I'm sure sad. you sit there and go like little sniggy, like <laughs> they burned to death. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, especially if you wonder their conversation at the time is like, Owen, Owen, I'm on fire. This never would have happened if you hadn't gotten that droid. You speaks botchy. Shut up, woman. <laughs> Stop nagging me. No, I want them to be burning, and then like um, Owen's looking at a stormtrooper. I hate you. And then a stormtrooper's yeah. like, "You were my brother, Owen. You were the chosen one. It was never meant to be like this. <laughs> I hate you." <laughs> Um, <laughs> what if they're just burning? <laughs> I'm not laughing just because they're burning, but they're in the middle of burning. Blue like, milk, put me off! I'm on fire, Owen! 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 Stop, drop, and roll! Stop <laughs> nagging me! I know what to do when I'm on fire. If we had stop, an age drop, thirty years in twenty years, then we our skin wouldn't be as flammable. We would be able to sustain this. And then, like, <laughs> honestly, like, what have they used to burn this place down? Like, they are charred skeletons. Like, you know, I, I think kind of at the end of the day, if, like, it's only been gone for a couple of hours. I'm sure there's going to be a bit of flesh still left on the bones. Like, have they used, like, rocket fuel or something like this? Well, I want to see. This is, like, we joke about that line being terrible, but, like, this is the most sadistic we ever hear about Stormtroopers being in the entire franchise. Like, even when we yeah. see kind of them being dicks in Rogue One and Solo. Like, I want to see this. Like, in all Serious. I want to see a storm trip like, where are the droids? Where are the droids? Right, burn it. Grab the rocket fuel. Hang down there. Sit yeah. down there. Like we, like that is pretty sadistic. Like that mm-hmm. is pure evil. I want to see these storm trips. Or are they just kind of like you know innocent bystanders and they're like you know back to the Death Star like, uh, uh, yes, uh, General, uh, uh, they're not here. It's like burn them. <laughs> and it's like, uh, sir, are you sure about that? I said burn them. It's like, oh, oh, Larry, do you want to burn them? Just burn them. Roger, Roger. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well when you mentioned like there'd still be some flesh to i'm just like uh, talk about great facial acting from mark hamill you know when when he sort of mm. looks at them and he sort of hangs his head and then he looks up with like this look like i know and i have to like this heroic moment you just imagine the scene goes on a little bit longer and says like oh what's that smell like oh it's horrible he just sort of runs away um but, like, the way he goes back, and again, just the facial acting when he sees Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan's just immediately like, you know, there's nothing you could have done, Luke. And Mark Hamill's not even looking at him. Just the way he looks up, he's like, I'm going to come with you to all around. Like, he's so good in these movies. I, I I love that there's been this, you know, huge um, revival for Mark Hamill where fans have gotten excited about him. And it all seemed to come from just holding off when we get to Force Awakens, 
when they held off on using him in Force Awakens, it got people so excited and appreciative of him because I never had this growing up. You know, people would be Luke, but it's like, but look, look at the, what he does. It's so good in this movie. Um, means, you have to wonder about this. Colin, ten years until Hayden Christensen's appreciated. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Well, when they when they hold off on showing him in The Rise of Skywalker, only to have him finally reappear in Ryan Johnson's trilogy, then people will love Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I, I'm telling you now, and like we will talk about, we're getting closer and closer to that. If we get Hayden Christensen in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, I will stand up and I'll go, yes! And I will cheer. <laughs> like, that will Absolutely. be... Only Jar Jar Binks could top that. And I, I am saying that with legitimate act, like, 100% mean that. I'm not being mm-hmm. a dick. Like, I would, I would lose my shit if Jar Jar came as well. Uh, but Hayden yeah. Chris, oh my god, that, greater than any other return that would be. Mm-hmm. Better than Jimmy Smith's. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. It's Jimmy Smith's. <laughs> At least better than Mon Mothma, right? What a man. Jimmy uh, Smith's. Oh. <laughs> so Luke says, you know, uh, also, um, where he's like, I want to become a Jedi like my father before me. And he just sort of puts his arm around me. He goes, well, maybe not completely like your father. <laughs> he's got to be cringing a little bit there. Uh, we also did miss the, the quick Leia torture scene here, which again, plays so much stronger when you know that Vader's her father and he's torturing his daughter. He's waterboarding his daughter here. Lots more Star Wars waterboarding. Um, when they're overlooking the Mos Eisley Cantina, this is that, you know, um, never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Um, there's something that I did. This was probably one of the video projects I was proudest of is I, I was just sort of playing around one day and I thought about, you know, George Lucas always said how he really made Star Wars as like a tribute to those movie serials of like the, the 40s and the 50s. And, you know, I've seen some of those old movie serials and not, you know, specifically like, you know, the ones that George Lucas bases off like Flash Gordon, but just other ones. So I kind of got the feel for what they're like. And I actually was able to pick apart the points in this movie where this would be a good ending and this would be a cliffhanger and this is how they would pick up. And I re-edited A New Hope as a movie serial. So you have the opening crawl, but once, you know, the opening crawl is done, I had a a title that would say Chapter One, you know, uh, Imperial Attack and stuff like that. And, you know, I would give them like really corny episode titles like this. And I would leave off like uh, at this point, I think it was like chapter three or four at that point. And I left off when he's like, wait, Luke, it's too dangerous. And I would freeze frame on Mark Hamill. Then you'd cut to like, you was like, da, 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 da. and I'd have like a title come up. Will Luke rescue Owen and Baru before they're burned alive? <laughs> Tune in next week. And then I would cut back, you know, the Star Wars theme plays. And I would do like chapter five. And I actually titled this one, A Wretched Hive of Scum and Villainy. <laughs> just, it fits perfectly. <laughs> but I want to dig that up to show it to you because it was, it was it was so cool to actually watch this the way that George Lucas kind of designed it. Um, more stuff here that like fans are kind of divided on. The special editions, you know, the, the inclusion of this drive to Mos Eisley, there, this really didn't exist in the original version. Uh, George Lucas added a lot because he wanted more of this. He wanted to be able to see the city, so some of the, that big pan out shot as they're driving. Some of the stuff in there is a little bit, you know, too fun for a serious section of the movie, like where you have the, you know, the, the droids hitting each other and everything. Um, but still, just giving a bigger atmosphere. You know, I, I feel like people don't complain as much about the Cloud City part of this, but uh, you know, this right here I think is a perfect example of why you should do a special edition because, in all honesty, he didn't get to do what he wanted to with the movie, and we'll get into more of a debate later on about you know uh, what should or shouldn't be done in special editions. But 
this is a good addition as far as I'm concerned. And it, and it still looks like it fits. You know, the people walking around the streets uh, when they pull up to the Stormtrooper conversation is they're kind of getting past security here. And you just see like these giant creatures walking in front of the camera. You know, I like that. Um, but here's another one of these iconic things where there probably was never intended that way where he's, uh, you know, trying to get past the Stormtroopers. And let me see your identification. And he's doing the Jedi mind trick for the first time. Uh, and th- these aren't the droids you're looking for. Like, how many people quote that line and know what that line is? These aren't the droids you're looking for without ever even having seen the movie. Uh, and it, obviously, you know, Luke just having to have this explained to him. It's probably the only time where George Lucas kind of breaks with the whole, I want to drop into a movie and not explain what's going on. Like, obviously, you have to explain the way the Force worked. Here, having to explain, like, how a Jedi mind trick work. But it's still so cool. Just like the idea that the Jedi's could just use this. You got to wonder what other things that Obi-Wan use these Jedi mind tricks on. And what if one of these stormtroopers was smart? The other one was dumb. If he's like, he's like, uh, these aren't the droids I'm looking for. Uh, you can go about your business. Move along. And the other guy's like, Jerry, <laughs> do you realize what you just did? <laughs> it's like, what? What? <laughs> Those weren't the droids we're looking for. Yes, they were. <laughs> God damn it, Jerry. I'm reporting you in for this, trouble Jerry. enough. Yeah. Far out. Did you not? Oh, God damn it! I, I can't afford to go a week without pay again. Jesus yeah. Christ, Jerry! <laughs> like, how does Obi Wan know that they're they're all weak minded here? Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the cantina scene. Another one of those moments that I feel like it's had to be redone in every single movie in one form or another. You know, when they're uh, in the pod race sequence, you have all these cool aliens. In Attack of the Clones, they actually get like the the, the nightclub, and you get all the cool aliens. Um, Every single Star Wars movie has something like the cantina scene. And this is another example of George Lucas didn't get it the way he wanted, even when he was on set. You know, one of the reasons why the, uh, I guess, the Han Solo scene plays a little bit differently is because, you know, George Lucas didn't, when he was on set, they didn't have all the creatures they wanted. It didn't look right. So he said, we're going to have to go back later on and we're going to have to redo it, which is why there is actually two actors that play Greedo. One's a man and one's a woman. They had to add a couple of lines in there. But when they were on set, there were only like a handful of aliens here. And most of the ones that they interact with, you can see, aren't actually aliens. There's all these little cutaways. Another thing they did in the special edition, it wasn't even just let's add new aliens in here. It was a full re-edit of this. Because I remember seeing this the first time in theaters when the special edition came out. And actually being like, oh, that shot wasn't in originally. Oh, this one was in a different spot. So just rearranging a little bit, you know, it added a little bit you know, a little bit, uh, I guess, a freshness to it. I think they have like one or two new aliens that were put in there. Um, but none of it was on set. And I don't know if you noticed the cameo of one of the actors in suits that appears in the scene, or can you not recognize him? Uh, is it Jimmy Smith? No. <laughs> well, Kenny Baker is uh, the little guy at the bar uh, that has like this you know, look or whatever after the arm gets cut off, which is funny because Anthony Daniels in Attack of the Clones basically plays the same role. He's the guy mm. sort of in the background. The arm gets cut off. He sort of looks around. But yeah, you actually see Kenny Baker in this scene as himself. Um, you know, Obi-Wan or the droids are told to wait outside because we don't serve their kind in here. Uh, this is where L3 needed to appear and be like, equal rights for droids. <laughs> and she said, I'm going to sit at the counter. <laughs> Just like she was sitting in the sitting in the back of the bus or whatever in the last movie. Um, Is but it yeah, three explained people- why they, they people are so anti-droid? Like, we don't serve those kinds here. Like- I don't know. I mean, because you have, like, 
shopping centers and stuff like that that have automated tellers where you just scan it yourself, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. There's people who have this big uproar over the, this is costing jobs. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that it took more people to build that machine than it takes to operate one of the registers you go through. So, uh, but that's probably what it is. Like these droids are stealing jobs away from hardworking <laughs> Moss Isolians like myself. My father uh, committed all- suicide because he lost a job to a droid. We don't serve those kinds in hell. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe this is just a, it's completely logical. We don't serve their kind in here. And what if Luke's like, yeah, and why not? And it's like, because they don't drink. <laughs> we don't have oil on tap. <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> like, what were they supposed to serve the droids? Was R2 going to pull up and, like, down a shot or something? Like, <laughs> My memories from all this time. No one can understand me. I remember. Yeah. I know who your father is, Luke, but you won't listen to me. <laughs> He has to carry that on his shoulders every day of his life. R2's got um, PTSD, people. Yeah. <laughs> get him a counsellor. But we get the guys from Rogue One reappearing here. That's what they were doing, walking around. And here I they're picking a fight with Luke. That he doesn't like you. I don't like you either. I like Luke's just going like, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's so sincere. The, fa- the family guy was like, you don't even know me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> And Luke's kind of rude here. Like, I can see why, because Luke's kind of rude here, too. Like, he could just wait for the bartender to get his attention or whatever, or he could say, excuse me, sir. Yeah, he he pulls on his shirt. Hey, hey, buddy. And he just points. Ugh, ugh, that one. (laughs) Where's B. Arthur? Is it a day off? (laughs) Well, that's why he's being a jerk. That's after this, isn't it? Maybe this guy got fired because he didn't serve people enough. No, he got fired because they were a progressive bar in Moss Eisley. And B. Arthur comes in and goes, um, Carl, I heard you didn't serve some droids. Uh, that's not how we handle things here. Um, you can have the weekend off. I'll take over. I might sing a song. Don't know, but let's, you have the weekend off. Um, but yeah, like the scene, obviously, with Little Just Watch Yourself and Obi-Wan. Um, you want to talk about an actual plot hole here? Obi-Wan, where, you know, uh, he cuts the guy's arm off and you see blood, like, pouring out of it. Like, the lightsaber would have seared that wound shut in a second, which is what we see in all the others. Uh, and still pretty graphic looking at it now. That's one of the things where I'm surprised George Lucas didn't do it, because you're toning down a little bit of the violence for one, and then also it matches up with the other movies. Um, he takes some... You actually see him talking to Chewbacca at the bar beforehand. You wonder, like, does he know Chewie? Is this, like, a regular patron here? It's like, oh, Chewbacca! Yoda's old friend, <laughs> or is he just meeting him for the first time here? It's like, hello, you look like a helpful Wookiee. Uh, there, there is some deleted cantina stuff here where Han is like making out with some woman, like at his table as Chewie's off talking to Obi Wan, which is just really weird. Like Han was getting it on in the booth here and zipping up his pants. Like he wasn't actually zipping up his pants, but that's kind of what's implied here. Uh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> but. Um, you know, after Obi-Wan cuts off the guy's arm, he just, you know, picks up Luke and he's like, uh, Chewbacca here is first mate on a ship that might suit us. Uh, he, obviously Obi-Wan speaks Wookiees or whatever because he already had this full conversation with them. Uh, R2 and 3PO are having a hide outside as stormtroopers are searching around for him. I love where he's like, uh, I'm not sure what uh, went on here, but I'm sure it's your fault. And R2, you watch your language. <laughs> The, you said like the thing where they they you know put the subtitles in for R2D2 those things are a lot of fun um so I guess this is the main thing to talk about here the the Han shoots first scene which I mean the scene itself is just 
you know, I'm going to uh, charge you, you know, ten thousand, and Luke's like, we could almost buy our own ship for that. <laughs> Who's gonna fly? Can you? You bet I could. I'm not sort of a bad pilot myself. <laughs> but uh, even Obi Wan's like, shut up, Luke. <laughs> but then Obi Wan, <laughs> yeah, we just met outside. <laughs> but uh, you know, he basically says, oh, I'll pay you, you know, two now, and then fifteen when we reach Alderaan. So he's like, oh, okay, you bought yourself a ship. They leave, and he tells them we have to sell your Speedo. We cut back to Han. He's even telling Chewie, he's like, these guys must really be desperate. And you want to criticize some dialogue. Like, nobody wants to pick on the original trilogy. But the fact that he says, those guys must really be desperate. This could really save my neck. I'm like, do you really have to use really two times in a row there, George? Uh, it's a minor complaint, but, like, if people are going to pick apart every line of dialogue in the original... There's a little few too many uses of the word really here. Uh, and here we get where Greedo cuts him off. Now, this scene was shot twice. Now, for two reasons. One, the Jabbath scene that's going to follow in the special editions uh, was cut from the movie. And originally, they didn't have Han explaining what happened with Greedo. It was just sort of going to be like, you know, uh, Han, Jabba has no time for you. And then it was sort of like, you know, I'm getting out of here over my dead body. And they didn't explain the scene. So if you actually watch the scene with Greedo, when Han's reaching under the table, you hear his voice say, even I get bored and sometimes you think I had a choice, which is the exact same line of dialogue they actually pulled from the Jabba scene later on. It's identical. They, they actually just pulled the audio from that scene that the Jabba scene that was originally cut and inserted it in there, which is why you don't see Han saying it, because they had to explain that still. Um, but also the, the fact they had to reshoot this because the aliens didn't work on set and they need to do a lot more. There were two Greedos in the scene. I'm fully willing to believe that like George Lucas's intention maybe was, you know, I wanted to have Greedo shoot first. It's, it's hard to know because nobody really knows exactly what it is. I mean, obviously in the original edition, this is the big controversy, you know, Han shoots first. Um, we had the special edition where Han shoots first and then Greedo shoots. And then we have the kind of compromises in the Blu-ray releases where they both sort of, sort of shoot at the same time. Now, it's, it's one of those com minor complaints where people get so up in arms about, like, does that really change the movie? And yet when I saw it in the special edition, I had seen Star Wars enough times that I could have quoted the movie. I didn't notice a difference. I mean, I, was, I wasn't old enough to really care. But it's not like I'm like, wait a second, Han's supposed to shoot first there. And just, people get so upset about it. But when it was brought to my attention, well, Han's supposed to shoot first in that scene. I'm like, doesn't it actually make Han cooler that he shoots at him and he doesn't even respond? He just fires the trigger right afterwards? So I'm not really one to hate this in any way. I think I've watched all three versions now. You know, sometimes I'll go back and watch the original version of this movie, the non-special edition. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'll see where they both shoot at the same time. Like, it's such a minor thing. And I honestly feel like George Lucas did that compromise on the end almost as a joke towards the fans saying, I can keep changing these movies. I'm just never going to give you exactly what you want because it's such a stupid thing to argue about. Um, but quickly wrapping it up here, you know, Luke sells his speeder to some guy. There's a spy walking around the streets that, you know, is following him and Obi-Wan so they know what's going on. Han has the scene with Jabba, which I get this is completely unnecessary. We don't need it in the movie. The only reason we don't need it in the movie is because that line was added in after it was originally cut that you don't, even I get bored of sometimes you think I had a choice. I'm okay with it being included back in here. You know, you can see the original deleted scene as well, where it's just a guy in a furry suit. Not a furry suit like a costume, but just a man who's wearing a furry jacket. And George Lucas has said that he wanted to do an alien there, uh, but they didn't have the effects for it, so they just had a guy on set. They weren't sure if they could replace him later on. Eventually they realized we'll just cut the scene for pacing. 
I think it's still cool to have it back in the movie. Um, when he steps on his tail, it was obviously an intention to fix an effect that wouldn't work because Han couldn't walk around the tail. So they had him digitally step on it and you get like Jabba. Uh, small improvements they made over time is, you know, the, the Jabba look did not look right in the original special edition. It looked very rubbery, too light. They kind of darkened him. But I still kind of like seeing Han interact with Jabba. As much as I say, if you're going to take anything out of the special editions, I'm okay with losing this. I don't have any issues with it overall. Uh, and obviously the sequence sort of ends as, you know, they, what a piece of junk. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know, they say, okay, but it can make 0.5 past light speed, you know, get on board. We're running out of time. Uh, we'll kind of end it here just as the shootout stops before we get into space. Uh, but you know, the Millennium Falcon, I mean, again, this looks spectacular, but really you do look at it. It does look like a piece of junk. Uh, it adds so much to Luke, just the banter with Han that really, if you, unless you really analyze this movie, you don't realize how much they're really at each other's throats from start to finish. Um, but I guess overall, I mean, the, the cantina stuff here is so iconic. People, they just get hung up on these little details when there's a lot of unnecessary stuff in this movie. You know, it's not like every scene is needed to further the plot. People just get so attached to something that they need it one way. And they either take it out on, oh, we didn't need that Jabba scene, or oh, we didn't need Han shooting first. And honestly, I couldn't care less. I think the thing, too, is that um, kind of where we're up to where we're just sort of capping it there is that, I mean, we're, we're nearly halfway through this movie. Like, it, it goes by very quickly and kind of like, I always forget that sort of, you know, the first half of this movie is kind of all on planet stuff and then we're in space. So kind of like, this is great thing about this movie too it flows very quickly it, it um you know you, you're obviously never bored <laughs> it's not the last jedi but um yeah like i love it when they they go into myself I've, I've never been one to complain about the the additions of the sort of the special editions with the sort of the aliens and the the big giant cow things and all that sort of stuff like i mean it, it kind of this is when we get to return of the jedi just little things that you know, it it does well in connecting the prequels with the originals. You know, it does it more so that you can appreciate it. And okay, you're going to get these staunch defenders like, this is my movies and you destroyed it with the prequels and everything along those lines. At the end of the day, you know, these are six movies that are all connected to each other and kind of, you know, you feel that need every now and then to be connected. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely one that doesn't really give two rats about those things sort of added. I have to say, though, I love it when the whole, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Move along. Um, like, I love R2-D2 just l- lying in the back of the speeder, like the way he's, like, laying down. <laughs> like, it's just it's kind of like you're talking about appliances. They just grabbed the, you know, the bar fridge and whacked it on the back of the thing. Like, oh, we'll just transport this down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, I love Luke's reactions when he's, like, his hair's just going, like, left, right, left, right. Like, what's going on? Like, kind of back to that deleted See, like you're joining the rebellion like i just i just want luke to be like going, what are you doing he's just changing his mind shut up luke <laughs> um but yeah i mean god the 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 moss Eisley scene like i i said to mallory i'm like can we please have yes at our reception and she's like yes like as if she's going to give me a choice i think i'm in control of the uh the music anyway um the band i think they're called jizz whalers aren't they like isn't that what they're called uh like legitimately <laughs> they? called. i don't even know that trivia 
again, the Family Guy episode is just hilarious. It's like, hey guys, we're the, canteen- the, the Cantina Band. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be here all night. And then they like, let's play that, you know, any requests. Play the same song again. Okay. Oh, such a great theme. But like, as you said, like, Basically, they recreate this in every single goddamn Star Wars movie. I mean, like, I think the, like, I don't have a problem with it in the prequels, because, again, we defend the prequels, but, like, I remember seeing The Force Awakens when they go and meet What's-A-Name for the first time. Like, straight away, I'm like, holy crap, this is just the cantina scene. Mm-hmm. That's the one where I was like, wow, this is, like, really obvious. But I just I just love that bit when Luke's looking around and you see all the other aliens. Like, you've got werewolf guy, you've got, like, that claw yeah. hand and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, when Luke's a dick to the bartender guy, like, uh, this bartender just looks at him and he's just got a drink sitting there, like, waiting to go. Like, I mean, it's kind of, ew, I, I want a fresh one, thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't like you. I don't like you either. <laughs> I just want to do I'm an sorry. experiment. <laughs> I want to go to a bar every night and just, like, grab someone at the bar. <laughs> he doesn't like you. I don't like you either. And I think it's also on that um the How It Should Have Ended video when he's like, I have the death sentence in 20 systems. And then, like, Obi-Wan comes up with then, like, Stormtroopers, like, dude, you're under arrest. And he's like, oh, damn it, I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> uh, but I actually, one thing that I only found out recently is that that arm actually isn't that guy. It's his friend's arm. Like, that's why mm-hmm. it's hairy. Like, I always yeah. assumed it was, he doesn't like you, guy. Um, but yeah, it's actually the, the testicle chin guy. So, um, yeah, I was, I was blown away by that fact. Like the amount of times I've seen this movie and I've never worked that out. Um, I, I do like kind of when we come back and we've got the jizz whalers, the, you keep calling the jizz whalers. I looked up on Wikipedia. No, I looked up on Wikipedia. It is figuring Dan in the model notes. No, they're totally, but I think their species is called jizz whalers or something like that. No, they're, they're actually. Like, no, nah, well, there's a jizz whaler in this. There's what a, is there's a jizz whaler? <laughs> the all Biff band specialise in jizz whaling and jets. That's, That's the, the music, type of music style. Okay. Okay, well, whatever. There's definitely jizz whaling in there. <laughs> I knew there was a jizz whale. I'm not making this up. Um, just, you know, jizz whalers. They were playing jizz whaler. That's what they were doing. (laughs) They were jizz whaling away. They were jizzing everywhere. Um, but like we we talked about it in Solo, didn't we? About kind of how, you know, the arguments about it being an unnecessary movie because, you know, Han Solo is sort of the only one that talks to the audience by saying like, Han Solo, Captain of the Millennium Falcon. But like just that, that level of coolness that he has, the way he just kind of sits down and he's just like, Han Solo, Captain of the Millennium. Like, it's just like, whoa, dude's cool. Um, I also love Chewie. Yeah. <laughs> I just hooked up with five women, kid. <laughs> Using with your old man. Listen to some jizz whaling. Um, <laughs> some jizz whaling in the back. <laughs> I was creating my own jizz whaling, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> uh, he comes on screen straight away and Mallory literally is like, oh, God, he's so attractive. Like, I mean, yeah. Come on, uh, we'd all go there. We, we'd 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 crack a bit of Han off. Um, we, you know, have you ever seen um, the movie Morning Glory with uh, Harrison Ford and Rachel McAdams, Diane Keaton? Uh, oh, that's the one where they're newsreaders. No, I haven't yeah. seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a guy in that movie, Patrick Wilson, who um, you know he's he's in like everything, and he's a man who never seems to age. And Jamie was like, you know, uh, saying it's like, oh, he's so hot. And it was or during a scene where you know Harrison Ford is on screen. I'm like, which one? She goes, Patrick Wilson, of course. I'm like, well, I would have thought Harrison Ford. I mean, this guy's like 70 and still more handsome than him. <laughs> I will say with Chewbacca's effects, like. The eyes look a bit jarring because it's kind of like just this this mask on him. Uh, what's his face? Like just you can kind of you really can... see his yeah. You can really see his eyes, which kind of you know looks a bit strange. Like I, I'm not saying you can't see his eyes in other movies, but like it, it, it you can tell it's more of a like a mask just on someone. Yeah. Um, I do love it when you see the stormtroopers coming in, and um, you know this is why Luke basically. Uh, probably piss his bartender off enough because you see the stormtroopers up to the bartender guy and the bartender's like, I'm there! Like, straight yeah. away. <laughs> the stormtroopers like, huh? Um, again, badass stormtroopers. Come on, they didn't, you know, hesitate by blowing up Baru and Owen before. Like, can't they just, like, <laughs> blow the shit out of this bar? But I do like it kind of the way they walk past and, like, Han's just sitting there with Chewie. I want one of these stormtroopers to be like, Han? And he's like... <laughs> Jeff! Oh, we were in the <laughs> Empire together! Oh, how you been? Oh, great. Yeah, awesome. You know? Um, but yeah, the Greedo thing, like, doesn't really bother me either. Like, it's probably something that I didn't recognize as well. Like, yeah, I get the fan backlash in a way where they're like, you know, they want Han to be a badass by shooting first. Fair enough. But, um, at what other point in the trilogy does Han kind of show that he's like this ruthless badass, if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, he just kills people willy-nilly uh, you know other ports of the trilogy so that's kind of in a way i don't see a big problem with it if we saw that throughout the whole trilogy okay fair enough but yeah we don't really see that with him so yeah. you know it's, it's fine but I, yeah just the coolness when he walks up and he's like sorry about the mess oh, yeah, and just walks awesome. out um yeah leia getting tortured cool daddy daughter <laughs> issues yep uh, <laughs> And then, yeah, the, the, the Jabba scene, like, um, I remember when they were promoting the special editions, that was like what the one that they always showed, like, you know, like, oh, we've got this extra scene, um, which, cause you see Boba Fett there too, don't you? Like that's technically, I mean, he wasn't in the original shoot. They inserted him in there again, just for continuity. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's cool. But again, my version doesn't have subtitles that I was watching. So the Greedo scene and this scene, uh, didn't have subtitles. So I sort of, I remembered enough of what was being said to kind of do it. But I I also think it kind of. Well, I was going to say, did, did you ever pick up on that? Even I get boarded sometimes. You think out of choices, the exact same line of dialogue from the Jabba scene that they just put in the Greedo scene in 1977. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it happens, what, within, like, the space of, like, two minutes, doesn't it, or something like mm-hmm. that, so, um, but yeah, I mean, like, in the grand scheme of things, I think continuity-wise, it makes a lot more sense, you know, because otherwise we just have, like, Jabba appearing in Return of the Jedi, and we've never really heard of this guy before, mm-hmm. um, I mean, okay, admittedly, with the prequels, you obviously didn't, you know, a slight cameo, but, yeah, I think it, it's, you know, it's a fine scene, I, I like the tail bit, like, when he just walks on it. <laughs> Um, and yeah, like the, what a piece of junk. Cause that's like a kind of a recurring theme, isn't it? Like, yeah, admittedly it does look like a piece of junk. So, um, you know, I love, love, you talk about facial reactions, just Harrison Ford's facial reactions when they start shooting at him before he goes up the thing, just like running up the ramp or, and it's like pew, pew, pew. Or, or when 3PO is going, hello, sir, all politely. And he just sort of rolls his eyes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> not a droid. <laughs> Droids. Um, 
But I, I just, I want the follow-up scene when the Millennium Falcon takes off. I want, like, the Stormtroopers going, oh, Frank, what happened to your shooting? Ten minutes ago, we blew up a couple of people and burned them to Oh, I don't know, Grant. Like, it just, oh, I just, I just, something's gone off in me. I just don't understand why all of a sudden, like, I just can't shoot straight, you know? Like, I'm just not Jerry, <laughs> I told you those were the droids we were looking for. I'm so stressed. What if, what if the Emperor finds out? <laughs> Um, and also just quickly before we sort of go into the space stuff, I think actually when they first get into the cockpit, we get the uh, the view in the background the of the famous dice that we yeah. are so glad we got a back story <laughs> for a couple of movies ago. Um, <laughs> well, a movie ago, really. Two movies ago. So, yeah. Um, but, hey, we know what happened to them, so go us. Funny enough, on the topic of the dice, you know, I, I know this has sort of been like debated back and forth, and we even commented on this in the previous, uh, I think, of the solo episode, whether the dice was even ever a thing before the Last Jedi. And even though I think you had, you'd point out, oh yeah, there was like a shot in A New Hope where it appeared, or or it's visible, or Harrison Ford kind of just said, let's have this on set. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this movie. I could pinpoint like everything. I mean, when we're watching the lightsaber battle. I know, like, every single move. I'm quoting every single line to Jamie. I, I can tell you, you know, what, you know, um, asteroid floats in the background during the Empire Strikes Back chase. But I could never tell you if there was dice in here until <laughs> I looked for it in this one scene. And it's not even obvious enough that you know it's dice when you see it. So, like, why did they go to the trouble? We'll talk about this more in Last Jedi. But why go to the trouble of creating something, you know, to to remind the audience of Harrison Ford and Han Solo's presence? With dice that somebody who has seen this movie a million times, knows it by heart, could only spot when he was told it was there. Like, it's it's so useless that this became the symbol for Harrison Ford post his death in Force Awakens. Do, do you think that um, it was written in the Solo script, the Last Jedi script first, so that one of them had to compliment the other? Like, because it kind of feels like either Solo did it because The Last Jedi made it a bigger deal, or The Last Jedi did it because they go, oh, hang on a minute, we're going to be doing that in Solo, so we better kind of bring this forward all these years later. I would think maybe only because it played a bigger part in The Last Jedi. It probably came in The Last Jedi first. Um, and, and again, I understand you need something, but maybe like, you know, I don't know, take, take a, a button off of the Millennium Falcon, or, <laughs> uh, maybe Han had a spare vest in the back and that's what they could hand off. You know, either way, when we get to the last Jedi, there's a massive plot hole in the fact that is a physical object that Luke can transport across the galaxy, um, <laughs> that somehow disappears in the end, but we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Um, anyways, so after they, you know, escape from Mos Eisley, uh, we get the quick space chase here. And I just got to say, I absolutely love the rapport that Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford have. Mm-hmm. Like, just this constant bickering they have back and forth. But yet, it's always fun. And and they, they kind of bicker the way that guys do. Like, they don't insult each other. And then the other one's like, hey, watch it. You know, they're, they're just like, fine, I'll, I'll send one back at you. Like, the first thing Luke says is like, why don't you run? I thought you said this thing was fast. <laughs> and then Han's like... Watch your mouth, you're going to find yourself floating off. <laughs> Meanwhile, C-3PO, that's offensive. Hashtag me too. Like, you know, no. Yeah. <laughs> droid lives matter. Well, we, there's another part coming up where the droid lives matter, which uh, unfortunately I picked up on. But anyways, I just I just love the, the bickering they have back and forth, which really continues for the entire movie. Um, so Leia, when she's on the Death Star here, when Tarkin's bringing her on board, uh, you know, he previously said perhaps she'd respond to an alternative form of persuasion uh and 
you see him in the control room here, and they they got the planet in the background. Now, it's amazing that Leia walks in there, and she doesn't immediately see in front of the giant view screen or window or whatever. It's like, hey, it's home. <laughs> There's I'm no home. recognition at all. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can see my house from here. <laughs> but uh, there's no recognition at all. But she immediately comes in and slips into her accent, which we talked about. You know, George Lucas was uh, nice enough to fit in with Padme in the uh, the prequels, uh, where she, whenever she speaks formally, whenever she's in her role as the senator, the same thing with Leia here, she slips into this accent. She's like, I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. <laughs> and I always, always have just always assumed that Tarkin smells based off this one line. I just, <laughs> I just legitimately, every time I see him on screen, I'm just thinking, oh, that guy must smell. Like, cause just ever, ever since his line, uh, cause he doesn't even react. He just, what is he just like, charmed. Something. Charmed. Yeah. <laughs> like, It'd be great if the scene ends and, and then take her away. And then all of a sudden he turns to Vader. All right, Vader, you were right. I did need more deodorant. <laughs> I just want every time a stormtrooper, like he walks past a stormtrooper, they go, oh, God, Tarkin. Yeah. What was that? C3P712? <laughs> nothing, sir. Nothing. Just monitoring the hallways. The scenes with Krennic in Rogue One, it's like, oh, Governor Tark- <coughs> Tarkin. Oh. <laughs> Did you, like, was that something from when you were a kid? Yeah. You're like, oh, he probably actually smells, and you just never I forgot just, that? I just legitimately assume he smells um, because of that line. Like, uh, I just, yeah, ever since I was a kid, it's one of these things that have always stuck with me that I just think he smells. Do you know what I, this is something I thought of when I was a kid, maybe as I got a little bit older, but tell me I'm not the only one that sees a little bit of sexual chemistry here between <laughs> Leia and Tony. Like they they honestly play this like they're hot for each other. I mean, daddy. She interacts the same way that she does with Han Solo. She's got daddy issues, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like he reaches for her face and she turns away, and she's like antagonizing him. And, and even the part where she goes, "The more you tighten your grip, the more star systems will slip through your." Like it's very seductive. Like these two want to get it on right here in the middle of the Death Star. Am I? Have you never picked up on that one? Um, honestly, I haven't. But now that you say it, um, and let's be honest, didn't we do this on two thousand one Space Odyssey? I'm sure there's fan fiction out there. Yeah. So <laughs> probably a little bit more disturbing, but. Uh... <laughs> Maybe they meet up with each other uh, in heaven in real life. Oh. Well, she's not dead yet. Remember, episode nine. Oh, to come. sorry. Oh, yes. spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah, that's how the movie's going to end. It's gonna, you know how we had Return of the Jedi end with, like, Force Ghost Anakin, Yoda. <laughs> this one's going to end with, like, Force Ghost Han, Force Ghost Leia, and then Tarkin just sort of, like, lurking over <laughs> them. And Leia... <laughs> Rubbing, massaging his <laughs> shoulders. Yeah. You some Han? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but what's interesting is that he's basically saying, you know, since you're not going to give us the information, then we've decided to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. (laughs) (laughs) She gets, like, very big and loud, and of course she's like, no, Alderaan's peaceful, we have no weapons, except they're the main planet arming the rebellion, (laughs) so (laughs) I don't know how they could have no weapons. Like, even Naboo, which was a peaceful country, (laughs) they had an army, like. How Alderaan hasn't been invaded before now? They have no yeah, weapons. Yeah, but that all just know. came down to Queen Amidala being racist. Like she's she's like yeah, you know exactly. Iraq. Oh yeah, we've got no weapons of mass. Well, okay, they didn't have any weapons of mass destruction. Bad um bad example, Ben. Uh, but like, I know it's like Canada. Canada's like, oh yeah, we're so peaceful. You still got a fucking air force, right? Like it never gets used. It's gonna be dusty, but like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. But what I do love about this scene now, again, you think that. The only things that really play better 
after watching Rogue One into this would simply be, you know, oh, well, they found the plans for the Death Star and then the whole chase at the beginning. But even this, like I've, I've been saying over and over again from Rogue One until now, this way they changed Harkin's story arc and you have him going from, you know, oh, Krennic, this is a brilliant weapon you've constructed. I'm going to assume control. You're dismissed. And then you get him. It's like, maybe should we respond to an alternative form of persuasion? And he's basically saying, I want to test the destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. <laughs> the volcanic planet. <laughs> it is a peaceful planet. <laughs> With no weapons. <laughs> but, like, she gives him an out here. She's like, oh, no, they're on Dantooine. And she goes, there you go. Continue with the operation. You may fire when ready. <laughs> And then he's like, oh, it's far too remote to make for an effective demonstration. So I don't think it, it, it quite played the same. Like, uh, before I think I kind of read that is, well, Tarkin just wants to make a big demonstration. But what it really is, is that he said in the earlier scene, this, uh, this, or it wasn't even him necessarily, but like, fear, he says fear will keep the local systems line, fear of this battle station. And then you have him saying, okay, well, what do we do? There's no Senate. So even just that little subplot of the Senate's been dismissed, how do you keep people in order? And he says fear does. He needs a big demonstration here. So she gives him a small planet, and he's like, no, we've done that already. Let's do a big one. And let's be honest. Uh, let's do a piece. The, the, his whole notion of fear proves Yoda was right. Fear leads to hate. Hate exactly. leads to suffering. Suffering leads to <laughs> anger. See? Yoda. Uh, smart man. Yeah. Smart man. He just led a line of Jedi that destroyed the galaxy. <laughs> we ignore that. <laughs> yeah. um, but then we get the destruction of Alderaan here and the first firing of the uh, the Death Star, which uh, I always like. The, the, the little shots that we get around the Death Star just bring so much. Like, obviously, there was a limited budget. Like, Star Wars, it wasn't like a low-budget movie, you know, the way that, like, I think people kind of look back on this and say, it was so low-budget, you know, it wasn't like that. I mean, this was a moderately-budgeted movie. This would be like if... A sci-fi movie were made today for about, I don't know, 60, 70 million dollars. You know, they'd be like, oh, that's a low budget blockbuster, but it still was a blockbuster. But George Lucas found ways to make this look bigger. Like, let's have the shots of not just the guys pulling the controls, but when that blast is firing mm. and you have the guys standing in the middle of like the, the basically the gun barrel who are like shielding their eyes, like little things like that, you know, add to just the size of the Death Star. Uh, and it just immediately cuts after the explosion to, Everybody on the Millennium Falcon and Obi-Wan suddenly gets a little bit woozy here, uh, which is, we already saw Yoda get the same way during the, the Jedi slaughter in Revenge of the Sith. And uh, Luke's like, what's the matter? And he goes, uh, I feel a great disturbance in the Force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Now, why he couldn't sense this before, <laughs> you know, when he was in the middle of this in Revenge of the Sith, I don't know. Like, obviously, he's had some improvements over the years, but he's just sensed like the slaughter of millions of people and then he's like oh, you better go on with your exercises <laughs> <laughs> get back to work boy like a billion you odd people be like, god this is like an entire planet yeah I know. <laughs> yeah he's like oh, I, I it should be like oh, i just need to lie down for a bit i need to go meditate something bad has happened he's like oh, well carry on luke <laughs> come on it's a bit of a trope though that characters in this movie kind of just have that okay moving on like you know moving on moving on like it's you know luke five minutes ago like oh bro uncle owen i'll come train on the force then we've got this you know obi-wan's about to die and it's like oh boo-hoo then he's out shooting up people five minutes later and then biggs <laughs> dies and just looks and blows up yeah. the best star like you know, the 70s were oh, well. a much simpler time no one ever got sad <laughs> um 
you have to wonder though. Uh, th- this is going backwards a little bit here, but like she gave them the options, like, oh, it's on Dantooine. Like there must be something alive on Dantooine. Like would Leia have been guilty of committing genocide too? If like any, let's say it, well, there wasn't people living there. There's still creatures living there. It's still a planet. You know, there's still some type of relevance to it. Like it's it's habitable. Would she have killed millions of people she that gets way it too? From a mother, obviously, she hates the race of yeah. Dantooine. Like it's like it's exactly it's the Dantooineans. <laughs> yes. She gets it from her mother. That that's it's a trade, isn't it? Racist Leia. Um, she's just, yeah. you know, they're just different. Okay, yes. it's, it's a Gungan. Like it's a Gungan planet. That's where Gungans come yeah, from. Right. Like they're just that's where they went. Yeah, when the Empire t- eventually took over Naboo, like, we shall go into Dantooine! <laughs> actually, imagine, imagine if they actually did that, like, in some sort of uh, retcon way, that, like, George Lucas of that actually said, like, oh, yeah, all the Gungans moved to, like, Alderaan or something like that, so then everyone's like, oh, no, Jar Jar is dead, woohoo! Um, yeah, well, we need more Gungan stuff. I don't know, the, the Star Wars Rebels TV show obviously takes place between three and four. I only watched the first season. I don't know how many things they fill in the gaps for, but it'd be fun to just find out all these other things. Like, that's why it's great that we're going to be getting, like, these series that take place, you know, Obi-Wan series and stuff like that. So we can start filling these gaps and eventually have, like, the return of, I'm sure they're going to work the return of Jar Jar into an Obi-Wan episode, you know, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, so as Han comes in, you know, he, he's, there's a bit of a timeline gap here too uh which i'll just bring up now he walks in here he's like well i told you i'd lose them and everybody ignores him, like don't everybody thank me at once <laughs> this scene plays for about two and a half minutes and he's like well there's alderaan like i thought it takes hours and days to go through hyperspace and he's like well there's alderaan <laughs> like all attachment we've been told is like in the outer rim it's like far far away and just suddenly it's like well we're here at the like, two and a half minutes like i don't really buy that um but uh, the chess game that goes on here now, I originally saw Star Wars as I said it was on TV on Christmas night. You know, my parents recorded it, so for years I just watched our VHS recording of Star Wars. And like any movie that's on TV, they have to cut you know certain scenes out just for time. Uh, usually, it only comes down to oh, okay, we're running about four minutes over, so let's cut this and this. And this was one of the scenes that was cut for me, this chess game. So when I saw this, I originally thought this was a special edition cut hmm. until after I saw the special edition. You know, I, I borrowed somebody's copies of the Star Wars trilogy again and watched it. I'm like, oh, this scene was always in there. But it's a cool little effect with the chess game. And it's something that's come back over and over again. Uh, and, and I just like the, the little character things they do to Chewie. Like outside of, um, you know, what we see of him, obviously we're going to get in like Solo and The Force Awakens. We don't really get a lot of character building chewy moments, but like this movie is full of them. And there's a couple of things that they actually cut from the movie where you can still see sort of what they're going on. But just the idea about him being this beast. Mm. And you know, we have the line here where, uh, you know, R2's beating him and he's like, uh, uh, Han saying, you know, let him have it. It's not wise to upset a Wookiee. And here's your, you know, rights for droids, uh, <laughs> L3 moment. Nobody worries about upsetting a droid. And then, it, of course, that's because the droid don't pull people's arms out of the sockets when they lose. <laughs> and I love that Chewie kind of puts his hands behind yeah. his head. It's like, yeah. I love that. Uh, <laughs> like, it's kind of, I think, mentioned about sort of how everybody, you know, I know a lot of people are huge Chewie fans and kind of, I mean, I, I never disliked Chewie, but again, you know, not wasn't obsessed with him. But, like, this is definitely one of those moments where I just I just love his little look. And there's, um, 
uh, is it in The Empire Strikes Back when um, he does that little, <laughs> like he does that little laugh because I think of what yep. Leia says to him wow. or something like that. Like just little random moments of Chewie here. Just the look, ah, oh, so good. And and we should mention, I mean, again, a lot of the Star Wars trivia we're saying, I'm sure that many people know this already, but like the, the design of Chewie really came from, you know, the, the same dog that inspired the name Indiana for Indiana Jones. You know, George Lucas was just sort of driving to some type of pre-production thing or uh, whatever one day, and he was still in the middle of writing the script. He knew he wanted to have this co-pilot that would be an alien, and he saw this giant dog he had that was named Indiana that was lying on the passenger seat next to him, and the way it was sort of curled up, it just looked like this giant mass of fur with a face, and he's like, hey, that's kind of what I want. So they designed the Wookiees after this dog, Indiana, um, and I always thought like Chewie looked more like a Sasquatch, but once you see it, you can almost see some of the little things he fits in there with like dog traits, like especially when you get to Jedi and he just sort of has like this, mm, like, <laughs> sad dog. It's like the, um, <laughs> some of his little whimper. Isn't it? Yeah. Like oh, what a fabulous smell you discover when they get caught in the net. Yeah. And then also <laughs> even like the, the, maybe the one bit, well, there's maybe like a few little bits in the last Jedi that I appreciate, but like the Porg bit, uh, I just, yeah, that the yeah. one bit I literally laughed out loud in lol, uh, when he's like eating the pork at the fire. Oh, Porgs. It's, the only good for, thing to come what, from the last Jedi. <laughs> For me, that's what's great about, you know, Chewie, though, as a character, is that, you know, they, they've they've found a way to kind of make him this soft, lovable creature that's also like this destructive beast. And I really do wish that they had found a way to keep that scene in The Force Awakens, the deleted scene where he literally rips off the arms of the, the, the guy from Jakku, mm. uh, which, you know, obviously that made it in the novelizations. And that's the scene that everybody talks about. Oh, it'd be great to see that because, like, that's such a Chewie thing. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm one of those that I, I, I absolutely love Chewie. I mentioned for Revenge of the Sith, like that's what I was most excited about. And then we got three shots of him, yeah. but I was still happy with those three shots. Um, yeah, this chess game is fine. And then, you know, the, the little study thing with Luke, like uh, George Lucas found clever ways to sort of explain the force without boring the audience with just a lecture. So having him with this little, you know, remote that's going around blasting him, and, you know, uh, Obi-Wan obviously says to put the helmet on. Right after, of course, Luke gets shot by the thing, and Han's just like, <laughs> just burst up laughing at him. Like, what a jerk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, Obi-Wan says, you know, try it uh, with the blindfold on, and Luke's saying, how am I supposed to fight you? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. And, uh, of course, he's getting blasted still, so he says, stretch out with your feelings. <laughs> Some of this really dramatic acting here. Uh, and Luke, of course, does, and he's able to block all the, the blasts. You know, Han says, uh, I call it luck, and <laughs> Obi-Wan and him have this little debate. Uh, Han, of course, kind of gets the last word. He's like, good against remotes is one thing, good against the living, that's something else. And then, two and a half minutes later, looks like we're coming up on Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> There is, there is a like, few. This really is the well, there is a few moments I think in the original trilogy because like, we'll talk about that next week with Empire, isn't it? Because it's debated the whole um, Dagobah situation, right? Like, and how long they're really there? Like, that's a that's its own little beast. Yeah, but I mean, the, the only I can understand maybe they were here for longer. But, like, that would mean that Han waited, what, like, six hours to come to the back and say, well, I told you I'd lose those Imperial thugs. He was taking a dump. Why did you wait so long? He was taking a dump. Yeah, exactly. That was a long dump. (laughs) Just had to drop a couple of nugs, guys. Sorry about that, by the way. Just uh, (laughs) a 
Probably spray a little bit extra when you go in there. <laughs> lol, oh, you just got <laughs> shot by a blaster. Don't all thank me at once. Well, on that topic, there's a couple of rooms we've never really seen in the Millennium Falcon. And, you know, right behind 3PO when he's playing the chess game, you I, I didn't even notice it. This is like the first time noticing it. Is you see on there's a shelf, there's like pillows up there. <laughs> and I wonder, like, oh, those are spare pillows, like one for the crew or something. And I'm wondering, like, wait, but where do people sleep on here? There's got to be a bedroom and there's got to be a bathroom. It's just we've never seen those. So when I eventually make my full size backyard <laughs> Millennium Falcon, I'm going to need to know where the bathroom and the bedroom That's is. That's where Lando and uh, um, the stupid robot used to. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, oh, it yeah. works. Well, yeah, we we saw his changing room. We saw his closet. So where's the bed? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, he's pan. Oh no, that's Lando's so- pansexual, not Han Solo. But remember, he's pansexual, everyone. Yeah, so totally- you know. <laughs> um. So back on the Death Star, you know, they find out we just searched Dantooine and there was nothing there. Uh, Tarkin's like, uh, she lied to us, and Vader says. Uh, I told you she never consciously betrayed the rebellion. Now, if you actually notice in the scene, after Vader says she'd never consciously betray the rebellion, he does some really dramatic hand acting here where you could tell that the original line on set ran for much longer and George Lucas just wanted to keep the one shot because it's basically like, I told you she never consciously betrayed the rebellion. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> as he's gesturing his hand as if he's talking still. And they kept that in the movie. It's just kind of weird to watch it once you see it. Uh, and he just says, just Terminator, immediately. He says immediately, but, like, we probably go for half an hour before they rescue Leia. Like, do they have to get a couple of orders down? I want her executed immediately. Okay, we're just going to have to uh, get uh, triple approval on this, and uh, <laughs> oh, we're going to have to get the Emperor's sign up. This, this is not an immediate well, just given. <laughs> so let's be honest. The, the the staff on the desk, I don't realize the Senate's been dissolved. So they're all going, well, there's proper due process, sir. We need to contact the senator yeah, from exactly. Alderaan. We need to contact the senator from this person. So that by the time they get there, it's like, what are you doing, you idiot? The Senate's been dissolved. The Emperor said yes. Just do it. I want this done now, not tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so they come out of hyperspace. And I love the hyperspace effect we get mm. in the ships. Uh, and they drop right into, you know, a, a bunch of what looks like asteroids everywhere. And Han's like, it's not any of the charts. And they're coming in, what's going on? It's like, uh, our position's correct, except there's no Alder on there. It's like, what has happened? It's like, uh, it's been totally blown away. And Obi-Wan's saying, Obi-Wan just immediately knows everything. Like, it's like he's connected the dots between, that was what that strange wooziness I felt was mm-hmm. to, oh, they destroyed it. And, oh, it was, you know, uh, a space station. He just knows this all right away. But Han's like, that's not even possible. It'd take a thousand ships. They're being chased by another TIE fighter here, they think. Um, Han starts going after it. Obi-Wan says, just let it go. And Han's like, no. <laughs> and then you wonder, like, if they just let it go, could they have avoided this tractor beam? And, you know, uh, well, I guess they never would have rescued Princess Leia, but they still had the plans. I mean, they, they could have done something here. But he's just like, just the fact they get stuck there and that Obi-Wan ends up dying, you know, ultimately comes down to him saying, uh, you know, not if I can help it and just chasing after this lone TIE fighter. Um, then we get, again, one of those iconic lines that was never intended to be anything iconic when he says, look at me, I think he's headed for that small moon. That's no moon, that's a space station. Uh, I'm so glad that <laughs> Which... they quoted Twister. Like, I'm really glad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just 19 years ahead of uh, Twister's time there. <laughs> um, but uh, as they approach the Death Star, like one of these brilliantly you know, directed... Uh, scored moments where the music, the way that the actors' expressions are, like their eyes are just wide. And keep in mind, they had no idea what they were looking at on set, and they'd never, other than 2001: A Space Odyssey, there'd never been effects, and certainly nothing that would you know, be of this scale. 
So just the fact that they're all able to look so, you know, in awe is incredible. And then just the approach on this where we're slowly seeing more and more of the Death Star. And I love the way when the tractor beam is pulling them in that we get that outdoor shot from like the landing bay where you see stormtroopers sort of walking around like in between the force field, technically out in space. It's just such a cool shot Um, for all these people who are like, you know, uh, we hate the special editions. Um, I hope you love the original uh, even the original special edition shot, like the original version and the special edition when the Millennium Falcon is landing in this and you can clearly see the shadow of the arm that was operating the Millennium Falcon model that's guiding them in uh, because that's one of the things that they removed that nobody likes to mention, you know, improvements in the special edition. Let's call them all out. Uh, as this is going on, the uh, ship kind of lands down and then... Uh, Vader kind of has a brief meeting with the stormtroopers. He's saying, did you find any droids? And he's saying, Sken has sent his scanning crew aboard. And then he gets like, I said something. Something I have not felt since. And then just walks away. <laughs> like, I don't want to tell people what it they is. Should it they himself. should add They should like, since, since my legs got burnt off. And I told him <laughs> I hate him. And Padme, Padme! And he just starts crying. <laughs> and then, like, they just had a scene in, like, Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens. He's just bashing a wall. <laughs> like, emo. <laughs> I hate um, them! I hate my memories! Hey, <laughs> uh, Presence I have not felt since. Yes. Yes. It's particles. Particles of sand <laughs> that have come from Tatooine. <laughs> I hate sand. It's coarse. It's rough. It's irritating. No. It gets everywhere. <laughs> immediately, Captain. No sand aboard my Death Star. Have you vacuumed all the bays, Jenkins? What do you mean, sir? <laughs> I saw a bit of sand in there. I know you all visited Tatooine last week. You looked for those droids, remember? Um, but it's actually quite clever the way that they, you know, get out of here. Like they're they're obviously in the the compartments. Uh, th- there is an addition that was added, not in this original special edition, but in the Blu-ray releases. This is along with that 3 pro lineup. We've stopped, like, completely meaningless line that we don't need when the Stormtroopers are searching this thing. E- in the original version and in the special editions, they just sort of walk out the door. In the Blu-ray releases, George Lucas needed to add the line in of one of the Stormtroopers saying, There's no one here! And then walking out, like... <laughs> Unnecessary additions, George. Uh, I support 99% of what you do in these things, but I don't think that uh, generations of people wouldn't have figured that out if you hadn't told them. There's no one here. He's been, he's been sitting on that for like 30, 40 years. He's like going off. There's only yeah. one thing I could change. Audiences just do not know that they're not in the Millennium Falcon. Right. Add this into the Blu-ray. Yeah, exactly. George, what are you talking about? Just There's add it no into the Blu-ray. Here. It's not even like a convincing, like, there's no one here. And then it's like, there's no one here. Let's go. It's like, there's no one here. <laughs> um, the, 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 when Obi-Wan and the crew and everybody, Luke and the droids, they all pop up from the, um, the compartments here. Uh, they're basically saying they're just used for smuggling. Obi-Wan has a plan. And of course, Han doesn't take him seriously. Um, as they bring the scanning stuff on board, you kind of hear a thump, and then it's like, hey, down there, could you give us a hand with this? <laughs> and then the stormtroopers abandon their post <laughs> to go help, like, some techie guys, some tech support guys here. Uh, obviously, what happens is that uh, Luke and Han take over the stormtrooper costumes. You get that guy in the control room, TK421, why aren't you at your post? He's so serious. <laughs> and I, mean, I just want to... <laughs> well, it's probably an ongoing issue with TK421. <laughs> 
There he goes. <laughs> Unscheduled break. <laughs> but I just, I love the look of this guy because like when he was like, you know, two K forty two, where's your post? And you see him then when um walks out and taps his helmet. Just the look on this imperial guy's face. Like, oh no, there's a technical issue in the communications <laughs> point of his helmet. Hurry up! And he like rushes to the door to go help him out. Rah! Gets like killed but he's, he loves his he job he loves his job at the empire <laughs> well he goes from being tk421 you idiot what's going on <laughs> to when the guy just sort of well obviously it's like luke or whatever just taps his helmet like something's wrong here he gives him like this really dramatic salute like aye aye sir i'm on the kitchen we we learned about this in our safety briefing the other day. Communication issues and leaving the post. This is very dangerous right now. Hurry up, get to <laughs> and who's random other guy sitting at his console staring at a blank screen of like a ball? Like it's kind of what's his job? That's that's, that's the the death star radar guy who just scans the ships as they come in. It's like the radar pointy guy from um from Rogue One, like just. <laughs> oh. um. But yeah, obviously when the door opens, Chewie's right there, he attacks, they shoot them all, um, it was just a trap, uh, and I love when uh, Luke comes in, he's just, again, immediately bickering with Han, you know, between his howling, you're blasting everything in sight, and the one whole station doesn't know we're here, and Han's like, bring him on, I prefer a straight fight to all this sneaking around, <laughs> tough guy Han. Uh, so another addition in the, the special editions that, you know, I'm not going to say it's uh, pointless, I actually think this one makes sense is uh, when 3PO plugs into the computer here and Obi-Wan's saying, like, you know, uh, you need to plug in or whatever. And 3PO has this voiceover as he's describing the tractor beams. In the original 1977 release, the non-special editions that everybody hates, there's no narration here. And it it actually, this is one of the things, it's not like there's no one here or we've stopped. You kind of do need this whole, the tractor beam is coupled to the main reactor in seven locations. A power loss at one of the terminals will allow the ship to leave. Because otherwise you have no clue what Obi-Wan's actually doing there. Mm. They just sort of said, oh, yeah, I'll make the you know uh, location appear on the monitor. And Obi-Wan's like, all right, I know what to do. Uh, but on top of that, it would be viewed as another massive plot hole without that because people already you know pick apart, you know, oh, well, how could they just not notice this one open vent? Oh, yeah, that hole there that we told you to put in. Yeah, that's going to cause some problems here. It's like... Okay, so there is one button that shuts off the tractor beam for the entire station? Like, 3PO basically says, you just, you know, decrease the power at one of these things, and then that'll let us leave. Uh, so that is, there's an addition that's necessary. Obi-Wan leaves. Luke wants to go with them. He says, you know, you have to watch off to the droids. And then he gives the line, the Force will be with you always. Now, I don't think I ever stopped to analyze that Obi-Wan is not the first character to say, may the Force be with you. It's kind of shocking who is once we get to it. But he just sort of says, the Force will be with you. Uh, end of the scene is basically, um, you know, Han and Luke bickering some more, uh, him saying, you know, where'd you dig up that old fossil? And Luke's defending him. Uh, R2's beeping something. He's found location. Now, 3PO has a bit of a blunder here too, where he's saying, what's going on? And he goes, I'm not quite sure. He says, I found her and keeps repeating. He's here. He starts off by saying, I'm not quite sure. And then he's like, well, who's he found? Princess Leia. <laughs> Like, why is he saying I'm not quite sure? And then he tells him the entire thing. Like, I don't know why three people... I don't know what's going on. He says I found her and keeps repeating he's here. Princess Leia, she's right there in uh, detention block A23. It's just one of those weird little things that kind of bothers me over the years. Uh, Luke makes the plea for Han to come with him to help rescue the princess. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. A few minutes ago, you didn't want to just wait here. Now you want to do a stay? 
He's like, Masha to the detention area is not what I had in mind. I love that. He says, but they're going to kill Yeah, and then Han is like, better her than me. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, I love the manipulation here from Luke as well. Like, she's well, yeah. rich. Yeah. <laughs> How rich? And then Han... <laughs> Is like, the reward would be more than you can imagine. I can imagine quite a bit. <laughs> I, want, I want him to say, like, uh, and then, she's hot. How hot? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she looks kind of like me. <laughs> Just more feminine. Oh, really? Let's go. Back, might even... <laughs> yeah. Does this mean that Han would be hot for Luke if he were a chick? <laughs> if this was made in 2017, you know they would be together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it was made in 1977, where incest was okay, people. But not gay. <laughs> Gay wasn't good. No. Incest. Well, it was the the droids. True, but it wasn't open. Like, they were just, you know... Like, yeah, exactly. It was op- In the 70s, you didn't judge people based on that. You just thought, like, oh, they're very happy men. You know the whole watch your language, R2? I never realized that they were legitimately staying in the closet in that scene. <laughs> they were seven minutes of heaven right there. Quick, quick, R2. <laughs> We've got some moment to ourselves. It's been a while. I'm frisky. <laughs> Um, How does that work? Yeah, just it works. Kind of, <laughs> it works. <laughs> Archie's got some probes on him. We've seen them several He's times. Got oil here. slicks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I guess just to sort of wrap it up here. Just another great Chewy moment where Luke's like, "I got a plan," and he takes like the handcuffs. Like, I'm going to put these on you, and Chewie's just like, <laughs> and then Han, hey, Han, you put those on. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, the scene just ends with 3PO and R2 saying, well, what are we supposed to do? It's like, just lock the door and hope they don't have blasters. So we'll kind of cut it off there before doing the rest of the Death Star stuff. Um, one thing I really appreciate uh, when Leia's with Stinky Tarkin um, <laughs> is Carrie Fisher's acting is great. Like, the whole, when she's like, no, Alderaan's a peaceful planet. Like, um, I, I think it's something I never really credited too much. Because, like, I, I don't think I was at that, age when I first saw Star Wars to appreciate Carrie Fisher in the way that a lot of, you know, especially teenage boys did, I guess. So kind of, yeah. I just, I've just always liked Princess Leia as a character and never looked at her as an object. I'm not saying that all the, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that all the people watching Star Wars just look at her as an object, but I'm, yeah, you know what I mean. So I've always appreciated her character. Well, we were, we were a little young to get the bikini thing when we saw this as children. Yeah, I would have been like 10. <laughs> um, you yeah. Know, so, um, girls still have cooties back then, but you know, I, I really appreciate just that scene and just, you know, she just shows how good of an actress she actually is in that moment and, and plenty of other moments here too. And just like, um, you know, something that we talked about in the prequels about sort of how with Padme's wardrobe and that kind of, you know, with the, the hair and things like that, that they obviously did deliberately as kind of a precursor to the, a lot of the way Leia looked. But even sort of this white robe, like, I mean... You know, it's it's not exactly the lovely white skin tight suit and attack of the clones from Natalie Portman, but I mean, there's still a connection there. Like, it's kind of, I think that's very clever what George Lucas did throughout the prequels to kind of really connect it into this look of Leia. So, um, you know, it it works it works well. Um, yeah, I love the the chess sequence. Um, just, I mean, God, how many times have we replayed that in the bloody Disney trilogy? I mean, come on. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. like, it's just <laughs> every movie. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much. Is it salt? No, Rogue One would be the only one we didn't have the goddamn chess sequence in, right? So, because we didn't have the Falcon. Exactly. So, yeah, look out for it in the Rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah, the, the, it's no moon, it's a space station. Like, yeah, one of those iconic lines that it's just, 
I mean, yeah, we joke about it being in Twister, but it's how many other movies have it been in as well? But I also love Tarkin's reaction of like, she lied, she lied to us. <laughs> I want Darth Vader to be like, no shit, Sherlock, you really think she was going to tell us the truth? <laughs> well, that's the additional line when he's still doing the hand <laughs> acting after he finishes speaking. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but um, I, I like um, the, the ever, not everything wrong with the, the how it should have ended um, has the bit when they're doing the the guys reading out the attack later on on the Death Star, uh, like how they got the how uh, the plans, and basically it's like um, we now have the Death Star rapidly approaching us. This could have been avoided if Leia had maybe just uploaded the plans onto R two and had him broadcast <laughs> it to us here. But no, instead they're following us now. Thank you. Princess Leia. And then they got to Leia and it's like, I'm right here. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like, in the grand scheme of things, kind of a good point. They could have avoided this whole Death Star situation had they just done that. Um, and I also love, like, the bit where they blow up Alderaan on the Family Guy one, when you see the uh, moment they blow up the Death Star. They then cut to, like, the guys who are there. You know the guys who sort of lean forward and block their ears when the laser beam, like, goes and blows up the planet? So they cut to them and they're just like... So, I talked to HR, and I wanted to put a bar here so we didn't fall over. But get this, they reckon we would just lean too much. (laughs) And wouldn't do our job. It's like, what? (laughs) Oh, so funny. Um, The whole getting dressed as stormtroopers, this is another one of those things, isn't it, we talked about in Rogue One, where it's like, oh, they just happen to be their size. Uh, (laughs) They luckily enough got the two stormtroopers. What have they got, like a fat stormtrooper? coming up the thing and then like Luke <laughs> pulling up his pants oh god this just doesn't fit shut up Luke you'll get us caught <laughs> just running down there and how like they get there like oh we're gonna put our scanners on board and search everything like they don't do a very good job and when like those two guys walk mm-hmm. up the plank with that box scanner thing and they obviously get knocked out where are their bodies like are their bodies just constantly rotting in the smuggling base of the Millennium Falcon for the yeah. next two movies <laughs> like do we get to return yeah, the Jedi? And it's like, Paul, what's that smell? It's like, oh, there's just those Imperial Guards that we just haven't <laughs> dumped. Like the, and the Stormtroopers, too. Like, their bodies are also on there as well. So there's like, you know, in the Santa Claus, when um, they discover the Santa Claus suit, and it's like, you killed him. And it's like, no, I did not. He's naked somewhere. <laughs> like, there's two naked Stormtroopers. <laughs> oh, God. C-3PO would have fun with them. Um... that's a bit mean isn't it um i just this is also one of those scenes where i think i mentioned before i've always wanted to dress up as a stormtrooper so i really like kind of just Mm. when han and luke are sort of walking around without their helmets on it just i don't i don't know if you often think of the stormtroopers as as they're being people in them because i mean really into the force awakens we never see a stormtrooper sans helmet do we like it's just they're just characters with helmets yeah. on so um i just i like this and it just i don't know it just, you often watch movies sometimes and you say oh, i'd love to dress up like that or i'd love to be in that situation i just i just watch this scene and always want to dress up like a stormtrooper um mm-hmm. so yeah oh, it's all all great setup and everything um just and yeah the i also the talk about facial acting um as soon as luke does the whole She's rich. Just the look on Han's face. Yeah. Like, he's got like kind of this blank sort of look, like going, rich, that means money. 
money for me. <laughs> like, it was kind of like, I forgot to mention the bit I like earlier on when um, Obi-Wan's giving him the whole, like, you know, we can give you, what, 4000 now and 12000 later or whatever. Uh, yeah. And 17 <laughs> like, just the way he kind of works out in his head, that's more than what I charged. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, though? Will, will we forever be cursed without getting Solo 2? That from now on, when you're seeing him going after money, you're thinking, he's just trying to get back to Kira. Come yeah. on, give him a break. <laughs> Maybe, like, I mean, it's kind of, it would have, many reasons why Solo 2 would have been good. But I think they could have done a lot more with the backstory of him to explain maybe why he's this way a bit more. Because, you know, as all we know, he's still trying to get back to Kira. Obviously, we realize there's going to be a point in time where, like, he doesn't care about her anymore. Because clearly, he's not making out with Leia and going, oh, Kira... But, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of at least like in the, the Bond series, what they've done with Daniel Craig, isn't it? Where they're, you know, Vesper is killed kind of to give him a real reason why he is the way he is. And, you know, I'm sure when Leia Seydoux dies in Bond 25, it's going to be, you know, Tracy all over again. It's going to be even more of that. So, yeah, uh, it, it, hashtag bring back Solo, even though it's not really been gone for that long. But you know what we mean. <laughs> <laughs> One year later. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's it. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's what you talked about, isn't it? Aren't we up to the elevator scene now? Yeah. Like, um, just correct. The, the, the di- well, I just want to say, just before I forget, when they're walking to the elevator, and that one guy tries to get in the elevator, and they're like, "No, no, no, we have a." Woman. Yeah, he's just like, <laughs> he doesn't speak either. He's just, uh, uh-uh, yeah. uh, and they're like, "Oh, I understand." <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of the elevator scene, it's weird. You know, I mentioned there's a lot of things I could remember seeing for the first time, but like. I do, it's not like there's one visual I'm like I remember seeing that for, for the first time this shot coming up when they're right outside the elevator you see that massive corridor and there's like this you know giant trench or something like that below them that one shot is the one shot I remember most from seeing this the first time I can remember watching this movie I can remember my reactions to certain things but I don't like distinctly remember seeing an image this was the one image that I remembered and I can never pinpoint why and I for you know, who knows how many years since then, uh, every single time I watch this one shot, I always remember, oh, that's the shot that I always remembered seeing the first time. Uh, and yet I have such a good memory of seeing this. It's just it's the one that stood out the most of all things. Um, and the, I, I, like you said, when they you know kind of gesture that one guy don't get in the elevator and the, the handcuffs or whatever, I don't know if they're trying to fit them on Chewie or if they're loosening it so Chewie can break out there. Uh, but they're just sort of, you know, setting up their whole heist which we haven't really been told what's going on and han's like this is not gonna work why didn't you say so before he's like i did say so before (laughs) uh although he didn't say that uh from what we've seen um yeah and then when they get that now this is my favorite han solo scene of all time uh when they actually get to the detention area and you have that guy where are you taking this thing And they're just saying, you know, it's a prisoner transfer. It's like, I'll have to, you know, uh, verify this. Chewie breaks out. They all start blasting everything in sight. You know, they're they're basically faking it like the Wookiee got loose, but they're just using it to blast all the cameras. Uh, Once the cameras are down, Han finds the the actual, you know, cell that Leia's in. He sends Luke to go get her. And then we get the greatest Han Solo scene of all time when he is on the, the radio that's dinging, and he's like, uh, everything's under control, uh, situation normal. It's like, what's going on there? We had a slight uh, malfunction here, but we're, we're, we're all right now. Uh, how are you? Oh, <laughs> that is the best yes i agree when that came up with those like now i'm like watch this watch this it's so awesome 
So the, how are you? And even the look he gives, he's like, oh, what did I say? <laughs> and they're like, we're going to set a score. Oh, negative, negative. We got a reactor leak here. A few minutes to lock it down. Large leak, very dangerous. Like, who's this? What's the offering number? Uh, and they just shoot. Boring conversation anyway. <laughs> we're have company. It is amazing. Uh, it, it, like, at no point does Harrison Ford you know, make it so funny that you're out of the intensity because he's immediately into that, Luke, we are going to have company. But yet it is so funny. It's like the funniest scene in any Star Wars movie ever. Which is so <laughs> the, the thing is, it's also incredibly natural and doesn't feel forced. Like, you, yeah. you look, think of the MCU now, which is kind of renowned for this kind of quippy humor and all that sort of stuff. I mean, most movies these days kind of have this style of humor, but you know, there is a large portion of it where it does feel very forced. You kind of like, you feel they're doing it deliberately. I and mean, we'll get to that in The Last Jedi. The whole movie is just filled with forced humor that doesn't fit. But like, this is on that same style, but it is just so goddamn natural. And I mean, that obviously yeah. probably mainly comes down to Harrison Ford's ability and his charisma that he has. But, oh, this is, this is iconic. This is, yeah, I, if we were doing funniest moments <laughs> for sure, just, just the whole, oh, how are you? Like, <laughs> How are you? <laughs> and then his look after saying it's like, oh! <laughs> and he was one of these people. He was a stormtrooper or whatever. Uh, like, he, he should know. <laughs> oh, yeah. If I can relate to them on a personal level, they'll let me go. I remember this from Empire Training yeah. 101. <laughs> Listen, we're just a little emotional here right now. We need a few minutes. <laughs> but no, it's so good. Um, and then, you know, the Luke introduction to Leia... Uh, which is the door comes open and Leia's laying there seductively on her bed and Luke's kind of like cocking his head sideways like, hmm, I could do some things with her. She's your sister! <laughs> Creepy! <laughs> uh, just, uh, again, this is all family guy stuff, like the whole, you know, how are you? Like, I think they just do an added scene where <laughs> Han's sitting there with a cup of coffee and the guy's on the speaker going, and then she just won't listen to me and I'm having troubles with my relationship. <laughs> and I was like, yes, tell me more. <laughs> and then this bit <laughs> Um, you know, aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? They replace it with, aren't you a little fat to be a stormtrooper? <laughs> to which Luke replies, well, right now, you stupid fucking bitch. And then, like, goes to Luke. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. <laughs> but, like, her saying, like, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? And meanwhile, she's like, oh, I guess she's not making fun of their height. It's just legitimately, that would be short for a stormtrooper. But, yeah, you have to wonder. This armor fits Luke. It's not like... You know, it's flopping all over the place on him. Like, there's clearly other stormtroopers that are this short. Uh, but he goes like uh, this. Here's one of my other favorite moments, too, which is not meant to be funny. Which is, I'm Luke Skywalker, who to re- here to rescue. And she goes, you're who? <laughs> and then I'm here to rescue. I've got your R2 now. I'm here with Ben Kenobi. She goes, Ben Kenobi, where is he? <laughs> is she like the cousin of Obi-Wan? <laughs> like, she doesn't know who Ben is. She's like, who? To, like, both of those answers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm here with Ben Kenobi. Who? It's like, Ben Kenobi. Oh, I will. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Yeah. But she's like, Ben Kenobi. Yeah. Like, I only wanted Obi-Wan and we get the better one. Oh, Ben. <laughs> uh, and they run out and, you know, this is as the stormtroopers are bursting into the detention area. Uh, everybody's sort of hiding out in the corridor uh, behind the cell doors. And here we get, again, more bickering and bantering, you know, between Leia and Han. It's like, came in here, didn't you have a plan for getting out? He's like, he's the brain, sweetheart. Like, her, him calling her sweetheart maybe wouldn't be written in in 2017. But, like, it totally fits with their characters. Just the, the, They're not interacting in any way that Luke and Han aren't interacting. Uh, and I just want to say this. 
you know, we complain about the Rogue One shot where uh, this terrorist, there was a girl raised by a terrorist that they clearly knew that's what she was, where she suddenly can fight. And everybody's like, what? A girl can fight? And we got the same thing in The Force Awakens when Rey can defend herself with a staff. And Finn's like, what? A girl can fight? This is not a new thing. <laughs> Princess Leia here just immediately grabs the gun, starts running across the cell base, shooting, and then she's like, into the garbage chute, flyboy. Like, she's giving orders. She's bossing people around. And I, I, I honestly think that this is like the unfortunate thing we've come to in society where they feel like they have to overcompensate. And if anybody thought that we were just, you know, being overly critical, you know, with uh, the, the pushing of the female characters in the new movies, it wasn't that at all. I have no problem with Ray as a character. I have a problem with them pausing to make the audience mm-hmm. be like, oh, my goodness, everybody's shocked. A girl can fight. George Lucas in 1977 didn't consider it a shocking thing. He just filmed this as is. And I think this is one of the reasons why. And he did the same thing with Padme in, in defense like 20 years ago. He didn't actually stop to be like, Padme can shoot a gun and fight? Like it was just a normal thing in his movies. There's some criticism saying like, well, he didn't cast any female roles. Who cares? The one he did cast is the best of all. Yeah. They have never topped Leia. Ray, Jin, Padme, none of them top Leia. And this is a perfect example. She's bossing people around. She's not, you know, uh, mean in bossing around. You're just like, yeah, go, Leia. Like, y- you cheer her on the same way as everybody else. And the same thing you said, like, you know, we grew up watching this. We weren't, like, you know, uh, objectifying Leia in any way. I'm sure there were people out there, especially when you get to the bikini scene, that were. But because we were children watching this, that wasn't the way we saw it. But yet, it's it's unusual for any little boy to want to play with little girl action figures. And I can distinctly remember, you know, we would every once in a while get to go pick a toy or whatever. And I had had like a Han figure, a Luke figure. I wanted to complete my trio. And I went to the store one day. And when I was allowed to pick any toy, I picked the Princess Leia action figure. And it, it, it wasn't like, oh, this is a girl's toy. You know, in some ways, I think that we're just we're making too big of a deal out of it now. We're just going to continue to make this argument until we get to the end here. We're making too big of a deal out of it now when it was just done naturally then. I don't care that there's only one major female character in this movie. She is the best major female character. And yeah. uh, all these scenes. Yeah, and look, it's the argument that I've always said. We've said it plenty of times on this show is that, I mean, I agree with everything you said. And it's it's not from our perspective, whenever we sort of will talk about this whole situation around the female, the strong female character, we don't have an issue with it. It is is when it's either forced down your throat or when it's made into a thing, like as you were saying, like they freeze on it. And it's like, that's the issue. That to me isn't creating equality if you still need to emphasize the fact, like, look, you're looking at something different. They're a woman. Like it's, I don't need to realize that. Like I watched this because I want to, kick-ass character who's awesome and i don't care what gender they are what they look like no matter it doesn't bother me and that's the thing or if they're a wookie or if they're a wookie uh you know maybe if they're a gungan but uh yeah <laughs> but the, yeah exactly so and um yeah that's that's definitely something that i know i've, I've watched a lot of uh videos sort of <laughs> recently about the whole disney style of star wars and everything along those lines and a lot of the criticisms are that you know look it, it's not that we have a problem that Ray's in there. It's just you're making it into such a big deal that, hey, look, everyone, we're going to lead female character when they didn't need to do that with Leia. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just she was a badass yeah, character and you accepted it. It's what the movies are trying to tell us by doing this. Like, I wouldn't have a problem with Jin. I mean, I think Jin's just a boring character, but I, I said kind of the same thing for Cassian in Rogue One as well. I wouldn't have a big deal 
with everything she does in that movie if it wasn't for the fact that when she fights for the first time, you have Cassian, who has surrounded himself with tons of other female warriors, and he's aware that she's, like, the most dangerous woman out there. And he's, like, stopping and, like, what? When she's fighting. And it's the same thing with Finn and Rey when we get to Force Awakens. Because let's look at even from Finn's point of view. His boss is a woman. Yeah. The, the toughest stormtrooper. So if this were for the sake of the character, like they would try to explain and say, oh, well, the character is shocked that she could do this. He's seeing most of the people around him are women who are, who are tougher than he is. So that the only reason that makes sense is to try to stop the audience to make them take note of that. And it's done much better just by having Leia go out there and, you know, tell people, get in the garbage chute flyboy. You know, she's, she's demeaning them with insults and, and she's treating them the same way they treat each other. That's why I said the way that Leia and Han bicker is the same way that Luke and Han bicker. Mm. Because George Lucas is just like, you know, all these characters are equal and I give him total credit for that. He, he still created the greatest female character in Star Wars history. Uh, and Carrie Fisher helped with that too, let's be well, honest. And one of the, one of the uh, greatest female also- characters in movie history too. I mean, let's not, let's yeah, take absolutely. away from that because I mean, I guess you do have to kind of point out the time frame that, like, yeah, at this point we didn't really have a lot of these and, you know, like you, you think of like Ripley and Scorny Weaver and Aliens kind of credited a lot with that sort of in the next, you know, a few years and mm-hmm. then the decade that follows, you know, we're obviously talked a lot about Linda Hamilton in the Terminator movies as well. So, and this is the thing, this is where it is frustrating today when people are like, oh, Wonder Woman's so groundbreaking and, you know, Captain Marvel, like finally, it's kind of, yeah. it's, it is to an extent where it is becoming a lot more mainstream, I understand that, but at the same time, it's been mainstream before. Maybe it's a bit of a yeah. novelty because at the same time, you're not like aliens and that didn't bring out this wave that we've got now. I understand that to a point, but don't credit something for creating a new wave when it's been done before. It's so different to Black Panther. Like we had Blade, like, mm. you know, we had these other things that were happening in the past. Um, it's, it's just this weird revisionist history that people want all of us to take on now. Like, yeah. this is 1977, people. 40 years ago, we had this style of character. So, it's not new in 2019. And, and like, yeah, sure, Jennifer Lawrence, Hunger Games, like that, that was a big deal. Yeah. But... Star Wars did it first. Yeah. You know? uh, and Leia gets plenty more action from this point on. I mean, obviously not in the final one because she's not a pilot, but those guys aren't exactly fighting or doing action anyways. They're sitting in a cockpit reading lines. Um, and and also, like, let's make that comparison. Jennifer Lawrence was, what, in her early to mid-20s when she did Hunger Games? And everybody's like, oh, for a young actress to get such a huge action role and be so believable in it. Carrie Fisher is 19 years old when she makes this movie. 19. Mm. <laughs> you know, Mark Hamill's like 24 here. And even that was shocking because a funny note here um, when we were watching, you know, the this whole sequence with uh, all three of them in here, Jamie had commented like, oh, he's so hot even when he's younger. And I'm like, well, which one? Like she goes, well, Harrison Ford. I'm like, oh, not Mark Hamill. She goes, no, Mark Hamill's actually hotter as an old man. (laughs) (laughs) But she did say Harrison Ford, you know, uh, she's like, even when he's younger. And I said, even when he's younger. And then she said, well, I mean, he's still young now. I'm like, he's in his 70s. <laughs> like, she doesn't even comprehend how old he is. But that's the thing is that these actors are sort of, yeah, you could say, oh, they've aged or whatever. But they're si- kind of in a way ageless because yeah. maybe it's because we grew up on these movies. But nobody – people complain about, you know, oh, it's, is it believable to see, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, as the Terminator firing a gun or doing these stunts or Sylvester Stallone as Rambo or whatever – you notice that nobody ever questioned Han Solo, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill in action again. True. It's just, you know, 
because it's because they were perfect in these roles. It's not based on what they did in the action. It's it's these scenes like they're bickering back and forth. Like even when they're in the trash compactor here, like it's still just nonstop bickering. Well, it's kind of like um, you know, what, what is the- Connery in uh, Last Crusade, right? Like I mean, yeah, sort exactly. Of, it came down to his chemistry with Harrison Ford and the bickering because yeah, maybe it's not this, mm-hmm. this type of action that sort of you know. I mean, there's still plenty of action in that movie, but. What do people remember Connery from? You know, Bond and kind of all these other things. You know, you have this image. But even later on in life when he, you know, was still doing like uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and all these other things. And, you know, obviously like being touted as being in Lord of the Rings and kind of these other movies as well. So that's what you, these type of actors you have. I mean, Arnie, it's there's a nostalgia factor too because we just we like the fact of the pure one-liners and everything that long lines too. But, um, yeah, no, you're right. Um, just before they jump in the trash compactor here, though, that thing I said was cut out of Chewie's character is that it originally was supposed to be a much bigger part of the movie that George Lucas wanted this contrast of the beast Wookiee that would rip somebody apart, but also was constantly terrified of little things. Uh, when Han's trying to kick him in the trash compactor here, and Chewie's like, <laughs> he's like no, and he's, he's basically, I don't care what you smell. It comes up again later when they get out of the trash compactor and... Uh, Chewie hears a noise and he just runs off the corner. He's like, come here, you big coward. And you just see Chewie shake his head like, no! <laughs> like, it's such a funny moment. They never followed up on that in any of the other movies. But that was originally going to be a much bigger part of Chewie's character is that he would have these moments of just being an extreme coward, which is really funny when you do see moments like, you know, the get in there, I don't care what you smell or this. Uh, but in the trash compactor, this is one of my favorite sequences. Again, not much that actually goes on. A little bit of bickering. Uh, you have Han calling her your worship for the first time. Uh, she goes, it could be worse. And then you hear that noise and Han's like, it's worse. <laughs> uh, you get the, the floating turd, uh, as it's come <laughs> to be known, which this was supposed to be like a big, George Lucas was like supremely disappointed in this. He wanted, this just shows he won't just change everything for the sake of changing it. He wanted a giant tentacled monster they were going to fight here. And in the end, it didn't work. So like, let's just have one tentacle wrap itself around. Let's have a one eyeball pop up and that'll be it. Uh, but still, it's kind of a cooler sequence not knowing that. Although I do wonder, how does a creature this size fit in this triny, tiny little trash compactor? Mm. Uh, you know, because it, it's got this massive tentacle. And then it's like, where did it go? I'm like, you're in like a 4 by 10 room here. <laughs> yeah, I've always <laughs> wondered that. I've always, I've always not understood the logistics of how this mm. creature exists in this trash compactor. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the, the noise goes on and, uh, we get Han saying, I've got a bad feeling about this. Another thing that like, unless you sit down and write out your notes, you don't realize the line, I have a bad feeling about this is not exactly said in this movie, even though it's technically a version of it said twice. We had Luke as they were approaching the Death Star, who's the first one who says, I have a very bad feeling about this. And then Han here says, I've got a bad feeling about this. But the actual line that's come to be known, I have a bad feeling about this you know, really doesn't come in until Empire. But both of them get to say it in this movie. Um, and the walls start basically, you know, closing in. Uh, you re- they actually realize they're in a trash compactor right now. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff about, you know, trying to climb on top of them. The, the fact that Chewie just spends the entire time banging on the door, like, <laughs> let me out, let me out, let me out, let me out. <laughs> uh, and then Luke tries to reach 3PO. He's like, 3PO, come in, 3PO. Uh, 3PO's nowhere to be found because, of course, they're locked in the closet again. <laughs> <laughs> God, God, something's um, so horny. <laughs> we get, obviously, the uh, the famous shot of the stormtroopers who come in uh, to get 3PO and, and the one guy who hits his head on there, which I never noticed until right before the Phantom Menace came out, there was, like, one of the many, many, you know, Star Wars hype things that were on TV, and 
uh, some network had just put together their own, like, you know, here's uh, all the exciting things, you know, from Star Wars in the past, and here's some behind-the-scenes stuff for Phantom Menace, and one of it showed Star Wars bloopers, and I saw this for the first time. Like, it, was, it wasn't something I ever noticed, but I love that this blooper of the Stormtrooper hitting his head, walking in the room, that, again, when you go back to Attack of the Clones, George Lucas had Jango Fett doing that, just sort of in the background, just as a joke. Uh, and 3PO gets to lie here, um, he, he, which I'm um, impersonating deities against the program, but lying isn't. Uh, they're madmen. <laughs> they're headed for the prison level. If you hurry, you might catch them. Now, he could have said anything here. Like, if 3PO was going to throw them off the scent, don't you think he would have... They're headed for um, the garage. <laughs> they're headed for the cafeteria. If you hurry, you might catch them. But he's like, no, go exactly where they are. Uh and 3PO and R2 get out of there by saying that R2 needs some maintenance. The guy's just, all right, fine, go. Um, there's Which just bad dumb. one-liners. I'm sorry, just interrupt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that one, oh, so droid needs maintenance. I'm not one of these racist droid types. Off you go. <laughs> well, Vader has already said when this ship landed, did you find any droids? <laughs> like, they know they're on the lookout for droids, not people. They they shouldn't even know there are people here. So why that? All right, I found two droids here that match the descriptions of the one that blasted their way out of Mos Eisley. No, you stay right there in that closet where you belong. Uh, this is 1977. We're not ready for your kind yet. <laughs> uh, droid uh, prejudice, 1977. Um, yeah, okay, so th- like I said, there's some bad one-liners in this movie that I know I don't mind them because I feel like there's good delivery. But you know very well that if any of these one-liners appeared in the prequels or even in the sequels, fans would be all over it. Like, one thing's for sure, we're all going to be a lot thinner. Like, there is no way if that line made its way in any context into the Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, or Revenge of the Sith, people would not give George Lucas a hard time for it. But because this is the one they grew up on, they just accept it. Uh, Eventually, 3PO is like, oh, I don't know where they are. He's like, oh, yeah, use the comm link. Oh, I I forgot. I turned it off. And he's like, uh, talking to Luke, are you there, Master Luke? He's like, uh, we've had some problems. Will you shut up and listen to me? Like, this is the second person who just told 3PO to shut up, which is awesome. Uh, he just told him to shut off the you know garbage mashers. Uh, he's like, no, R2, shut them all down. Hurry. <laughs> uh, eventually, just before they get crushed, turns it off. But all 3PO is hearing is them cheering. Yeah, woohoo! <laughs> and he's listening to them. They're dying, R2. <laughs> That's one of my favorite 3PO moments. Curse my metal body. I wasn't fast enough. It's all my fault. <laughs> Um, so they eventually let them out. You get a couple of shots of Obi-Wan sort of sneaking around the Death Star. Uh, the, 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 the scene that comes up right here, obviously, after they had sort of dried off and, you know, gotten the Stormtrooper suits off, where the Han shoots the thing, the noise they heard, and she was like, come here, you big coward, Chewie, come here. <laughs> Just Chewie shakes and no! <laughs> uh, but here you get Leia bossing them around some more, which again, it could be played like it was snotty, like, oh, what a rich snob, you know? Who does this princess think she is? But I just love that from now on, you do what I tell you. And then he gives it right back to her. as like, listen, your worship, I only take orders from one person, me. And she's like, it's a wonder you're still alive. <laughs> and then she's like, well, somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way. <laughs> and on. <laughs> Great lies. No reward is worth this. <laughs> um, just to kind of wrap up all the Death Star stuff here. Uh, they eventually find out they're right above 3PR2, right above the Falcon. Uh, Obi-Wan is shuts off the reactor or at least the power of the one reactor, and as he's sneaking away, you get those two guys. Here's here's the only thing that humanizes stormtroopers. Yeah, you hear about that new uh, 2PP-16 there. Oh, yeah, some of the other guys were talking to me about it. <laughs> what was that? 
<laughs> random no, stormtrooper conversation. The best part of this whole movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Obi-Wan's accomplished his mission. Everybody's going to kind of meet up, but I love as they're rounding a corner and uh, they see the stormtroopers and Han runs after them. Again, brilliant Harrison Ford moment as they get separated. Uh, Leia's sort of admiring. He certainly has a lot of courage. And Luke's like, what, what good is it going to do if he gets himself killed? When Han's running through there, I guess he's just, the idea is he's trying to create a lot of noise, you know, to scare them off as he's chasing the storm. Ah! And then he rounds the corner and he continues to scream as he gets this look of panic on his face when he sees there's like 90 stormtroopers. Like, ah! Ah! And then starts running back in the other direction screaming. Which they added, um, didn't they? That was because initially it was just they reached a dead end corridor. So they added that scene of them all standing around that tie fighter. Uh, no, well, it's it's similar. Like, they basically didn't have the money to do anything big, so there were, like, two stormtroopers there. So in the original, like, 77 cut, he sort of reaches the end, and there's two guys there, and he runs back. But George Lucas wanted to be more. But again, nobody's going to give credit to things that actually improve the movie. Uh, so as Han and Chewie are just running like cowards now, Luke and Leia uh, get to the, the giant chasm here where the, the bridge has been retracted. Uh, they close the doors or they basically blast the controls for the doors, which also blast the controls for the bridge. Uh, Leia's like, uh, you know, uh, they're coming through. <laughs> <laughs> Luke's like, I got an idea. And he starts taking out his little, uh, bungee cord Batman. thing, his hook. His, his, yeah, his bat, his bat hook here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as you get the stormtroopers on the other level. Again, great Leia moment here. It's just like, here, take this. And she just takes a gun and starts firing. No, like, what? <laughs> a girl can fire a gun? <laughs> but, like, I'll go back to this once we get to the sequel trilogy, that what makes Leia such an important character is she's the only character that was in this fight from the beginning. So you should believe her more. And I think George Lucas was smart enough to know that. It's like, yeah, she's going to hold her own in these scenes because she's been in the rebellion. Luke's been farming moisture and Han's, Han's been like, you know, making out with girls in the cantina and, you know, stiffing jab on uh, uh, his, his spice or whatever. Uh, but Leia's the only one who, when this movie starts, was already a fighter. Uh, this is such a cool scene, though. Where, you know, th- th- there's the blast coming from all areas and the doors slowly opening and Luke gets the hook. And then, of course, she kisses him. That's her brother. <laughs> George Lucas clearly didn't uh, have that in mind yet. And then when they swing across, it's just such a great moment with the music. Uh, now, it is awesome. Mythbusters actually tested this. Um, you, you said you're familiar with the show Mythbusters. You've, have you seen the Star Wars episode of it? No, they did? I, I honestly never really. I mean, I've watched it. It's on TV. I'll flick channels. But it's never been something that I've gone all the way to watch separate episodes. I'd like yeah, to. Just- yeah, this was a fun one where they actually tested, like, would this work? And they basically figured out, it's like, okay, it would work, but it would probably either destroy the man's back um, <laughs> or, you know, uh, it would have to be, like, some type of extreme, you know, the most powerful, you know, line on Earth. Um, but uh, the more fun thing about this was the uh, behind-the-scenes story when they were filming it, where it was actually Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher that did the shot. And Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher weren't quite sure if it was, you know, going to work or not. And um, the stuntman or the stunt coordinator basically, no, 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 that's fine. I'll show you. I'll do it myself. So he sort of did it, swung across. And there was like a tear, like where the harness started tearing. And uh, the guy who was doing the show was like, my harness is ripping. My harness is ripping. And then they're like, what, what was that? What was that? Did he say something was ripping? It's like, no, no, he just split his pants. It's okay. Do it again. <laughs> he made them do the scene. Even though the first guy was like, no, no, it's ripping. <laughs> Uh, putting the actors in danger um 
after this, they they all sort of meet up again, and here's another one of those bad one-liners that George Lucas would never get away with putting in the prequels because everything in those movies has to be wrong. When uh, Han first of all says, "Didn't we just leave this party?" and then Leia and Han or Leia and Luke come up, and he's like, "Where? What kept you? We ran into some old friends." <laughs> like it's it's not exactly even great for you know people who grew up on this movie, but it's just another example of there's still bad lines in these movies, people. Uh, Obi Wan and Vader they have their fight here. Now this kind of has to be talked about in its own thing. Uh, now I understand the disappointment when you compare this to the other movies. Uh, and maybe part of it is just nostalgia for me, where I'm like, this for the longest time was the lightsaber battle. But like, I still love this, even though, yeah, it doesn't quite hold up when you see Revenge of the Sith, or even when you see what Vader does in Empire and Jedi, and then you see his fight with Obi-Wan here. But I think what makes it more than anything else is just the dialogue between them. Like, I love Obi-Wan and Vader, just the back and forth they have here. You know, when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master, <laughs> and he's only a master of evil, Darth. Like, again, some cheesy lines, but they carry it so well. And, uh, you know, Obi-Wan just dropping that, you know, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And, yeah, it's just sort of stiff fighting, but it's still cool to me, although I, I can get when people say, I'm interested to hear what Mallory thought of this, because, you know, I uh, the only thing I really remember is... Um, there was a guy I worked with around the time that Revenge of the Sith came out, and he had gone to see it. Now, he, he had never watched any of the Star Wars movies, and then somebody said, well, we're go- we got to go see Revenge of the Sith. So he sat there, he watched Phantom Menace, watched Attack of the Clones, watched Revenge of the Sith. And then he's like, oh, i got to see you know the original now. So he watched New Hope after that, and he's like, man, that lightsaber battle sucks. You know, I can get, if you're watching this chronologically, it's not the coolest thing in the world, but I think it's just the drama of these two fighting each other, and I love the whole buildup they've had, you know, we had the mention earlier on about, you know, my old apprentice, Darth Vader. And then we had, uh, you know, uh, Vader saying, uh, I sense a presence I haven't felt since, you know, since I was on Tatooine. And there was all that <laughs> sand. Um, but it's still cool to me. Um, and obviously, the big moment here is just as they find an opportunity. The stormtroopers, I love they'll, they'll abandon their post again. Hey, guys, fight! <laughs> Yeah, I love the way they just sort of look at each other and kind of like gesture each other. Hey, guys, look, our boss is having a fight with some old guy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it would be great if they're like, go, Vader, go, go, Vader, go. And then like when he kills everyone, they're like, oh, damn, boss, you the man. (laughs) You the man. Vader, 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 Vader. I just kick him in the balls, Vader. <laughs> Vader like looks over at the stormtroopers, does a little fist bump, does a little dab, uh, <laughs> flosses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, boys. Woo! Drink on me tonight. That's the number one hit in the galaxy right now. That's like you know. Now, boys. Woo! Yeah. Dub more Star Wars things in there where after he actually, like, because obviously the big thing here is, you know, Obi-Wan sees Luke and everybody else leaving and he's like, this is their chance to get away. So he allows himself to be struck down. You think he does. He actually just allows himself to disappear. He wills himself to die or whatever it is, which really has never been completely explained. Um, but it would be great if Vader after that just was like, <sighs> like a boss. <laughs> <laughs> He's just there like going like, yeah, boy, who's saying now, bitch? <laughs> who's got the high ground now, bitch? <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, that's right. I slaughtered you. <laughs> um, 
yeah, though, a couple of cool things. One is, I talked about in the Phantom Menace episode, people's misunderstanding of, you know, the, the Jedi disappearing. They thought that all Jedi disappeared. So there were so many people saying, like, George Lucas is an idiot. He forgot to make Qui-Gon disappear. Um, it's clearly, even in A New Hope, something new. Because when Obi-Wan does this, Vader, like, goes and, like, steps on his cloak. Like, where did he go? And I love that he thinks he might be under there somewhere. <laughs> He's like, hmm. <laughs> so one of my favorite uh, bits is later on when he gets um, shot and he does that. What? Like when the Millennium... <laughs> I want them to dub that over here. What? <laughs> uh, but when they're making the getaway here, you know, the, they're blasting. Luke's like, no. See? No. He gets it from his dad. Yep. It makes sense. Yep. No. Uh when they're making the getaway, there's a shot where Vader is coming towards the camera and the doors close in on him. Another thing improved, you know, not even in the special editions. This is one of those effects where it still got missed on the special editions but by the Blu-ray release. Even in the special editions, this was just a plain white lightsaber. Like, if you go back and watch even the 1997 edit of this, and the effects still weren't complete. I don't know how that happened for that many years if they just figured it's not worth it people didn't notice but i always remember noticing that i'm like why does he have a white lightsaber all the time Mm. because obviously you know maybe there were too many things in the foreground blocking it they couldn't make the animated effect on it but it was just a glowing stick at that point and they eventually corrected that in the blu-ray release uh so when they're making the getaway here i don't know why leia puts a blanket on him like luke you look cold and he's like (laughs) space is cold this is like her her slipping into padme and him slipping into anakin it's very cold (laughs) Not like your I'm not hey, used that to actually your makes planet. Total, <laughs> yeah, it, it makes total sense now. There we go. Uh, but she's trying to comfort Luke and Hans immediately like, uh, we're not out of this yet. And they go to the little gun stations. But this is one of the coolest things in Millennium Falcon, these little gunners they have. And as Chewie and Leia are flying the ships, we've got all the TIE fighters chasing them. Uh, one of my favorite moments, again, Han Solo still can never give somebody credit where Luke's like, I got one, I got one. Great, kid. Don't get cocky. <laughs> <laughs> uh and a couple of fires start. I like that everybody has something to do here. You know, Leia and Chewie are having to navigate the ship and relay information to Han and Luke. You know, three R two's putting out fires, and three PO uh, finally after they finally get away and blow up the last Tie Fighter. Three PO caught in all the wires. Help! I think I'm melting. This is all your fault. <laughs> I love his constant blame game of R two. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is all your get the abusive boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't have hit you if you didn't have a, such a smart mouth, Martin. <laughs> it's all your fault. I only do it because I love you. Exactly. <laughs> Don't call social services. What did I tell you about that? Put the phone down, Arto. <laughs> Don't you say that. You watch your language. Get back in the closet. <laughs> um. So I guess we'll kind of. Yeah, we'll leave off before we get to the the last scene here. Um, no, no, let's just include it. So Tarkin and Vader, you're talking about, uh, are you sure the homing beacon's secure? I'm taking an awful risk. This better pay off. And then on the ship, Leia and Han are talking, and Han again, over, so overly cocky. I love that he's just smiling the whole time. So not a bad bit of rescuing, huh? And then she's saying, they let us go is the only explanation for the ease of our escape. And he's, you call that easy? And she's saying they're tracking us. And he's like, not this ship, sister. <laughs> so... He's saying, I'm only in this for the money. I expect you well paid. She says, if money's all you love, that's what you'll receive. She storms out. Uh, Lucas are like, well, I care. <laughs> well, what, what, what do I mean? Like, I'm, I'm a good solid man. I'm good for breeding. <laughs> uh, and him and Han have this little, you know, schoolboy bickering over Leia here. Or I guess Han just sort of is legitimately annoyed with Leia at this point. 
And he goes, what do you think of her, Han? He's like, well, I'm trying not to. And Luke, you get his, like, jealous boyfriend thing where Han's like, hmm, I could have some fun with this. Like, you think a princess and a guy like me looks like, no, no, a princess and a guy like me. Okay. Um, so I can back up that Vader was always supposed to be Luke's father. You know, nobody knows 100% for sure, but there's enough things in this movie that clearly demonstrate George Lucas was setting something like that up. The Leia thing, though, like time and time again, it's just very clear that he had no clue he wanted Leia to be the sister at this point on. Because there's wait, there is more flirtation between these two here than there is between, um, I don't know, Finn and Poe in <laughs> Force Awakens. Well. <laughs> Close. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, either that or George Lucas just loved incest. Like, I mean, you know, like... <laughs> Is George Lucas secretly Tasmanian or something like that? Like, have we ever established this? Like, imagine if, like, you know, he actually came out one time and just like, why does no one ever ask me about this? I just love incest, all right? I'm a... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love my family. There's nothing wrong with it. Hashtag incest lives matter. Um, like, what are you talking about? Um, there's a great fan edit, which I think I shared with you, that um, exists where somebody's gone and kind of redone this sequence with Obi-Wan and Darth Vader and made the fight like all really epic. Um, and it just like, it works. Like, I actually legitimately want to edit this into a new hope because it is really awesome kind of seeing them like flipping all over the place and kind of like full on being like they were in Revenge of the Sith. Because yeah, like as much as we love the prequels and everything and kind of, you know, I think for the most part they do a great job of tying all the movies together. Like, this is a little bit jarring considering what we did see of them, you know, technically a movie beforehand. Or even in Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that that's it. But, like, you can understand it. Because, like, I remember pointing this out to Mallory, like, look, this is going to be a bit lame. And then it's also because, like, you, you think about it that... We had this epic fight, maybe the greatest movie scene in all of, fight scene in all of movies. And then this is their first meeting. Like, I am but the master now. <laughs> like, you know, it's yeah. kind of like, we just literally had Obi-Wan like, you were the chosen one! You were my brother! And now 30 <laughs> years later, oh fuck, you've gotten old. <laughs> like, <laughs> I again, I think it's in the, uh, how it should have ended. Like, Obi-Wan's literally like, how do you have legs? The last time I saw you, I chopped your legs off. <laughs> like, yeah. basically, Obi-Wan uses the force and, like, crushes his legs because they're all robotic and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, like, rips his helmet and it's like, oh, gosh, you didn't age well. <laughs> like, it's just... <laughs> uh, it's so, so good. But um, another bit that I love, I think they added it in, didn't they, for the special editions, which I've heard them complain about, is um, when they're running through the corridors and they're like, um, close the blast doors, close the blast doors. Blast doors, and then they close yeah. and like open the blast doors, open the blast doors. <laughs> Mallory, that's, that's really good. Mallory laughed at that bit. Like I just think that adds to it. Again, it's kind of like that comedy. That's you know, it's added in there for the sake of it, but it's just funny. Like open the blast doors, open the blast doors. <laughs> um, but the yeah, the grappling hook bit, like just the music that swells with that one, and the way she kind of looks at him and goes, "Good luck," and it's like, and then just like goes up there. What is he like when he shoots the thing? Like. You know, we need to extend the bridge. I think I just blasted it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, oh, all really good stuff. But, um, yeah, like that whole explanation thing you're talking about, like how we've never seen this before, how he kind of disappears and that sort of stuff. Like, I mean, it's no different to when we get to The Last Jedi. We see like 30 different new Force abilities that we never knew existed. 
Um, you know, floating layer is, ugh. but, um, <laughs> so it obviously adapts over time, but yeah, that's, we talked about the Revenge of the Sith. Like it would have been amazing to have that Qui-Gon scene and kind of actually have this explanation because yeah, I think that would have been something that really adds to this bit a little bit more too. And clearly they've added that in the, the cartoons and the comics and things like that to understand it. But it, it, it is actually something that makes a lot of sense that, Qui-Gon would have had this and kind of projection and all this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, again, no no complaints here. It's fantastic. And the, the head bit when he hits his head, like I said to Mallory, when watch, just watch, watch on the far right, watch on the far right. And you're doing, and she just cracked up laughing. <laughs> has, that, has he ever explained, like, was that just simply a mistake? Like, they didn't realize that until post-production? I was, or? Yeah. Well, I, I don't even know if George Lucas would have been on set for that because, I mean, the behind-the-scenes story is that this – shoot was so grueling that he gave himself an ulcer and in order to finish this movie on time they had to run something like four crews around the clock you know to finish all the the on-set stuff so there was some stuff that george lucas just had to hand over to second unit so who knows if that was one of them but you could also say i mean the, the guy almost died while making this movie and maybe a couple things slipped through the cracks yeah well you know He's, a, he, he's not like he went back 40 years later. I just love the fact that he's added that doink sound effect to it. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's just epic. You know, like, who does that? Like, you would think there'd be, like, a perfectionist kind of thing. Of like, oh, no, this is this one mistake that's lived with me for the rest of my life. But he's just literally gone and just gone, doink. <laughs> but meanwhile, he had to put in, there's no one here. <laughs> yeah. Did, didn't he, like, in... um. In when he came to writing Attack of the Clones, didn't he like start calling it like Jar Jar's Great Adventure or something like that to troll yeah. the fans or something like that? Like, yeah, well, I mean, th- th- going back to even Return of the Jedi, they that was sort of the first movie to use a code name on set so that you know they wouldn't have media swarming them. But yeah, he did Attack of the Clones. He specifically made it Jar Jar's Big Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, just little things like that. Like, you know, like I this criticism. I mean, this it's. George Lucas, is anybody in Hollywood who's got this great, you know, fan following? And no one in Hollywood has a bigger fan following than George Lucas, let's be honest. So he's obviously open a lot to criticism. But at the end of the day, like, I mean, just the fact that he can toy with fans and play with them like that a little bit too. Like, it's just, I I, I appreciate that about someone like that. Um, one other thing I missed here was during that scene, uh, or the last two scenes, when Tarkin... Uh, says, uh, they, or I think somebody tells him or Tarkin had just said they've just made the jump into hyperspace. Mm. And then when you cut to the Falcon, they are clearly not in hyperspace the entire time on the way to Yavin, uh, which I remember that, just picking up on that at one point, and it kind of bothered me. Like Another thing, like you think if you're going to you know, add something to special edition, if they say in the previous scene they just made the jump into hyperspace, and then you just see them floating there in space, maybe that's something to fix. But uh, I, I actually think that would distract from the scene if you saw that incredible hyperspace effect as they're having this serious discussion. Um, kind of wrap up the rest of the movie here once they get to uh, the the secret base on Yavin. Uh, the, obviously, the first thing we get is radar guy <laughs> as they're coming in. And I love it. As soon as they land, you know, Leia goes to this general guy here, one of the other you know older men in her life that she's uh, got some some history with here. And uh, he's like, you know, we feared for uh, when we feared for your safety when we heard about Alderaan. And then she's like, we have no time for that. You must use the info in the start. I just love a radar guy came up at that point. I said, like, you must use the info in the start. Uh, excuse me. Um, I had you clocked at 80 in the 60 zone. It's like, we don't have time for this. It's like, no, no, hold on. Protocol. <laughs> Protocol. Safety I'm matters, Frank. 
This is serious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you will have the chance to appeal within the next 90 days. <laughs> For now, here is your ticket, man. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, we quickly cut to the earliest computer graphics in Star Wars. <laughs> when they plug in R2 and you get like that, that you know, cheesy 8-bit. I don't even think it's 8-bit. <laughs> That's like, like one and a half bit or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's Atari effects yeah. uh, for the Death Star. And then the briefing after they've analyzed the plans. Uh, I love the – I think it's General Dodonna who does the speech here. He's the guy who they obviously had recast to have him appear in Rogue One around the boardroom table. Uh, but when he's giving the briefing here, or maybe it's one of the other guys, and he uh, refers to her as Princess Leah. Yes. <laughs> he can't pronounce her name. Princess <laughs> this Leia. This is like the – yeah, this is like the Han Han thing, you know? <laughs> my name is Leia! Get my name right! <laughs> uh, and then, are you aware that the guy who's talking to Luke, because they're basically saying, you know, uh, um, you, you, it's ray shielded, you'll have to use proton torpedoes, and this guy's like, that's impossible, even for a computer. Are you aware that's supposed to be Wedge, or was at one point supposed to be Wedge? I had no clue, but there you go. Well, you know who Wedge is. Yeah, I know who Wedge right? is. I like Wedge, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people love Wedge. In fact, Wedge is one of these characters that seem to come out of nowhere. Like they, when they did the um, in the early '90s, George Lucas had allowed them to create like the expanded universe in novels, and uh, Wedge became throughout that a major character just because he'd been in it, like a major, major character. He was one. Sometimes there would be entire books dedicated just to Wedge, uh, and he was sort of one of the leaders of the New Republic or whatever. Uh, but funniest thing about this. Um, when we get to Return of the Jedi, I remember I was show when I got to show my nephews all these movies for the first time. I sort of brought one by a week, and we watched New Hope, we watched Empire, and then before we got to Jedi, one of my nephews was like, "Is Wedge in this one?" Like he got excited <laughs> about Wedge. Like, like if you if you're a Star Wars fan, if you read the internet, you probably know who Wedge is. But like, I doubt there are people Wedge but He was really excited. Like, is Wedge back in this? Wasn't he the <laughs> but, main uh, guy in the Rogue One video? Uh, Rogue One uh, Squadron, Rogue Squadron video game, uh, Rogue Nintendo sixty four. He was the main yeah, guy in that, wasn't um, he? Well, I think there were there are a couple of characters in that, but uh, like he was one of them. Yeah, because I know they did a series of books like uh, uh, X Wing Rogue Squadron books, and he was the main one in that whole series too. Uh, but funny enough, like the actor. Dennis Lawson. He's one of the only guys who's turned down Star Wars since then. Uh, wow. Because <laughs> uh, he was offered like a cameo role in The Force Awakens. And there's kind of conflicting reports as to whether he turned it down because he didn't want to do it or if he turned it down because he was busy. I find it hard to believe that if they just needed a cameo that he would have been busy. So maybe he legitimately did turn it down. But the, the even funnier thing is that not the guy in this scene but the actual Wedge who you know appears in all the flying scenes – Dennis Lawson is Ewan McGregor's uncle, which I, I'm sure you had heard that before, right? Yes, I was the most common you had? the the most common knowledge <laughs> I've ever had on Star Wars. That was like um, in all the Ewan McGregor interviews through all the prequels, they would constantly mention, "Hey, and you had an uncle who was in Star Wars, right? Yeah, my uncle played Wedge. Yeah, so Dennis Lawson who plays Wedge is Ewan McGregor's uncle in real life, and you actually see him." outside of the helmet you can see a little bit of a family resemblance uh but this guy that luke's talking to here was like that's impossible even for a computer that was supposed to be wedge and it's taken people years this only really became discovered in the last couple years where people said that's clearly not dennis lawson he was named fake wedge you know (laughs) by the fan community um but the character was supposed to be wedge in fact it's even the same voice as the later wedge scenes 
the same guy did the voice for both these. But this was the original actor hired to play Wedge. And again, some conflicting reports saying that he couldn't remember his lines. I mean, his line is, that's impossible even for a computer. So I find that hard to believe. Although some people have said, well, he had a much bigger scene here with Luke. And when they got on the set, he was having trouble because, you know, he had, you know, had to do an American accent or whatever. But ultimately what happened is this guy didn't work out after one day of filming. So they replaced him in the rest of the scenes. Yet the character was always officially known as Wedge. So we had two human characters who really don't look that much alike playing Wedge in back-to-back scenes, which is kind of fun. But in recent years, they renamed this Captain something or other where he's actually supposed to be a different guy Captain than Wedge. Captain Not Wedge. Uh, Captain Not Wedge, yeah. Uh, and um, the whole readying for battle thing here, too. Uh, oh, here's where the guy says, may the force be there. I think General Dodonna, where he says, may the force be with you for the first time. It's just a random rebel guy. It's not a guy who has a major significance in the movie, and he says, may the force be with you. Uh, you wonder, did he hear that from the, um, what was it, Chirrut and Bays when they were there, like, Maybe. two weeks earlier? That sounds Have they good. never I'm heard using that, that. <laughs> <laughs> May the force be with you. <laughs> uh, but uh, the whole readying for battle scene here is uh, crazy just in the fact that they had, like, two or three ships that they had actually built, and they just had to keep moving them around over and over again. So when you see the full hangar shots, a lot of it is just map paintings. Um, obviously we get another deleted scene here, n- not right away, but first we get the Han scene with, uh, Luke where he's saying, you know, you should stick around. They could use a good pilot like you. And he's saying, what's good a reward if you can't, you know, use it. You know, this is more like my idea of suicide. And he's like, take care of yourself, Han. I guess what you're best at. And he gets another whiny moment, his last whiny moment of the movie. And then Han's like, may the force be with you. Which I just want to say, and maybe it's even part of the character, but that is the most insincere any human beings ever sounded, saying may the force be with you. It just does not sound or look right coming out of Han Solo's mouth. Uh, the uh, scene with his sister after that, where, <laughs> again, she gives him a kiss, and he's like, ooh, a <laughs> little bit creepy now. Uh, and then we get the big scene, which was, again, deleted from the 1977 release and added in the special editions. This is an addition that really needed to be back in the movie because uh, otherwise the big stuff makes no sense later on. But there's still a moment that's cut out of this. So the way it basically plays is Luke and Biggs are like, hey, I didn't expect to find you here. And uh, I would recognize your foul stench when I was brought on board, man. <laughs> Have a shower. What is it with you men in this galaxy? <laughs> uh, but when this other guy, when the red leader comes up and he's like, Skywalker, are you sure you can handle this ship? And Biggs basically vouches for him. He says, you'll do all right, and walks away. But if you actually watch really closely, and I I was floored at how seamless this was until I saw the deleted scene on the Blu-rays, uh, where this scene has an additional line, where after he says, Luke is the best bush pilot in the Outer Rim Territories, the guy goes, Skywalker, I knew your father. I flew with him. He was a good man. And then he says, you'll do all right, and walks away. <laughs> and I never realized that like a person walks in front of the camera right before he says, you'll do all right that actually covers for the cut there where they cut the line about Anakin out, which I don't know if they needed to cut the line of Anakin out. I mean, obviously it's not like everybody in the galaxy is like Darth Vader was once Anakin Skywalker. So it still would have made sense if he said, I knew your father, but for whatever reason they decided they'd still cut that line. But like having this big scene back there is just fantastic. Uh, It makes so much more sense later on. Uh, All the ships are getting ready here. There's another little cameo that I I think I, I probably heard this was in here, but it never really pinpointed it the guy who says to luke right after this like this r2 universe is beat up you want a new one 
that guy was in a couple of James Bond movies. Um, the most recently, the, or I guess the last one George he was Lysenby. in, was The Spy. Yes, right. <laughs> this was Roger Moore. <laughs> but uh, this guy's name is Shane Rimmer, and he's actually he, he was an American actor. He's actually Canadian who lived in England. So he every time a big American movie like Superman or James Bond or like James Bond, obviously, you know, American Studios still uh, or Star Wars would be filming over there. They would need somebody with American accents. So this guy has said, like, I got a lot of work in these big budget movies just because I had an American accent, and they're like, well, there were legal rules. You have to cast this many people locally, and he's like, it perfectly fit me. But this guy in The Spy Who Loved Me, he was the um, the commander on the the ship uh, that, that finally gets taken over the fights with James Bond. And this was the guy who offered Agent Triple X his shower. You know, <laughs> uh, you'd be more than happy to use my shower. Uh, he's the guy who's like, this R2 universe is beat up. You want a new one? Uh, which I, I actually picked him out. I probably heard the trivia before, but didn't pick it out until now. Uh, everybody uh, loves the radar guy here because he's actually doing his job, but I would love to see him just going all over the place as all of the ships are leaving the planet, and he's like, oh, 30, 40, 50, oh, 30, 20. <laughs> he's just darting his gun all over the place. But again, another improved effect shot in the special edition, which originally you just saw flashes of light lifting off the planet like right into space, which really made no sense because we already saw the Millennium Falcon just sort of driving like at a normal pace. So the fact they have those effect shots and even the the outdoor shot, probably the best effect shot they do in any of the special editions, the best additional shot is when you have that shot where it's kind of scrolling past the planet as the ships are coming in between the cameras and everything. And you see Luke inside the cockpit. It's just fantastic. Again, added for the special edition. A uh, little bit, I don't know if I want to call this a plot hole, but when the Death Star you know, gets within range right here at the beginning of the battle and they say, you know, we're are orbiting at our maximum velocity, we'll be in range in 30 minutes. How did they get from Alderaan to Yavin in what, like a day? Like, can this even go in hyperspace? Like the speed doesn't really match up to me how if, if they can only orbit a planet in 30 minutes that they could have reached entire star system. I think they in a can couple of- go to hyperspace because don't we see that in Return of the Jedi when it like arrives like randomly just like, boom, like there it is. No, I don't think there is a shot of that. I think you just made that up. <laughs> well, I'm allowed to. Um, <laughs> which again, in the- I mean, maybe it does, but it's just it, maybe this is like it's orbiting velocity, but like I find it hard to imagine what this thing even looks like going through hyperspace. The, um, the how it should have ended they get there and they're like um, oh, good job getting us out here. Why are we half an hour away from the, the moon? I've got an idea. And they go, zoom, hyperspace, and they yeah, go, zoom, yeah, exactly. straight in front of the, the moon. And yeah. they're like, the star is in range. You may fire when ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so the uh, I guess during the battle here, like I was saying, there's a lot of cool stuff going on, like the, the gold squadron. They, uh, you know, obviously the ones that go into the trench, you have different squadrons for the red squadron. Uh, you know, the red leader here has to take over at some point. So a lot of stuff happening, but, uh, they realize that they can't shoot these things with the lasers from the ship. So they have to send TIE fighters out one-on-one. I think one of the reasons why this battle works so well is because George Lucas not just modeled it after real aerial dogfight footage from like World War II, but almost shot for shot. There's some great like side-by-side comparisons you can find in different documentaries where they're showing the original dogfight footage he used uh to you know tell them like this is what i want you to make and it's literally shot for shot what's happening here um but it just plays so well and just the idea that you would have like this flying dogfight in space i mean at this point you had never really even done that in movies i mean top gun 
is still nine years away from being made. And here they're doing it in space for the first time. Uh, and even some of the bad effects, you know, I think, from the 1977 version still look fantastic. Like, I always love that shot just as they go into the trench for the first time. And, you know, you see it kind of like the, the camera kind of like levels out with the ship. Like, it's done from the point of view of the ship. They actually reuse that shot twice in here, like each time they go in there. It still looks great, though. Um, I, I love the moment where the TIE Fighter's on Luke. And Luke's basically calling for Biggs. So, Biggs, where are you? And then Wedge sort of like zooms right through the camera to blast this thing to pieces. It's awesome. Uh, and then as the, the gold ones end up being chased down by Vader and his crew, because he says, you know, uh, a small group of ships is broken off from the main group. Follow me. Vader and his squad of three chase down the gold fighters, the Y-Wings. Uh, they take them all out. So then they're down to a couple squadrons of red fighters. The red leader goes after it. And uh, this is that, that really clear Texas accent here of this guy. Just hold them off for a few seconds. <laughs> and uh, um, he's got a lot of these like really southern lines. But I love that we saw him in Rogue One, too. Uh, <clears throat> and eventually, even his ship gets blown up. So we're down to only three fighters. And this is something that my brother always mentioned that bothered me, or the bother. My brother mentioned that I was bothered by this, yes. <laughs> but my brother always growing up, he mentioned that he hated right here that Luke was like, uh, "All right, this is the plan. I'm going to go in. Biggs, you cover me. Wedge, you cover me." And like, and Wedge even says, "Right with you, boss." And I'm like, Luke just got there. He has never flown an X-wing in his life. Why is he the boss? Uh, but if you actually have read. Uh, some of the book and backgrounds. Wedge's character is supposed to be 16 years old here. He's literally a kid that just showed up and said, I can fly. Well, put, put me in a pilot suit. I'll fly for you. <laughs> and Biggs, we saw in the earlier scene, has just been recruited. But even still, Biggs just graduated from flight school, a place Luke hasn't been to yet. Regardless of whether Wedge or Biggs have even fought in a battle or even been here before now, should they not be leading the battle here at this point? Like, maybe it's just Luke's take charge attitude. They're like, I like this guy's moxie or something. <laughs> they just <laughs> decide to follow him. Uh, does that, did that ever bother you? Uh, no, I mean, yeah, I definitely see the issue around it, but not that much. Cause I, I guess the way I look at it is that this is a brag tag bunch of people in a rebellion that haven't really had much success, have they? I mean, we kind of saw just how all over the shop they were in Rogue One. I realized Rogue One didn't exist when this movie came out, but, um, yeah, I can definitely yeah. <laughs> I can definitely see the the issue around it, but I guess it didn't really bother me that much. Um, but again, I never noticed until I had to sit down and take notes. But it's Red Leader that actually makes Luke the boss here because when he says, you know, I'm taking uh, Red Seven or Red whatever the ones he is into the trench, and he says, uh, he says Red Five, take Red Two and Red, you know, whatever with you, and Luke says, okay, you know, we'll cover for you, whatever. Uh, he actually gives the order, Luke's in command there, which is also strange. Maybe he just really loved his father. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the only explanation I could think of. But uh, slowly they start getting knocked out here. Wedge gets knocked out, but he manages to fly off. Uh, or Luke kind of tells him, you're not doing any more good back there. And Wedge says, sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. And then, uh, Vader's closing in on them. Uh, he blasts Biggs away, and this is where we get the, you know, Luke just sort of looks when Biggs dies, which uh, probably the reason that happened, I I'm guessing that there may have been a bigger moment when Biggs' scenes were all still supposed to be in there, but when George Lucas cut all those big scenes, he decided, well, he shouldn't really have, like, a dramatic action here if just some random guy dies. 
uh, and maybe just decided not to put that back in. But it does kind of play weird where now his best friend, uh, who was his, his hero, the guy he wanted to follow, dies, and he just sort of looks, pigs is dead. Well, back to my job. Like It's, <laughs> it's a little bit awkward. Um, as Vader's closing in on him, he hears you know, the voice, use the force, Luke. Uh, he shuts off his computer. Luke, you shut off your computer. What's wrong? Nothing. I'm all right. <laughs> like at some point, somebody there should be, come on, you idiot. You're going to blow this thing for all of us. <laughs> it really should be. Like that's a legitimate concern. Like, 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 what do you mean you're all right? We need to do this. We're about to die, yeah. you idiot. <laughs> what if like, like they did Another that like, planet's you know, about to be destroyed. <laughs> like they're about to kill Osama bin yeah, Laden. Exactly. And it's like, you know, <laughs> Colonel Rogers, you just did your targeting. It's all right. I'm going to use the force. What? I'm using the force. <laughs> Switch it back on. That's an order, Marine. <laughs> the way it really should play. Um, but I, I'll, Vader, when he's like, I have you now. And then, well, they lose R2 first. I should mention that. And then all of a sudden, when you know the other TIE fighter blows off, and that's where uh, he turns and he goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> the, the best bit of that one is I've talked about before, I think, the, the old school YouTube clip where it was like movie in five seconds. Um, and it was just like the, the one for a new hope was Luke Skywalker. He, he use the force, Luke. And then you hear what? And then it goes, poof, it blows up. And then it's like, da, 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 da. Oh, we used to watch that all the time. Uh, I also got to add in here, you know, Han obviously is the one that makes a save, which it's always, that always kind of gives me chills when Han reappears. Like it's such a heroic moment, you know, and, and you all, you almost forget Han's supposed to reappear, even knowing this movie by heart. Uh, but the Yahoo that he gives here, the Yahoo! <laughs> That's something that appears in all of the Star Wars movies, I think up until The Phantom Menace. I don't think they had an Attack of the Clones. Oh, that was Yippee! Or Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, well, but even, not, not just the Yippee, there's when Anakin blows up the um, Trade Federation ship. Even there, he goes like, woo! He gives like a, you know, uh, Girls Gone Wild, woo! Or something like that. You know what Girls but Gone this Wild will appear is? In- wow. You have grown. <laughs> Um, why my connection to that was a little boy, I don't know, a little weird, but, uh, but no, he gives that like, woo, and it actually appears in both Empire and Jedi too, which I just think is funny because that's, it, it really only suits Han Solo to go like, yeah, uh, I don't know if I need the other characters doing it, uh, and I love that when he has that line, let's blow this thing and we'll go home, and just the way the music playing like, dun, 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 dun. And then Luke pulls the trigger without the computer, with just the Force. And he, I love – even just the way that Mark Hamill gives like this – like he's holding his breath the whole time. Mm. And after it goes off, he's – like he lets out like, oh, I can finally breathe. Uh, the three ships survive, Luke, Han, and Wedge, my nephew's favorite character. <laughs> uh, improvements of the special edition when the Death Star blows – uh, and originally it was just a shower of sparks, and now you actually get like a shock wave, which makes a little bit more sense and looks a lot better. Uh, and then you have Obi-Wan, of course, saying the Force will be with you. Now, if you watch closely the shot where Vader's ship is spinning, which, by the way, clear sequel setup, you know, a, a couple of things are clear sequel setup here. The fact they never resolved the whole Luke, Han, and Leia love triangle. They don't even get close to it. Um, the fact that Luke, it was said, I want to become a Jedi, and meanwhile he's only used the Force once. And then Vader living here, they obviously had, you know, at least let's set the stage for a sequel, even though nobody had faith would ever get a sequel. Really, it's got to be one of the first cliffhangers ever. Like, try to think about movies prior to this. Even James Bond movies where they knew we're making another movie. They knew 
there's, you know, this, this is what our next movie is. James Bond will return in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. They still would not put things in place that set up the next movie. So in 1977, that George Lucas even had a character living here that was unresolved. Like that's such a modern thing to do. I don't, I don't know if anybody had really done that back in the, in those days, especially for a movie that there was no faith there would ever be a sequel. But watching that shot where it's spinning around, you, it is the clearest you can see David Prowse's face through the mask. For the most part, you can never see him through like the eye holes, but you can see like full outline of his eyes, his eyebrows, everything in that one shot as the ship's spinning out of control. Uh, when they land back on the planet, everybody's celebrating. Uh, we get Leia's accent again as Han comes up to gradually. He's like, I knew there was body in that body. <laughs> Why is she using her accent there? That's the one part that, like, I understand the whole in an official setting as a senator, but why is she slipping to her accent there? I don't get it. Uh, and then 3 people all of a sudden is like, oh, R2, I didn't do it, I swear. <laughs> or I will have R2, tell them that the, the, the that, that Imperial guy blasted you. Don't tell him I gave you the black eye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I nearly got away with it. <laughs> but 3 people, if any of my gears or circuits would help, I'll gladly donate them. <laughs> and I just have Luke walk, I'm sure he'll be alright, and they just walk away. <laughs> Uh, and then we get the great uh, throne room sequence here uh, with, you know, the, the giant crowds of people, uh, the the medal ceremony where Chewbacca gets nothing, <laughs> uh, which I think has been explained that those medals would not have fit over Chewie's head or that Leia could not have reached I up or something like that. I thought it was explained, wasn't it, in one of them, in one of the comics or something too, that Wookiees refused medals. It meant nothing to them or something <laughs> like that. That was another thing I'd read. Maybe that's it. Um, I, I, who knows? I mean, it's just it, it actually became such a you know a popular thing among fans. How come Chewie didn't get his medal? And I don't know. I think I mentioned this in a past episode. Uh, the MTV Movie Awards, when they would give away their Lifetime Achievement Award, they would always give it to something kind of on like not quite in the mainstream. Like they gave it to Clint Howard one year, and another year they gave it to Jackie Chan. This is pre his American breakthrough when he was just like a Hong Kong action star. And one year they decided to give it to Chewbacca, <laughs> the MTV Movie Lifetime Achievement Award. And they had it with like a, a, the Lifetime Achievement Award winner for 1998 or whatever, Chewbacca. And you get like Chewbacca walking down the aisle in costume. You get like, Urgh! and there's a whole crowd there applauding him and everything. Like this is at the real movie ceremony. And they're playing this throne room music basically as a way to finally give him his award. <laughs> uh, but uh, you, you get a quick moment there where Han winks at Leia and Leia just sort of smiles at him. Luke does nothing. He's the gentleman. Uh, he, he's much more of a gentleman with his siblings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tab, true Chasmanian, huh? <laughs> do, you, do you think that like Luke died a virgin? Because we never ever see Luke hook up with anyone except for his sister. Like, Interesting, though. you yeah. know. Well, because in the books he gets married and has a son, but then as soon as you know, well, of course those books didn't understand at one point that George Luke could write a Jedi can't be married. Uh, but now they've officially written those books off, and it's not part of you know this continuity. But yeah, in this continuity, has he ever? I mean, <laughs> maybe those little nuns on his planet. Yeah. You know, he's had a couple of you know late nights with them. <laughs> that 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 thing uh, with the milk, like you know, that's why he likes it so much. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. So maybe Luke did die a virgin. I don't know. Was he a virgin even on Tatooine? Uh, oh, who knows about him? Was. And uh, yeah, <laughs> of course he was. Come on. <laughs> Um, but, uh, okay, the, the final shot here, you know, I love the throne room music and everything, but this basically started the trend of there's always a final pose of the characters. 
Here it makes sense. Now, I'm going to complain about one of the future movies having the worst final pose. I think there's two that have really bad ones. You know, The Phantom Menace had it where, again, they were on stage like this. Attack of the Clones, it was them posing before, you know, the sunset from behind. Much like an Empire Strikes Back, it's sort of a behind shot or then a zoom out shot. Uh, And then Revenge of the Sith, it was the sunset shot. But, like, this one works, but one of the upcoming movies does not work at all. But... Does it look a little bit like cla- posing for the class photo here <laughs> where they're all like it's it's a little bit weird. I always as much as I love this movie, if there's one thing I could change, maybe just have them angled a little bit differently. Don't have them so much posing for the camera. Uh, but other than that, perfect movie. My only complaint is a couple of there's no one here and we've stopped and a little bit too class photo posy for the final shot. The Evan Gazetti's there posing like, come on, guys, it's going to be on the front page. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> You've, you've done what a, scoop. <laughs> what a scoop um yeah i mean i don't have a whole lot to add just because i mean everything's so fantastic at the end and i mean again going back to what i said earlier like the whole thing just goes by so quickly doesn't it like i mean this whole i, I always think this is longer this final battle but it's only what 20 minutes 15 minutes it's actually not even that long um i love how han gets his reward in giant like how big is uh, uh, galactic credits because they're in these giant boxes that he's just like picking off <laughs> <laughs> and what is it ever explained what happens to this money? Because like, isn't there three years between this and Empire? Like, he mm-hmm. had plenty of time to go drop some money off to Jabba. Like, I'm sure that's yeah. Explained. You can't really feel bad for him. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, if it's, it's not like time just slipped away. <laughs> yeah, like three years, Han. Like, I don't think the bank is going to be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I didn't pay my mortgage in three years. Sorry, like you know. Yeah. Um. <laughs> The thing, one thing I recommend, uh, I'm recommending a lot of YouTube videos to watch, but, um, the honest trailer for this one, they basically point out how the final moments, the final battle is just one big, massive, like, um, you know, in sexual innuendos for all these things that are mentioned. So, yeah. like, they drop all the one liners, like, I'm coming from behind. And then they just ended yeah. with <laughs> Steve Carell from the office. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> but, like, the funniest bit, too, which they point out as well, is that really fat guy called Porkins. <laughs> like, yeah. Porkins, that's just me. <laughs> no. I Even as a kid, I like, I'm probably not like a young kid, I didn't get it, but, like, when I started to get a little bit older and I watched, I'm like, why did they have to call him Porkins? Like, it seems a little unnecessary. <laughs> One of my favorite bits, too, is, like, when they're getting close to the first group, the, the gold ones that are about to, like, think, stay on target, stay on target. Like, I just love that, like, repetitive thing. Oh, Tell me you're, you're in your head, loosen up! Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep it, we're going to blow this thing and get out of it! <laughs> I do. I also love like the memes out there of um, flat Death Stars who basically show like, look, no curve in the trench. Clearly, the Death Star's <laughs> flat. Um, all epic. Like the music is fantastic. Yeah, I love the kind of the, the tension as it blows up. The dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Then it goes, Poof, and then it's like, dun, 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 like the way it does that. But I mean, you know, how many millions of innocent uh, Empire troops get killed in this Death Star? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> there's, there's just some stormtroopers just sitting around, uh, you know, playing cards. And also, what's that noise? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, some guy taking a dump. <laughs> yeah. I I do like wonder with all the special edition, uh, you know, additions. Like it is. 
like, okay, they've made it so it's not so sparky at the end when the Death Star blows up, and same with Alderaan before, but it still looks, yeah, this kind of always irks me the way that planet gets blown up when we yeah. see, like, what happened in Rogue One. And then also, like, given that the Rise of the Skywalker is going to have the ruins of the Death Star, where? Like, they're all sparks and disintegrated <laughs> like that. <laughs> what are you talking about? I saw how that blew up. Um, I also always wonder when Darth Vader goes spinning off, where does he go? Like, did we not hear earlier on that they short-range fighters? They don't have, like... Yeah, exactly. Like, I want to see the the TV series of Darth Vader, like... <laughs> Day 12 in space. If only someone <laughs> would pick me up. Like, you know, in, um... Uh, volleyball flutes behind his ship. Wilson! Wilson! <laughs> you know, like, in Endgame, when Tony Stark is, like, sending all the Pepper Pot yeah. messages? Like, I just... Oh, okay, just, Tony Stark's not Darth Vader, but... <laughs> Hello, I'm Tony... <laughs> Stark. I don't know how fucking... T- whatever. But he's, like, giving those things. Anyway, um... And also that that um, that um moment, which I remember when you first start, like, learning that you got the head donk in you. I remember I went through a period where I'm like, oh, movie mistakes. I'm going to look them all up. Like, I think that was moviemistakes.com. And there's that one when Luke gets out of the X-Wing... And Carrie Fisher, uh, Leia is like, well, I'm doing what I'm about to point out. It's like, Luke! And then you hear, like, it sounds like, um, he says Carrie. And I don't know if that's ever been, yeah. is that ever being proved that he did say Carrie or it just, it's just. No, but I've heard the same thing, yeah. Cause it really does sound like he says Carrie mm-hmm. when he gets out of that, the X-Wing. So I've always just thought like that. Oh, there's a mistake there. He's called it by a first name. Um, and yeah, like I, I really want the, um, the throne room music as the wedding walk-in music, but sadly Mallory won't let me have that. Um, isn't, didn't they digitally alter the crowd? Cause weren't they originally cardboard cutouts? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I there's something I want to go back and rewatch too, because I was thinking about that when I was talking about it. I'm like, I thought that this maybe looked a little bit different. I think, yeah, it, the crowd was still there, but it wasn't like as lifelike. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so there's that, but yeah, uh, this is just a great way. I mean, it, it kind of does, I mean, whenever, uh, isn't it funny how whenever everyone saw the Phantom Menace, they were like, oh, they just, you know, copied the new hope. And yet, you know, we had the Force Awakens, which people thought like, yeah. oh, this is brilliant. And yet I think people need to really, um, uh, see that it is just a new hope remade. But, um, mm-hmm. has somebody surely edited this one with the Phantom Menace, uh, throne room music in there? <laughs> <laughs> Or I just want to be. Like, yeah, what if it could just be like? Jedi rocks played over the top of it or something like that. But yeah, such a great, great way of ending. And it's um, I, I, the only bit that kind of gives me a bit of cringe is when R two D two comes out and kind of he starts going. And then Mark Hamill has that like real cheesy like grin like oh R two classic R two yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even like though like because um it's, I guess it's also a bit of a replica too of uh, well Phantom Menace was a bit of a replica of this because you have that bit don't you when um uh, Padme has that big smile on her face too when she sees it so um yeah but an mm-hmm. epic way epic ending epic movie yeah what more can you say. Um, well, let's look at some reviews. So I want to do something different here because I think if we're looking up reviews for a movie that's this famous where, you know, 19-year-olds are reviewing this today, you don't really get the context of what it was like at the time. So I've looked up – this is on the official StarWars.com website where they've reprinted original reviews, negative and positive, for when Star Wars came out. I mean overall it got, you know, great reviews when it came out. Uh, it went on to be nominated for, you know, a bunch of Academy Awards, uh, even Best Picture, Best Director – 
Alec Guinness for supporting actor. Um, but uh, a couple of negative ones here. Uh, the the uh, uh, <laughs> I'm already getting annoyed with this. One. So the New Yorkers, Pauline Kale said it was assembled of spare parts and had no emotional grip. Pauline, <laughs> come on. Um, typical he, he, Pete. Yeah, typical Pauline Kale. It actually is. I, there's um a podcast I listen to called Unspooled, and one of the hosts of that is the huge Pauline Kale fan. Uh, but yet they'll constantly read her reviews and for like everything that's fun from your childhood, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, so on, so on. She just hates them all. So, uh, let's not even listen to that one. Um, uh, Barbara Bladen, uh, who was a show, just a showbiz columnist that says, said there's no way Star Wars was the best movie of the year because one can't get emotionally involved with the characters. And that's the mark of a meaningful film in my thinking. Uh, so most, a lot of people just seem to be saying there's no, nothing emotional about it. Uh, Gene Siskel, one half of Siskel and Ebert, uh, he still gave it a positive review, but he says it's not a great movie in the sense it describes the human condition. It's simply a fun picture that will appeal to those who enjoy Buck Rogers style adventures. Uh, what places it a sizable cut above the routine is a special, spectacular visual effects, the best since 2001 A Space Odyssey. So kind of a moderate review for him. And then Roger Ebert, who, you know, turned out to be one of the biggest supporters even of The Phantom Menace when it came out. I think he dedicated a whole half hour show just to The Phantom Menace couple months after it's released uh he gave it a perfect four star rating and uh he said that the magic of star wars is only dramatized by the special effects the movie's heart is in its endearingly human and non-human people so some really positive reviews there obviously said went on to be nominated for several academy awards box office it did okay uh was the most you know successful film in history for a very long time uh, and through multiple re-releases, eventually went on to become the most successful film in history again. Uh, this came out in May of 1977, so May 25th. Now, I don't have what its uh, you know competition was on that weekend, uh, but you can see that its uh, weekend gross was 1.5 million. Uh, that's playing in only 43 theaters. So this thing opened very limited, and there's a famous story that they only got it in that many theaters originally because there was another big budget movie the studio had coming out later that year called The Other Side of Midnight, which was based on like this best-selling novel. And they told theater owners, you can only have that movie if you get Star Wars as well. So there were theaters that were playing Star Wars just, they're like, well, we don't want to carry this movie. And they said, well, you have to. Uh, a couple of weeks later or a month later, this thing expanded to 115 uh, theaters and it was making twice that much so we're talking a month removed from its opening weekend and it was making almost three million dollars in a weekend uh, uh literally just over a month after its release it's made almost five million dollars on one weekend like these are for the time considering we're still in less than 400 theaters that it's playing in those are insane grosses it would basically go on to make five to seven to eight million dollars for the entire summer uh, it didn't uh, really lose maybe a couple of weeks here and there, but it didn't really even drop out of the, the top spot of the box. It was number one at the box office on December 9th of that year. Wow. So from May to December, number one movie making over a million dollars every single week. Uh, eventually, it would go on to become the highest grossing film in history. Uh, and a uh, very important um, uh, re-release, obviously, that it had for the 20th anniversary, which again caught everybody off guard because a lot of movies had anniversary releases and usually it was like, okay, this movie placed in the top five at the box office again. You know, a Disney movie might do that or, uh, you know, some other big close encounters of the third kind had done re-releases and E.T. and stuff like that. But for the 20th anniversary of Stars, for the special edition with all these additions, 
again, opening in like the dead of winter, like the worst at the time. Now it's bad, but at the time, opening at the end of January, beginning of February, that was a death sentence, grossed $35 million. It had like the highest grossing opening like winter weekend for January, February for a long time after this. Went on to make uh, almost $140 million in its re-release 20 years later. Brought its uh, lifetime gross to $460 million. And uh, I guess we need to look at uh, where, where it places overall. Uh, how is this possible? In the Star Wars series, it is the 11th highest grossing Star Wars film? What? But in What's gross lower than this? Inflation, isn't it still the second? Didn't we talk about this before? That It's only behind yeah. Gone with the Wind, I think, isn't it? In terms of the... Yeah. So... Again, to keep in uh, keep in mind an adjusted gross, because obviously a movie released in 1977 when tickets cost a couple of bucks isn't going to make as much as a ticket now. Uh, so all-time gross, uh, unadjusted, including inflation, it's the second highest behind Only Gone with the Wind, the equivalent of about $1.6 billion. Crazy. We're talking just domestically that was released today. So like Avatar, the first movie that made, like, what was it, $1.2 billion or something like that, just domestically, just in North America – uh that's nothing like it's it's i don't even know if it's in the top 10 gone with a min went 1.8 billion the equivalent in star wars 1.6 billion the equivalent of if it was released today which is insane um plot keywords uh do you want to do a search for incest in here <laughs> uh <laughs> i don't know if we're gonna find it the, i'm really disappointed with these star wars we're finding yeah. like millennium falcon uh trash compactor month chewbacca character month yeah. Uh, Jedi Mind Trick Month. Two-word um, title month. Older on the Planet Month. Yep. Oh, can't wait for that. Impersonating uh, an Death- Imperial Stormtrooper Month. <laughs> <laughs> Grand Moth Tarkin Character Month. Uh, impersonating an Enemy Soldier. Planet Viewed from Outer Space. I don't know if we're going to find any. Corvette Starship. Oh, hang on, hang Laser on. Laser Gun. Human yeah. Male Month. Like the- Oh, like, I don't know where we would find that featuring Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Wars The Last <laughs> Jedi, Star Trek, and Star Wars. Okay. Uh, I think the closest interesting one I could find here would be Totalitarianism Month. Um, <laughs> where does it rank in here? Uh, Handmaid's Tale, number one. Solo A Star Wars Story is ahead of this. Hunger Games, number three. The Terminator, and then A New Hope. Innocent Deaths uh, so Avenged yeah. Month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones, Criminal Law, and Joshu Sasori, Kemono Baya. Okay. Oh, well, we've been waiting to cover that one anyway, so... So hang on, I mean, uh, yes! human, uh, the incestuous... There is there, is it? No, there's Incestuous Kiss Month! Oh! Oh, and I love... Where is it? Where is it? Um, <laughs> I can't believe we're this excited to find out what else has an incestuous kiss. Uh, Mr. Robot... Um, oh, Rami Malek. Rami Malek. Come on, you dirty Star boy. Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, Movie 43. And, whoa, I just scanned way too far down. Not Another Teen Movie, Eurotrip, uh, yep. The Judge, The Godfather Part 2? What? Or The Godfather Part 3, sorry. Yeah, that one. I just want to point uh, out... Wild thing When we do Bad Movie Month, I know we've already chosen our ones for next year, but I want Movie 43 on there one year because that got panned and that was just one of these dumb movies that I actually really enjoy. But you know what? We can fit it into Incestuous Kiss Month if we do it next year. <laughs> we could, yes. Um, I love there's this movie here, Desire, which just looks like somebody's having an orgy on the cover. Like, that kind of disturbs me if that is going to be an Incestuous Kiss Month. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the History of Tasmania. What? Uh- <laughs> ben Waterworth, the movie. <laughs> 
so I, I don't even know why we're asking this. What are we going to do with this movie? We're buying it, obviously. And also, where are we ranking this one? This is going to be replacing Revenge of the Sith as my number one so far. Uh, yeah, well, I'm buying it. Um, and this is the one that I think a lot of people will hate me for because I still have Revenge of the Sith above it. So um, it's a tough one. But, like, yeah, Revenge of the Sith, like I said it the other week. Like, it just... Oh, I want to rank it higher than third overall on my list, but I just, I can't. <laughs> like, I really can't. Maybe, maybe I'll replace one. I don't know, because people hate my number one, but, uh, people hate me. So what's new? I, but yeah. I'll just, I'll say this. Like, for a couple of years after Revenge of the Sith came out, I would have said Revenge of the Sith was ahead of a new hope for me. Uh, it's really only in recent years where it's, I, I, like, nothing about a new hope ever gets old that I would rank it, you know, back in the number one spot. But, uh, no, I can't fault you at all for putting Revenge of the Sith that high. But I, I still think Revenge of the Sith is such an underrated movie. Look, I think at the end of the day, like it's it's just it comes down to uh, this movie is probably one of the movies I've seen the most in my entire life. So you know it back to front, you know everything to expect, and it still amazes you and everything. But like, I think the thing that I always get with Revenge of the Sith is that every time I watch it, I just like I forget how fucking amazing it is, and it just it just it just makes it yeah. so great every time That's I rewatch it. Yeah, so that that's to me where it is, and it, it also it, it makes me angry that angry I hate it that people just get so anti prequel and everything along those lines when I just this movie is just so goddamn good. Where Star Wars gets the credit it deserves already, so yeah. But now we get to move on to the Empire Strikes Back, probably the uh, the the first sequel, I guess, along with the Godfather Part Two. It's always kind of considered to be like the greatest sequel ever made. We talked about Terminator 2 recently, and that's one of the other ones in that camp. But Empire, you know, obviously taking such a hugely different direction, um, you know, still being a Star Wars movie, just so much darker, so much grimmer, uh, and a movie that was daring enough to really have a downer ending in a kids franchise, just crazy. Uh, my history along with this, very going to be very similar to A New Hope um, for being able to see this the first time. And uh, you know, I'll, I think I stand by everything that people say about this movie is great. I completely will back up. I'm not really going to have much bad to say about it. Although I do think there are a couple of things here that maybe people give a little bit too much. Sort of like you know those cheesy one-liners here. A couple of things people give a little bit too much of a free pass to. Um, also, I think probably the best defense we'll have for you know why people should stop complaining about the special editions. Because I really don't see anything in here that wasn't made an improvement from uh, from the original 1980 release. Maybe my favourite piece of music in all of Star Wars is in this movie. Um, the greatest movie twist in the history of movies is in this movie. Um, so much greatness. Uh, this is the only original trilogy movie I've seen in the theatre. Um, so I saw the special edition when I was 10. So, yeah, I just... I'm, and this is probably the one I'm most excited for Mallory to see as well, just because... It's like she's she's already really liking Star Wars at this point. You know, she's watched six movies. Uh, she's hawked, which is great. Like, the prequels didn't kill it and all, any of that sort of stuff. So, like, we're, we're hitting peak Star Wars right now with her. So, I, I can only imagine how much she's going to enjoy this if she's enjoyed all the other ones. Because, yeah, like, this is just peaks quintessential. This is the gold finger of Star Wars. Like, this is everything that Star mm-hmm. Wars should be. So... Yeah, um, it's. I'm, I'm very impressed actually with this episode that we're only going to keep it to one part. We're just sneaking just under five hours, so um, we've done very well. So uh, Empire, who knows? But um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. 
do we still have Terminator going on right now? Or where are we at in our Terminators? Yes, you think I would know that. <laughs> <laughs> Do some closing off, Colin, and I will double check. No, Terminator um, finished um, like three weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we're really... It's November, Colin. Don't we you better... know the day that it, we're releasing this? <laughs> I, I, I wish I had been on those episodes and I would have known. <laughs> um. Yeah, so, yeah, thank you for listening to our Terminator recaps recently. Oh, that was great. <laughs> What's our date right now? Where are we, Ben? It's November, the Atlanta Falcons. Um. <laughs> we're into November, okay. Uh, somewhere in November, okay, so we're going to have more Star Wars coming up. I'm sure we'll do something around Christmas. I'm sure we got Survivor's really great this season. Oh, <laughs> At least that's what I'm- I can't believe oh, the- that Atlanta Falcons returned back yeah. and did really, really well. <laughs> Wasn't seeing that coming. Uh, <laughs> you gotta love those uh, Rob and Sandra statues. I'm sure we've got lots of other content going on out there. Uh, make sure, as always, to subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook. Interact with us. Tell us what you want to hear more of. Uh, tell us if you want to hear Incestuous Movie Month coming <laughs> next year to the Oz Network. Because uh, we, we do want to include one of these things eventually. Uh, and we'll be back with The Empire Strikes Back next week. My name is Colin, and we're, we're, we're fine. We're, we're, we're all right here now. Thank you. How are you? And my name is Ben. And oh, this is just a boring conversation anyway. Thank you for listening to The Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.